I'm on that overload, overkill. I'm redlining, I'm blue pills. High octane's my intake. I'm peace, Swayze, man, point break. Make no mistakes, I don't care. Not one shit will be given here. Make the room shake, earthquake, turbulence, out of space. Yeah, let it go. Cruise control, full speed ahead with my eyes closed. I smoke the best, just hydro. Make my eyes red like Diablo. I'm taking off, next to go. Molotov, set the blow. These crimson eyes, I set the glow. Medieval shit, man, crossbows. We dangerous, beast mode. Got catapults for the back. A dope man set in stone, good to go. Found my zone, let me Alamo. Yeah, big time. Dinosaur, so big, colossal. You stuck in dirt, man. Fossils, we taking out full throttle. Let's go. Get it good like a big February 19th, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Troy Lee Design Saloon in Corona, California, it's the Whiskey Throttle Show. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, today, we've got three time world champion, national motocross champion, and moto pioneer from the African continent, Mr. Greg Albertine, with us. We're excited about that. Um, I think GL and I both have like secret, kind of like not man crush, but <laughs> we really like this guy. Well, I've been We're already, excited. I've, I've already been given a lot of shit on Instagram. <laughs> I was like, oh, Tell GL to just relax, you know. So. I saw it. I saw it. Um, they're really worried about you yeah. so, for this show. So try to keep your erection below the table if you can. <laughs> With me, as always, Grant Langston and Donnie Bales, our uh, co-host and producer. Gentlemen, Super welcome. Super happy to How's be here. How's it going? Yeah, I, I heard that GL wanted to just have the show all by himself and you and I not to be here. <laughs> yeah, I you, know. you guys could have taken the day off. I would have yeah. taken care I of everything. I had some people ask if you were hosting. Like, I'm like, oh. I, I also had people say I needed I to be in the crowd so I couldn't ask questions. <laughs> Why does GL have tape over his mouth? Yeah. So before we get started, uh, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, As always, this show doesn't happen without Yamaha. Um, Simply the leaders in the power sports industry, whether you're looking for dirt bikes, side-by-sides, street bikes, you name it. Generators, boats, pianos, they make it all, and their stuff is quality. Thank you so much to Yamaha. Go check their stuff out at a local dealer like maybe Langston Motorsports. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, PowerDot also, you can get a 20% discount by using the code Whiskey Throttle. And if you uh, have a heartbeat, you can use one of these things. Uh, that's really the only requirement. So check out PowerDot.com. Big thank you to Method Race Wheels as well. And they're giving you 20% off using our code uh, Whiskey Throttle also. Troy Lee Designs bringing you our timeout today, SKDA. Uh, if you're looking for new graphics for your bikes, check these guys out. All designed and built in Australia but shipped to you within seven to 10 days from the time you order it, it will be at your door. They keep you posted on where it's at in transit and their stuff is super rad. So, so unique. Um, really quality material as GL found out, he thought he was like brilliant at putting graphics on, but they use a certain, uh, you dealt with material that like the bubbles come through it. So it's really tough to even make it bubble. It's idiot proof basically. Basically. So check those guys out. SKDA. Four Wheel Parts is bringing you our Get At Me Q&A segment today. They are your one-stop shop for all things off-road. Uh, Adidas, don't be a dick to your feet. Put them in some good shoes. Pro Circuit, big thank you to Pro Circuit. Um, we need to get Mitch on this show. We keep talking about him having his own, and uh, that's going to happen soon. Check their stuff out. They just had a really cool, you know, they got like weekly deals where they blow stuff out for bikes that are a couple years old. So go over to ProCircuit.com, follow them on Instagram, and you can, you can follow those good deals they, they put out. Dunlop Tires, the leader in tires for the motorcycle world, period. Um, they win pretty much everything. Uh, I would say probably the 
more wins than any other company in this sport. Well, especially nowadays. <laughs> Just go look at the podium in both classes. It's yeah. always Dunlop. Yeah, there's really no competition for them. Uh, Nihilo Concepts, they're giving you a free gift using the code Whiskey Throttle by buying something down there. So check those guys out. Fire Department Coffee, 20% off using our code. They also give 10% of their proceeds to a charity that helps injured firemen. So um, I love supporting those guys. They've got a brand new blend out called uh, Extra Strength or Industrial yeah. Strength. Twice the caffeine. The, the box even looks intimidating. It's you look intimidating. At it, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I'm ready for that. It's aggressive. If you want to have heart palpitations, <laughs> that's the stuff for you. Make sure um, it's one word as well. The code doesn't work if it's separated. Whiskey throttle. Yeah, our code is whiskey throttle, one word, no capitals, nothing else. So uh, we have had some some issues there. And Seat Concepts, another uh, a new, new partner for us. Love these guys. Uh, I spent today riding a new bike. And thought, man, the seat is hard. Yeah. If, you know, some of these seat foams are a little tough or some of them are thin and you go through and hit the pan. These guys make an awesome product, whether it's, it's just the cover or just the foam or just the base or the whole complete seat. They, they've got it for you. Uh, and really, really good stuff for like the off-road world when you're doing a lot of, lot of seat time. Yeah. And uh, also they're getting into the snowmobile, snowmobile industry. So if that's something that uh, you could also use, check those guys out. And last but not least, Specialized Bicycles, just simply the best products if you're pedaling two wheels around. Whether that's e-bikes, cross-country, downhill, uh, Specialized just dominates the sport, period. And uh, we're so psyched to have them on the show. And I'm going to get some of their new products on here, get one of their reps on soon to, to share with all the, all the new stuff they've got coming on. For our first segment, I want to get our guest up, Mr. Greg Albertine. Dude, thank you for coming on. Very happy to be here, guys. Yeah, we've been talking about it for, well, ever since we started, like... Albie will be a good show. Let's, let's save it for later. <laughs> so glad to have finally have you on. Thank you, man. You guys are two of my favorites. So really appreciate it. And sure. looking to have forward to digging a little deeper into the history and having some fun with you yeah. guys. Yeah. You probably don't get to talk about this stuff much anymore, huh? I don't. I mean, I'm not in the industry anymore and I've uh, been retired for 20 years. I mean, I can walk through the pits incognito and unless you're, <laughs> it's a really old fart, nobody even recognizes me. So yeah. it's pretty cool. It's kind of nice though, right? Like sometimes you go, man. I did a lot in this sport. No, how are you not going to recognize me? But at the same time, it's nice to just... Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if, if I want to uh, sort of, you know, go to some of the events and whatever and kind of have a little fun with what I, you know, getting to know people, then I can do that. But if I want to be incognito, I can do that too. So That's nice about our sport. It's like the level of fame is... Um, Minimal. It's minimal, yeah. right? Like LeBron James can't go walk through yeah. any, any place, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, you well, need a shirt that says, you know, Greg Albertine, multi-time world <laughs> champ and stuff, if you want to be recognized. Because I'm that guy. Right. Exactly. I know. You're, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think you just wear that Biafi jersey. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. <laughs> I do want to talk about that. There's a lot of comments about Biafi. going to be like, oh, that was the guy. <laughs> I think David Bailey made a comment. It needed to be called Be Off Me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Please be off me. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> no, that's great. All right. Um, so, I want to bring you on now so you can be a part of our Method Race wheels front end chatter uh, method race wheels making the strongest lightest fastest wheels in off-road for your truck van sprinter utv go check them out and 20 percent off using our code so uh we we are so hyped to have those guys support um so i guess this was apropos since i have you two on here is is let's talk about south african motocross because albie you paved the way for this guy and then man there was a flurry of guys coming out of there tyla um, who's the guy who raced in Europe? Uh, just GPs. Well, there's been 
oh, there was also Swanepoel. Um, it seemed like when when Albie was there, there was a few other guys. So it almost went like through generations. When there was yourself, there was Herring, Doug Moore. There was a few guys that were successful, maybe yeah. didn't win. And then there seemed like a lull again. And then a lot of times people were like, who was the next guy? And then I started getting sort of dubbed that. You know, people were like, oh, this could be the next Albertine. Um, and then since then, we've seen another little lull. But but where, so where did like uh, Rattray and Swanepoel and those guys? They were after you, right? They were only like a like a year or two y- younger than me, so it was kind of in that same wave. Okay, like yeah. I would win, move up, and then they would win. Isn't that weird? How it, well, I mean, it comes in waves like that. What's that about? I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm not sure why why it came in waves. Obviously, uh, you know, there, it was always a big push for South African to become a world champion, whether it was Supercross or Europe. But Europe tended to be the way everybody went in those days. It was like, you got to go to Europe first before you go to the States. And and as GL mentioned, there was a couple of guys that went ahead of me. And, uh, I mean, they had some good results. I mean, Robbie Herring was one of the fastest guys that's ever been on a motorcycle. I mean, he was incredibly fast, but uh, just could never get that championship. So, you know, when I went over, I mean, I had huge doubts in my mind. Like, you know, nobody else had ever done it before. Can I do it? Is it possible even? You know, that kind of thing. I mean, it was very, very questionable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, is there anybody that's coming up that you guys know of? Have you heard any names of like younger kids that are? I mean, I've I've probably kept a little more in touch because um, we also have a business down there, and so we're we're involved a little bit in the racing. But um, there's times you go, oh, you know, this kid's got something, and I don't know. A lot of times it just seems to hit a, 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 the end of the road for whatever reason. Um, but there is a kid at the moment that's racing. I think he's based in Germany at the moment because um, he's beaten Evitt's kid a few mm. times at Ken McClellan. He seems to be the kid where I think he had that dominating youth in South Africa, which is a start because someone's going to dominate. doesn't mean you're going to go all the way. Yeah. But I think what was good for him um, is – with sponsors and family and all that, they've realized if we really want to chase that dream and mm. try and be a world champion, we've got to get over to Europe as soon as possible. So mm. basically from a super mini um, age, well, you know, about 85 cc's done the European championships. He's had some good results. Uh, I know he did beat um, Liam Everts, Stefan's son, uh, who's also been dubbed to be, you know, another hotshot. So without physically watching the kids race in person, it's always hard to tell. But at least with the results and where he's based, it, it looks like maybe he's he the next one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, I just want to talk about the challenge of, you know, it's easy winning in your backyard. Uh, but go to another continent and try and win. I mean, I don't think many people can really get the challenges of that. I mean, when I first moved to Europe, I had no friends. I couldn't speak the language. I mean, everybody was German, Dutch, or whatever. Uh, you got a visa for every single country you go to. Uh, you're homesick as hell. You get there, and it's just so muddy and so mm. tough. Cold That's what I remember. Cold and miserable. <laughs> it's and, a culture now, shock. <laughs> it's a culture shock. And then you got to learn your competition. I mean, you know how your guys are with, that you're racing with every week. And now there's a whole new slew of guys that you have no idea yeah. who's quick, who's not, and all of a sudden you're 25th when you are used to winning every week. I yeah. mean, to go and win on another continent is a whole nother game. Do you know what? I, this is just my opinion. I don't know if there's any science behind it, but I think that if you look at guys who came from outside of the U.S. or Europe, so Australian guys, New Zealand guys, Townley, if you look at those riders, yourselves included, that um, trial by fire, having to go to those places and be thrown totally in the deep end as kids, it's sink or swim, right? And if you swam, you made it. Yeah. It created very, very headstrong people. Yeah. 
because you had to be, you yeah. know what I mean? I go to Europe for two weeks. I want to kill myself. Yeah. I just, I can't take it. You yeah. know, like I'm, I, I'm soft, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't like the food. Everyone's no, blowing I mean, smoke in my face. You're, you're Americanized. <laughs> yeah. I but mean, I feel like I've gotten to that point myself. Yeah. I go back to these places. I'm like, how the hell did I live here? Yeah. Like, this is not for me. Well, it just, it, man, to have come from a place as small, relatively speaking, as South Africa and make it to the stage yeah. that you guys did and have the success both of you did is like, it's really against all the odds. So impressive. And I, I would say the same it. thing about any Australian or New Zealand yeah. guy who made it or yeah. Canadian or, you know. But I tell you, I mean, that, that fire, that will to win has to be so strong because it's so much easier yeah. to pack your stuff and head yeah. home and, uh, and just go find another career path. I mean, to, you really, really need to want it for sure. Yeah, there's no question. Um, I, I got to ask you this because this comes up probably two or three times on the show. <laughs> I remember you telling me about walkie-talkies. South African food. And I thought, maybe he's just pulling my chain. Maybe that's not a real no, thing. No, I'm serious. I mean, you know, like uh, South Africa or Africa, I mean, there's a lot of poverty, right? So, you know, they would cut the, the chicken's heads off and they cut the feet off and they'd send the chicken to the grocery store. But the locals would buy the feet and the heads and they used to call them walkie-talkies. <laughs> <laughs> that is gross on a level I can't even really fully get into. But yeah. Okay, so it's cleared up. Walkie-talkies a thing. <laughs> Walkie-talkies. And that probably isn't even as gross as some of the stuff in China. No. Or, uh, those guys are on a whole nother level. I mean, bats and yeah, monkey brains. Seriously. And I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can get a, a couple of walkie-talkies, like, shipped over and some dry ice. I'll hook you up. <laughs> I'll hook you up. <laughs> so, John, Donnie and GL can try them. Yeah. I'm out. We'll be clucking I'll, I'll pass, bro. I'll pass. I eat the rest of the chicken, not the head and the feet. <laughs> you guys are so soft. Softies. <laughs> yeah. So. Well... One thing we do have in South Africa a lot, like every time I go there, I have to have it as a starter, but it's the peri-peri chicken livers. Oh, yeah. That's actually They're really so good. They're so good. Yeah. And yeah. over here, everyone goes, like, I'm telling you, yeah. their livers are way better than mine. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that is good. I do like that yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Chicken livers, huh? Peri-peri chicken livers. I don't know what that means. His name was Perry twice? No. <laughs> Perry Perry is a, is a It's a Mozambique, Mozambican yeah. spice that the, oh, okay. the Portuguese used to oh, okay. use. Yeah. Still use <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take, spicy. I'll take your word for it on those Perry Perry's. <laughs> you can throw it on your walkie talkie. <laughs> well, Perry Perry walkie talkie. Perry walkie talkie. <laughs> Gross. Uh, lastly, I want to just give a shout out to Ricky Brabeck. Uh, we had Ricky on the show literally days before he was headed off to Saudi Arabia for the Dakar. And just listening to his interview, it was obvious he meant business. You know, yeah. like he, I was really impressed by his, his dedication and his, uh, his drive, you know, like, um, in the same way you guys had to really say, want to, it. He has to go to another continent and do the yeah. same thing. First time, right? First yeah. American, First American to ever do it. I mean, hats off to him. That just makes it that much harder. I think what, what also made it even more special was how devastating that loss was last year when his bike broke mm -hmm. on the penultimate stage when he basically had it in the bag. He just had to cross the line. And, and I really felt for him and I thought, and then when you saw him getting the lead this year a part of me was like please hold together like, oh, like, just don't crash and then you saw like shorty man i felt bad from he had a he when they interviewed him on like after day three or four like he looked like he was already over it yeah and he had had multiple crashes and mm. he just had this look on his face like i kind of want to quit but i'm not gonna <laughs> but man and then giving his tire away and riding on the rim like you see what those guys go through and yeah. you're like no thanks. There's That's a, brutal, man. There's a video of Shorty trying to get up a sand dune with, oh, with on just the rim. Oh, he gave his tire gosh. to um, Toby Toby Price Price because yeah. he was kind of in it 
in contention. See, and I would have been like, man, you're KTM, I'm Husky. Huh? <laughs> We're different <laughs> companies. <laughs> anyway, it was like Shorty's all, and he gets halfway up and just is not going anywhere, right? He'd carve back down. And, you know what hit me the most about that was when he'd say, oh, I only do five races a year. And everybody's like, oh, you're only doing five races. But he's doing 25 or 30 days on those yeah, races. Yeah. So it's like... It's he, like doing Supercross and Outdoors. Yeah. There's 30 races. Right. Yeah. It's like... And he does it in five races. That's the thing that's mind-boggling. And, and you're staying out in the desert on your own, camping in at a... The bivouac. At the bivouac. Or, or at the bivouac. <laughs> he's bivouacking, yeah. Anyway, uh, he did a parade lap down at the San Diego Supercross. And I, I thought... I was really stoked they gave him that, uh, that honor. Um, amazing to come out and be the first American. Well, it was that. also cool because... Something like that where he's in front of that Supercross crowd. I mean, let's be honest, the an average Supercross fan that's going to watch some Supercross, they don't, probably don't really follow Dakar. So this might also help that sport get into the mainstream just a little bit more. Yeah. I'll tell you something, though. If he, would, if he would have done one thing at San Diego, he would have had every fan in the world watching him. Just hit the finish line on that bike. <laughs> if he would hit the finish line, everybody else would always be watching him from here on out. I yeah. think he could have, no problem. He I goes think he to could've. the local yeah. tracks around here. We see him riding that, no, that bike. Yeah. And he jumps. But he, didn't, out he didn't have the track map in his uh, yeah, he didn't map, so he didn't know where the finish line was. <laughs> and he didn't know where the bivouac was. <laughs> if he would have made some waypoints at all the yeah. corners, I think he'd have done it. Can you imagine if he had hit the finish line, though? That would have been pretty rad. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get this party started. Um, we start at the very beginning, dude. So tell us about hometown was Johannesburg, right? Yeah, I grew up just outside of Johannesburg and, uh, yeah, started, uh, yeah, friends of ours used to race and uh, my brother was seven years older than me and he was like, man, he really wanted a motorcycle and I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And my mom, uh, all she kind of realized was, you know, motorcycles was Hell's Angels. That's yeah. that's all she knew about. She's like, my kids are never going to race motorcycles. So Hell's Angels were even existed down there, huh? Like oh, that's... yeah. Like motorcycling was, uh, I would say, pretty big in the 70s and 80s. I mean, relatively speaking, right? When you sure. had a population of... 20 million people or whatever it is it, it was relatively big but um yeah so she was like there's no way and then uh, eventually we wore her down and uh, they bought us bikes and the rest is history so dad didn't race but he had buddies that raced and so that that was the introduction yeah it was more like family friends uh, their kids raced some cousins um and uh yeah i mean for the very first time I, I went with them to the track i got on this guy's brand new uh, uh i think it was 1980 what track cr was a syringa syringa spa and I rode it straight into a barbed wire fence, and I think it had the metal tank on it. And I scratched it up, and he was not happy. But I was like hooked. All right, I got to figure this out. <laughs> that fence was fun. I got to do this again. <laughs> okay, I got the acceleration part down well. <laughs> Breaking yeah. not so much. Um, so, what was your first bike? You should. You only have a picture of it. We'll have to post that. Uh, yeah. here in the show. So I have a. I had got a YZ uh, uh, 80, 1981. That was my. And first you mentioned. Bike. That, I thought this was interesting. Like, because those bikes came, they were yellow. Over here at that time. Yeah. But you said Yamahas never came yellow down there. They were always white in South Africa. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Why would they do that? They were all white in Europe always, too. So that's why how we, when we got the white bikes in 85, uh, 85 they, uh, it was brought over from Europe, the, the color. Hmm. No idea. It is strange. But even when you look, you know, manufacturers have done things where they've brought in, like, that version or that model in these countries and not there. And mm. sometimes you're like, huh. Well, I know there's different regulations for emissions or sound, and I get that if you have to conform. But there wasn't to that much back then. Yeah, you're like, probably like right. My first bike was the Honda uh, QR50, but they didn't bring that into the states. But they, but I know in Canada they brought them in. That's so weird. You think mm. it would? But yeah, be, it was a Z50, I think. You the think whole it time. would make more sense to produce one model, and then that's a worldwide model, right? Like keep it simple. Yeah, cost-wise, and everything. Yeah. 
No. You you also showed me a picture uh, from you in grade school, I think, and Penny Harrison is in there. Yeah. So and, and we'll uh, get back to. I mean, this is Ian Harrison, who was your mechanic through your whole career. Yeah. Is his wife now? Correct. So did Ian go to school with you also? No, Ian and I uh, became buddies when we were about 14. Uh, he was okay. racing at the time, and uh, he was looking for some jetting advice. We went down to Port Elizabeth and came over <laughs> to my dad, and it was thick, thick sand. I was going to say, it was uh, our only sand national we ever had. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so he came and asked my dad for some advice, and we kind of headed off and became friends and been best buds ever since. But you knew her? Were you friends with her? Yeah, so I was friends with her. Uh, her and her brother came to join the school I was at uh, in Bryanston, and um, uh, she was in, uh, actually, I think we were a grade ahead of her, and then before we knew what happened, we were in the same grade. Both of us. <laughs> <laughs> I always used to uh, think that I would just do the minimum to pass, and... Um, Next minute, I had not quite done the minimum. So oh, I repeated right? ninth grade, yeah. Some paperwork fouled up, probably. Yeah. yeah. And there was no like parent teacher conference, or maybe I was oblivious to it, but they weren't like warning us. That like, was a trip. You, I, I did, you I don't did step it up. ninth grade twice as well. Did you? But I got Tough. my parents held me back. I scraped, like in South Africa, you had to get a, a percentage, minimum uh, grade overall. Yeah. And I think it was 40%. And I got 40%. And the school was like, Mr. and Mrs. Langston, it might not be a bad idea to hold your boy back a year. And I was pissed at first. And then oh, I was like, wait, so wait, mad. if I'm dropping out of school, because that was my intention, I'm like, this is going to be like an easy year. I'm redoing everything. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take it on the chin. <laughs> Did you fail though? Well, yeah. I mean, I've, they said you should redo the year. Okay. Know, so, so they, they, failed, they, yeah. they See, that's what they do with with me is they just said my parents we suggest yeah were you racing a lot and so just sort of neglecting it or was it like you just uh we were racing a lot but i mean you know if we left for a race or whatever it was normally local or we'd leave on fridays and that i just i mean i i can't tolerate boring freaking teachers and that i mean give me a good teacher give me a good subject i'm all about it. I'm yeah. I'm a real student. I love learning about things, but not history. The great track for the seventh time in oh, a row. Yeah. And I mean, she's like all the local South African history. Oh. They would beat that into your head like because apartheid was in effect still, right? So we learned about the the history of the white poor trackers, which were the the Dutch settlers, and we learned about that same thing year after year. And he's a Dutchman. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, not I'm, really. I'm from the English side. <laughs> There's some weird South African stuff about all that. I don't know if we want to get into it or not. I think we'll just leave it alone. <laughs> um, yeah, but schooling there was definitely a little bit, I think it was tougher at that younger age. Like, like if you missed homework assignments, which I did every weekend, because when we weren't racing, we got homework over the weekend. And I was just like, not going to happen. Mm. So usually Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, my lunch breaks were in detention, catching up <laughs> on homework, eating my sandwich at detention, and then it was back off for the next race. Yeah. You know they're changing that. Actually, going away from homework. Uh, there's studies Best that thing say. Ever. There's Why? studies that say kids don't really. I mean, gain if you can't learn enough in eight hours a day or whatever they're at school, six hours, five hours, and you still got to go home and do homework. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, but the homework. It's more for the parents. Like we've got a project. Yeah, we've got to take them to a store. Oh, we've got to yeah. build this. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. This is this is homework for the the parents, not yeah. the kids. There's not yeah, a lot of and studying. And for you, GL, it's the first time ever doing homework. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm asking the kids, like, what the hell is this? What would you put in front of me? Yeah. Well, they've changed math so much. Oh, my kids the are bringing call? home this stuff, and I'm like, I don't know. My little guy's in know. fourth grade, and he brings me math. I'm like, uh, yeah, you better ask your mom or your sister. What's well, that like, common core <clears> stuff? It's, yeah. it's yeah, a load it's, of hogwash. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, we're I, not allowed to get into that stuff. No, GL. Yeah, stay out of politics. Okay, it's political. It's so, is it political? <laughs> yes, so it that's is. Educational. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. New category. <laughs> Borderline political. We, we'll <laughs> let it slide today. Um, so, how old were you when you got that first bike? So I was uh, eight years old, just before my ninth birthday. Okay. Yeah. It looked like it was a little big for you. It was a touch big. There's no question about it. Were you a little guy? I was a little guy till yeah. about sixteen. Yeah. I little toe head. A little guy, yeah. You had some blonde hair. Yeah. Till I moved to Europe. And, then, and yeah. then your brother, though, did he continue? Did he ride also? So he did. So he was seven years older than me. I started, right, let's just say nine, for example. And he was about 16. And he was very talented as well. I mean, super talented. Um, but he was thrown in the deep end with, like, guys that had been racing, you know, Forever. five, ten years already. And um, wanting to go the same speed as them and could. But then he would grenade and, you know, end up hurting himself. So he had a lot of injuries and eventually... His shoulder wouldn't stay in place. Like he'd yeah. go through the whoops and it'd pop out and he'd put it back in and do another lap. Tough bugger. But yeah. So yeah. We, we started racing um, literally two weeks after I got my first bike. And uh, we went to the races and I got lapped like three times. And I said, all right, next race I'm going to win. A little delusional. But uh, <laughs> I was like, got the bug. And yeah. um, before we knew what happened... My sister got a bike and she was racing and then my dad even got a bike and it was a real blessing for our family because my dad was a, a big executive of, of a large cement company. So he'd take us to school in the morning and then we wouldn't see him till the next morning because he'd come home like nine, ten at uh -huh. night every night. And then uh, all of a sudden he got really interested and was like working on the bikes and he'd started coming home early. So it became a really a good family sport mm. for us and we'd all go to the races on the weekend. It was That's awesome. Really great. That's awesome because That's how a lot uh, of stories start. The, well, yeah. Cool. I mean, anything that brings a family together mm -hmm. where they're doing something together. Yeah. Awesome. Because right. you would, you traveled with your family yeah, in the well, early days. You know, my folks split when I was 10, but my first, I guess, four or five years of racing, yeah, we, we went a as a family and all the yeah. stuff. We camped at the, at the tracks and... You know, those were great memories. Yeah, great um, memories. So yeah. fun, yeah. But even still, even though we my folks separated, I my dad and I, like all of our stories, everything we talk about, you know... When we reminisce, it's all those yeah. traveling to the amateur nationals. Those, those and, camping, man. Uh, the oh. camping weekends where you're away and everybody's camping at the track. I mean, it's nothing like it is here. There was no motorhomes or everybody was in tents. Maybe you had a caravan, which is like a little trailer. Yeah, what was that uh, picture we saw of your little van? The South Africans don't know yeah. what a combi is. Yeah. It's, it's a what? It's a what? It was a... Was yours a Volkswagen? No, well, we had a Toyota. Yeah, Toyota. Toyota high it, Toyota and Volkswagen were known for it, and they were used as a lot for taxis because you could, you know, pile 30 people in and take them back to the township or whatever. So the motocrossers realized, hey, you know what? We can load the whole family, the cooler, the tents, the everything, and just put a trailer on the back. Yeah. So it became the end thing huh. was to have a combi. Yeah. Caravelle as it, as it evolved to. That was the sprinter of the 80s Pretty and much. 90s. Exactly. I yep. still remember yeah. when my dad bought one. We had the enclosed trailer, and then it had our sponsors and my championships on the side. I looked. I was like, dude, we're legit. I've like, made we've it. made it. Like, we're kind of big deals. <laughs> so not to digress too far, but I'll tell you a funny story. Yeah. Ian Harrison and his brother, right? So we were in Palabora. We were there for a local, uh -huh. local uh, regional race. And uh, they pull in kind of late at night, and they got the trailer, and the, the dad sleeping in the caravel, the, the VW bug. And uh, the boys pitch this tent, but they, like, tie the guy rope to the, to the trailer. <laughs> anyway, halfway, halfway through the night, the old man's not happy because the, the van's a little bit angled. <laughs> So he fires it up and he starts driving around and he takes one of these guys in the tent and uh, Ian's brother's like, earthquake! 
I could just picture this tent getting towed around <laughs> the parking lot. Very lucky it didn't get run over. Very lucky. It's interesting to watch the evolution of track vehicles, right? Whatever it was. Because it was pickup trucks. Yeah. You look at, you know, the Indicosters era, like the 70s in Europe, what they were hitting out of. I mean, it's hilarious. The little... Yeah, but they were running vans here in the 60s and 70s. Like, Still, like uh, Raper vans, right? Like, right. Like yeah, a yeah, regular like old Ford van or whatever. Bubble window on the side. For sure. Oh, yeah. Um, Mural on the side. And then it, <laughs> then here, anyway, it went to box vans. Yeah. If you didn't have a box van, you were nobody. And then now it's sprinters, right? Like, yeah. you don't have a sprinter. I was going to say, I, I was just at the track yesterday with our buddy Vinny, it's, and it's it, like... It's lined up, right? It's overtaken pickups. Like Seriously, in Southern California, huh? when I when wow. I moved here, it was like everyone had a pickup yeah. that went to the track. Everyone, a couple cars with trailers, but it was pickups. Now it's outnumbered. You're right. I mean, yeah. Sprinters and and a few other companies are making them, but it's predominantly Sprinters. Well, yeah. Or what? Yeah. I and think. GL, you have a Sprinter. Yeah, you both have one. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I oh yeah. Pretty. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, I have that. Oh, I forgot because I came in my Raptor. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. <laughs> Guys, are a bunch. Oh, of Charlie poses. Designs has like four of them. I mean, they're all painted. I, they're, it's a it's a good it's vehicle. It's just yeah. interesting to watch the evolution of it. So what was racing like in South Africa at that point? I, I'm trying to, having, having never been there, yeah. like, <coughs> I'm trying to imagine the size of it. Like, how many riders would show up on a weekend? So uh, the early 80s was probably the heyday of motocross. Mm -hmm. I mean, they would have a national, and there'd be like 500 riders there. Is that, that right? really big, yeah. yeah it was huge. So when I got into it, um, I'm sure you guys remember Rex Dayton, right? Oh, yeah. He was paid by ha uh, by Yamaha to to race down there. So he was quote unquote like a factory rider for Rocket Rex Dayton. Rocket Rex, yeah. And he was, I mean, super fast, great rider. Um, and he was like part of the BP Yamaha team. And then quite soon after that, Honda, Suzuki, and Kawi realized they needed their, you know, token factory rider. So they brought over Maya Scoff for Kawasaki. Larry Wasik came over for Honda. And then uh, Jim Tarantino, King of Saddleback, came over for Suzuki. So at that time, I mean, it was it wow. was really a heyday. And then I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but 1985, uh, Mark Johnson, who I know you guys have mentioned several times, he came down with a whole Team Green contingent, including... Okay. Um, uh, Matasevich and uh, uh, was it not Ty not Tyson Volland, but Talon. Ta not Talon, but Tyson yeah, Volland, and a bunch of guys, and they came and did the Camel Supercross series, and that's. I mean, it was really pumping. It was good. Wow, it was it was. Greg hit the nail on the head. That was its its prime. I think like in the seventies in the U.S. Like it seemed like in Europe in the sixties, motocross kind of blew up. And then in the seventies here, it blew up. South Africa it was like right after that. So the beginning of the eighties was they were. I see pictures even when my dad raced. He raced right at the end of 70 and early 80s till I was born. But um, there, were, there were some of the nationals where he's on the second row. Yeah. Four, 40 gates and there's like two rows sometimes. Yeah. So Jeez. there was a point where, as, as we would say, based on per capita, the racing scene was relatively big. We yeah. had Wrangler involved, like a lot of the sponsors that were yeah. Camel. Mm -hmm. They were the title sponsor of motocross and supercross. Yeah. What, was the TV. what was the economy like there in South Africa? At, at that, that time, time, it was good. Late yeah. 70s, was, early 80s was really good. It was pretty good. And don't forget, I mean, this is still, quote, amateur racing, right? It's not professional or anything like that, although there were a few guys. I mean, probably. Yeah, I was going to say, we. I think our sport was would, would be considered maybe semi-professional. Like a lot of the top guys got bikes, parts, and that, but no yeah. salary. But if you were like a guy brought overseas yeah. or maybe like LB where you were head and shoulders above everyone, 
there were a lot of guys at some point got either good bonus program or travel money or yeah. But it, there was a local pro like each of those races had an expert or a pro class, right? So you make yeah. first. Money. We don't technically call it a pro yeah. class. Yeah, it was it just like A, B, C. But I mean, yeah, I mean, in South Africa, there was no rules where kids couldn't make money. I mean, from the age of like 11 onwards, I was making like $200 a week racing in prize mm-hmm. money. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and it obviously went up from there. But I mean, I was always, I was flush as a kid. It was Look good. Look at you. <laughs> there was no rules about that. You could pay yeah, kids. I was gonna say, yeah, Go collect your white so has envelope. It, has it tapered a bit? I mean, kind of like yeah. here, kind of everywhere. I am. Um, I've been back in, in the in recent years, and I, I saw it really do this. Um, the recession, I imagine, yeah. It, we didn't have the recession. The recession didn't really affect South Africa nearly as much as it did the U.S., but around that time, maybe it did somewhat, but the racing scene kind of dwindled. And then we had an issue over there where there was a, um, a split. And you know, like when Indy and IRL did that, it, it's never good, but they had this MSA Motorsport South Africa, and then another group form called WAMSA, and it was short for World of Motocross South Africa, because it's actually ZA, <laughs> not SA, is our... Uh, South Africa. Like, yeah, it's USA, we yeah. have ZA. Um, but when that happened, I think it kind of did exactly that. Diluted things, sponsors didn't know yeah. which series to help, and there's uh, only X amount of money, which is little. And the sport looked really bad. I was looking at, um, like, the 450 Pro Class, or you want to call it that. There were, last year, there was, uh, most races, it was nine riders. Yikes. And I mean, not not to get political at all, but I mean, South Africa is in a world of hurt right now. I mean, yeah. they, they are not doing great economy. I mean, the unemployment's close to 40%. That's official. I mean, Dude, unof- unofficial with all the... Uh, with all the aliens or, you know, uh, immigrants that have come in, I mean, it's got to be close to 60%. So, overall, you yeah. know, there's certain sectors of the economy that are doing very well, but overall, the, the average man is struggling. It's rough down there, huh? Yeah. It's changed quite a bit. Well, and the, yeah, the story's coming out of there about the farmers. You know, white, if you're a white farmer, whew. Yeah. It's Again, it just comes down to government corruption, right? The more corruption, the more discord and garbage is going on. And 25 years out of apartheid, I don't think the average South African is any better off than they oh, were. They're worse off. They're worse off, yeah. Dang it, man. That's crazy. And it, and, and it affects everything. So, motorcycle sales in the toilet, even luxury cars are tanking a little bit. Yeah. Is, is your family still there? Everybody, yeah. Everyone. Whole, whole family's still there. I'm the only one. Yeah, my mom always thought her baby was coming back, but is that sad? We see her a couple times a year. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, it's obviously got easier as the years have gone on. But uh, I mean, my intention was always to go back. Hey, I'm here to race, and then I'm going to go back. I mean, family is very important to me, and uh, you know, you get married, you get involved in business, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, we'll go spend yeah. six months there and six months here. And that that's, doesn't really work. Yeah, the, the roots start to grow down, and then it's yeah. like at a point, yeah. there's no pulling kids out of school. I mean, nah, you just can't. exactly. <clears throat> so. Um, at what point was there a point where you were good enough where you're like, you know what, <clears throat> I need to make a, make a run at the GPs or were you, no one had ever really looked at going just straight to the U S yeah. right. It was kind of always GPs from there. Yeah. I mean, it's just backtracking a little bit. When I was 12, as I mentioned, Mark Johnson came down and he brought a bunch of guys and I was part of team green at the time. Team green had a really good presence yeah. down there. And, uh, I remember him saying like to my dad and like, like this kid's got potential. And, you know, I was like, wow, really? You know, I mean, I had no exposure to anything else. So uh, that was like for me, okay, that's that's something that's interesting. And um, 
funny, I mean, you know, I'm not a religious guy, but I'm a, a born-again Christian and, and have a good relationship with Jesus. But uh, my mom was praying for me at, at a race, and she just felt the Lord give her a very clear vision, your son is going to be a world champion one day. This was when I was 12. Is that right? Yeah, clear as day. And uh, she told me about it, and I was like, no way. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when I started winning more and more, and, and about 14, 15, I started getting a little bit more serious about it, and we started talking about maybe looking at overseas, and yeah. Because you were basically winning everything in South Africa at the point. Yeah. You won. Uh, yeah. As you moved up, you won year yeah. after year after year. Yeah. Did you have any competition there? I mean, like, I don't say any, but who was your main competition there? Was there anybody else potentially that could go to Europe as well? Um, I mean, yeah, you're only as good as your competition, right? But, uh, I mean, there was a lot of good guys. There was a lot of fast guys. Um, I didn't see anybody that really had that little bit extra that could have gone, you know, on. Maybe, maybe they were. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. But, I mean, I, I was winning, but, I mean, I wasn't winning by miles every week. But, um, yeah. Didn't you... Didn't you battle a fair bit as a kid with like herring herring was about four or five years older than me oh, so it. yeah okay. so, no, i never so really raced against him yeah uh once i at 16 or whatever i jumped up into the seniors which you know is a open age limit and then that's when i started battling with some of the guys and they hated me absolutely hated oh, i'm me. sure had the same thing when a kid ca- well because if you're in the seniors it's usually guys at at least 18 because you got the schoolboy class. Mm-hmm. But um, I had the same thing. After he kicked everyone's ass in schoolboy, dad's like, time to move up. I'm like, yeah. I'm quite happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting my <laughs> prize money every weekend. I can fall in the first turn and still win. He's like, nope. <laughs> so did you do like a, did you ever test the waters and go over and just like try one? Well, um, was that feasible? So in when I was 12, 1995, I uh, went to England for one. They had a, a youth international event, and I actually raced against Jamie Dobb and Paul Malin. Is that right? Yeah, it was a pretty cool um, uh, event, and I can't remember how I did. I mean, I did decent. I didn't win it, but I, I on, did. On a mini bikes? Yeah, what? yeah okay. on 80s. Yeah. Yep. And then... Um, when we started getting serious, uh, there was a very good friend of ours who owned a bike shop there called Bunny Chandler, and he had uh, some ties to Europe and Germany and stuff like that. And um, we eventually, with his help, put together a little program where I went over to do uh, the Maastricht Supercross, which is in Holland. Mm-hmm. And there was four races. It was Maastricht, Pet Bercy, Paris, uh, Geneva, and then there was one other one, maybe Antwerpen or something like that. So the plan was to go over for these four races and do them and see how I did. And maybe, uh, you know, this guy that a bike dealership out of Belgium was going to provide me bikes and we'll see, you know, maybe something else comes out of it. Anyway, so I go to the, uh, I go to the Supercross race in, in, in Holland and I get second in the semifinal and I go on the start line, literally third. So we got Bale, Stanton. What? Me and Johnson. That's the order of, of lining up at the gate. <laughs> it was my first pro race ever. And I'm just like, ah. 16? <laughs> yeah, 16. And I'm like, on And the you line. had been, look, I mean, those are, you're looking up to those guys. Oh my right? God. These, we saw their bikes in the pits and we unrolled a whole roll of film <laughs> just on their stock bikes with a pipe. I mean, we were like, these yeah, guys, fans. we were awestruck. Yeah. I mean, they had their numbers on it. 
they had their numbers. Anyway, yeah. on the line, I'm like, good luck, Ricky. And he's like, <laughs> Promise you. And he's like looking at me like, who's this clown? Uh, anyway, I got take, taken out by Sean Kalos. I think I was like in fifth or something. And he cleaned me out in the cheap seats. And I, I can't remember where I finished. But it was enough for me to uh, get the attention of uh, Pat Boulon. I don't know if any of you guys remember him. I've he was, seen the name. Yeah. He was a moto, vert, moto, Overt, a yeah. review guy. Yeah, and he was yeah, also moto. tied with Oakley. And he came up to me off the race. And he gave me some Oakley goggles and stuff. And he said, I'm going to get you into Bercy next week. And I'm like, yes, because it was like invitation only. Anyway, so I went to Bercy and um, ended up, there's a picture of me in one of the magazines. I'm ahead of Jeff Ward because I think it was his last year and had a pretty good run. I mean, I can't remember my results, but I did decently. And, and it was enough to generate some interest where the guy whose bike dealership I was riding uh, with, he's like, let's put a team together. Or let's do something for next year. So that's kind of how it came about. And, and had, you, had you been riding any Supercross prior to that? Yeah, I mean, we, we had Supercross in South Africa, but it was nothing, <laughs> nothing like yeah. that. I mean, it was like, you know, a peak jump with three little tiny yeah, little yeah, things yeah. afterwards. And The know, tracks were, were not exactly well laid out. Like, when I look back at someone like Kings yeah. Park and Kings that. Kings Park, yeah. It was a, uh, like, peak. you know, like a, a stock, stock car, you know, dirt yeah. oval. Yeah. But we couldn't ride in the middle because it was a soccer field, uh -huh. so it couldn't destroy the grass. So... We basically had to go around the outside, but then yeah. they would have like this, this random jump because you had the, the barrier on the outside of the track. So they would make a jump. So you'd jump out and then ride up on the grass hill and then they'd have this like launch back into the stadium. Yeah. But like it was pretty sketchy. Like looking back, the tracks were not well done. Nah. Yeah, so that's a far cry from any of those arenas in Europe. Yeah. It's so tight and the dirt is so yeah. sticky and the the way they roll the whoops, you know, yeah, that had to be like, no, well, I mean, the straightaways were pretty long. Like you'd hit those, that finish line triple sometimes. And like, I think it was fifth gear. I remember watching the guys, cause I was just a kid. We used to go yeah. watch when they had the local supercross and that come from out of the stadium, launch in, come down the straightaway, some rollers and then hit a triple. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, it was such an eye opener. Firstly, just in awe of all the people. And then, I mean, I'll never forget the, the guys had these loud horns and they, oh, they'd uh -huh. bring in the, uh, uh, the chainsaw motors and, and the smoke. And I mean, uh, Jeff Leesk from Australia came out of the ground. And I mean, this was when Ricky came down on a hand. Yeah. It was like insane. I mean, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was Those were like the, the sweet, I think, for Bercy. Yeah. Um, the theatrics oh, that yeah. they would yeah. put into it. Now it it's like, was a real show. It was yeah. four nights. Four nights. It was, uh, uh, I think it was Wednesday, Thursday. No, Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Four nights in a row. And, and the stadium out. was packed every night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So that was sort of the trigger that got you interested yeah, so, so then, next year. well, I mean, obviously at that point, I was like, I want to turn pro. You were I mean, committed. The, yeah, I mean, I was committed. And the, and the bike dealership guy's name was Eddie Massart, and he ran a bike dealership. And he's like, okay, we can come back. Let's do the GPs. Let's do 125 GPs for next year. So I went back to South Africa, kind of rode, prepared, trained as much so as I could. you didn't really do much as far as, I don't know, bridging the gap. You didn't do a European round. Like, at least for me, I got to do like a European 125cc championship yeah no, nothing. which i felt like helped bridge the gap just a little bit because even that was a big eye yeah but so no i mean we were so we showed up in uh, in montevarchi in italy for the first gp and uh, i mean i was struggling to qualify i was right on the edge i think they took like 21 well, yeah back up real fast you're you're 16 right at this point 17 so I just turned 17 yeah and you went over alone, like I, if I remember right, didn't you? So my brother came with me, and then my mom, and my dad came with for a little bit. Then he went back, but my brother was with me as okay. like quote my mechanic. Yeah. Okay. 
But he wasn't a great mechanic. He was more just... He was a great beer drinker uh, <laughs> and great darts player. But yeah, he would work on my bike sometimes. <laughs> Filters, you know, he could work on I was going to say, once yeah. you get into that European lifestyle, the little bars there and they always put oh, the electronic darts. He loved that. He freaking never bought a drink ever because he would beat everybody. He went everywhere, darts, yeah. yeah. My dad was always at the bar and I was a kid, so I had to find something. I got really good at darts myself. So did you... Um, Prior to leaving, I mean, how, how how tough was that for you to go? Were you were you excited or were you kind of like... I was very excited, obviously. I mean, it's like, wow, whole new world ahead of me. Uh, it was very, very tough to say goodbye to everybody at the airport. Yeah. I mean, there's a picture there and I'm just like, my heart is heavy and I'm not knowing what to expect. And I mean, I was so young and naive, it's crazy. But How yeah. did that conversation go? Because obviously you're in Europe discussing things. At some point, you either have to call your parents or you fly home and then say, this is what I'm doing. Or do I have your blessing? Well, my dad, my dad came with me for the Supercross races. So he kind of was He very, was in tune yeah, with yeah, what was going yeah, on. Yeah. So he was in support of, of uh, support of everything we were doing and that. And so, yeah, he had to then pay for us to buy a truck, uh, which uh, there's a picture, a very, very ugly second-hand, maybe third-hand <laughs> diesel 608. Um, but, yeah, it was uh, it was basically just let's put this together. The guy was going to supply us some bikes and the, the – the, <laughs> I'll get into that later, but um, the challenge was he would make these bikes, and for some reason, Kawasaki wasn't supporting him at all, so he'd put pink plastics on it. I don't know why, cosmetically, I got dealt all this, this short straws with uh, Biafi and pink plastic <laughs> cowies and whatever, but anyway. And then what happens is the bike would go on the showroom on the Monday after the race, and he'd have a customer walk in, and boom, next minute, that bike's gone. Okay, well, now we've got to build a new one. Um, he was selling plastics. Your, your race bikes? He, he was selling the race bikes, yeah. So then Colin would have to put all new stuff and stock suspension. And Anyway, long story short, we go to Montevarchi for the first GP, and I'm struggling to qualify. But I just get in. I just get in and um, end up getting, uh, I think, like 15th or 18th or something. So, I mean, rude awakening, right? I'm the best in South Africa by miles, and now I'm, like, battling for 15th or 18th. It was, That's still a good, uh, good opening ride. Well, yeah. Seriously. But, it, but, but, it, you know, Absolutely. kicking the yeah. balls to go to be fighting for mid pack. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then uh, we went to uh, the next race was in Holland and uh, actually ended up was battling with Bobby Moore and I got fourth and maybe fifth uh, sand track. Right. So obviously South Africa, I was quite used to riding sand. And everything just clicked, and I kind of had a really good result that day. And uh, I think I got fourth overall, maybe fifth overall, something like that. And then third race, we go to uh, Czechoslovakia. And I, I didn't qualify because there was a bunch of cheetah Frenchies and Belgians that were cutting the track at the uh, back, literally. I'm not kidding. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That, that happened even when I you're was on, You're on the cusp of like, I mean, you know, a tenth of a second is going to make you in the race or not. And these guys found a shortcut where it kind of pivoted and they would cut off and there was no marshal there. So three guys jumped in. So I ended up being in reserve. So I didn't get to race the first race. Second race, I get dead last pick on the gate terrible start and i'm coming around and it's just dust i mean just a ball of dust and i hit this pile of tires i couldn't even see it boom over the bars break my navicular and uh, i was out for like three months maybe something like that so that was my first gp season was in the toilet but a fourth fifth that's probably again enough for them to go oh look at this kid who's this because there well, were probably still people going who the hell is this yeah guy? like 
Well, they're all well, I was a South African rider riding on a German license racing for a Belgium team. I mean, they well, went, who the hell plastics. is this? With <laughs> pink plastic, who is this clown? You're a real oh, bastard. And, and, and Tackler finished gear, which was like also as ugly as Bialfi pretty much. But. <laughs> he looked like the bike from Winners Take All. Remember the 1980s movie? It's yeah. terrible. Rick Mellon would have been proud. <laughs> Probably. So you really were not the fashionista early on. <laughs> no. Well, even <laughs> later on, I wasn't the fashionista. Hey, we saw some, uh, we saw some photos. You weren't in, in the, great of fa- the greatest of fashionists. Uh, we'll, we'll post The tucked those. in jean pants and the belt. Uh, but I guess that was acceptable back then. Dude, that was Euro style, man. So the following year then, what happened? Same team? So anyway, just to wrap up that season, we go final two races. I'm back. We go all the way to Spain and Portugal, which is like 2,500 Ks away. And uh, the one race was canceled because they had no water. There was a major drought. And then the, I ended up racing the other one. And that was it. So at that point, the... And bi- how did that last one go? Um, Just 10th, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. Nothing great. So that was it. That was a championship done. The Kawasaki guy who owned the bike dealership said, we're done for next year. It's costing us a lot of money. And I went back to South Africa with nothing. And... Um, we ended up uh, stopping at the Cologne Motor Show beforehand. Mm-hmm. I printed up these little cards, and I walked around, and I went to the DID chain thing and Renthal and freaking trying to s- drum up any support I could, and I got nothing. Mm-hmm. And I went back to South Africa, and I was like, that's it. My, so car- my career's done. You I'm thought like, it was over at that point? It started and it's finished. I mean, my dad had put a lot of money in at that point, and yeah, I don't think he was willing to yeah, front at all. So, yeah. yeah. What year was that? When you so that was the end of 1990. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went back and I was in uh, South Africa. It was summer, beautiful, and just hanging out and, and trying to figure out next steps. And next minute, this fax comes in, you know, old fax machines. And uh, it was a full-fledged offer to ride for Yonder Groot on the uh, JHK, whatever the team was called back in those days, um, with not only a mechanic to be paid for bikes, but a 10,000 guilda, Dutch guilda salary. And I was like, dude, this is like seriously a miracle from yeah. heaven. There's no question about it. Because he, uh, he had Dave Stribos for the following, no, excuse me, not, not yet, this was the next year, but um, he needed a local Dutch rider who could ride the Dutch championship to, to satisfy his Dutch sponsors. And he saw the race that I had in, in Holland, that one good result that I had, that's all. And he said, I need that guy just to race the Dutch championship. Long hair, blue eyes, we can pass him <laughs> off as Dutch. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Albertain, right? Yeah. And you, I told you, I'm yeah. a Dutchman, so you were yeah. a natural fit. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so from having absolutely nothing and being so demoralized and completely just like devastated to actually having something and an opportunity, and that was incredible. Does your mom's story or her comment to you kind of echo in your head? Well, the whole time it does, right? And then I'm thinking to myself, well, this is not happening. This is not, you know, and God often will give you a a promise or prophetic word, not for when things are going well, but through those dark times when you know you're going to come out the other side. That's when you really need to rely on those promises. Sure. Yeah. So was that that first season you only got, what, four races in? Yeah. But did you learn? Was there a lot of learning at that it, it, you know, that season, even though it was shortened. Yeah. I mean, there was a ton of learning. Um, it was probably the most lonely, depressing time of my life uh, because I was so homesick. I didn't I have the, the money way. just to fly home. Yeah. You know, you'd be living in Europe, which you don't have any friends. I couldn't really speak the language. Um, I when didn't you go to the grocery stores is a challenge because you don't yeah. even know what you're ordering or what you're grabbing. You're yeah. like, what are these ingredients? You're like, I don't freaking know. I don't yeah. speak this language. 
Were, were you in Holland? Where were you staying? I was uh, staying in Belgium. Okay. Uh, that first year, yeah. Okay. And it was just... Uh, you and your brother, and yeah. that was it? Yeah, that was it. My <clears> folks <throat> came over for a short visit, but yeah, it was primarily my brother and I. And uh, yeah, it was such a dark, such a lonely uh, time. I mean, you know, you just, you're seeing your, your dreams crumbling, and you know, everyone else is racing, and you're at home with this big old freaking <sighs> cost. Yeah, it was yeah especially hurt, right? Like, you just... <clears throat> yeah. What are we doing? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. My first year over there was was tough. I actually, said, I said on my show, I wanted to throw in the towel. Yeah. And my dad just said, no. We've come this far. Like, I know it's tough, but we're going to fight it through. But yeah. it yeah. was. That first year was really tough, but I'm so glad we got yeah. over that crest. Okay, so the following year, um, that was on Hondas? So the 1991 <laughs> season was on Hondas, yep. Okay. And that was factory stuff? Uh, no, I mean, Yonder Grote was a, <coughs> an excellent tuner. Like, he was really good at motors. He's like the Maybe Mitch. like a Mitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. kind of like a Mitch. They yeah. actually worked together when Yan went to Kawasaki. Mitch okay. and Yan used to work yeah. quite a lot together. So, at that point, I actually moved in with them uh, in Holland. So, I lived up in a little town called Apuldoorn and um, just had constant bitching from Jan's wife about South Africa and how terrible it is and how apartheid's wrong and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm just a kid here to race. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. You know, um, but anyway, I lived with them and uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a rough year from that perspective, but we started seeing some some traction and uh, and started seeing some results and that yeah was that bike good bike was good um yeah i just needed to find my footing um and we yeah as i mentioned we started seeing some some decent results uh, i was not able to go to two of the gps purely because i was south african so sweden yeah. would not allow me in and brazil would not allow me in i remember hearing that yeah what do you mean like why because of apartheid yeah so even though at that point because wasn't apartheid officially over? Yeah, no, not yet. It was apartheid 91. ended in 94. So basically, South Africa, uh, because they had implemented apartheid, I'm sure everybody knows what it is, but basically it, it takes away the rights of black people to vote, to own property. They were treated as second-class citizens, and it was like a huge segregation and discrimination back in the day. And um, so the rest of the world had viewed South Africa as like an enemy and like a mm. real just the pariah of the world. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, as it is, when I first moved to Europe, there was no EU. So if I was living in Belgium or staying in Belgium, you need a visa for Belgium. Then if you're traveling to Italy, you need a visa for Germany, then a visa for Italy. And then, to, drive through. And then to come back, often they wouldn't give you a multiple entry visa. So then you'd have to get another visa to enter and exit Germany. I'm telling you, we had two passports nonstop back and forth to all these embassies. I mean, we spent thousands of hours and thousands of dollars just getting all these visas there. And even though we applied for the Brazilian uh, visa six months before we were supposed to go, we flew to Guatemala, did the GP, and all 15 mechanics and 14 riders got on the plane and were all expenses paid go to the Brazilian Grand Prix, and I was stranded in Guatemala. Couldn't hey, Brazil go. is not one to talk about uh, atrocities going on. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Hey, that's political. Oh, well, <laughs> Brazil's great. <laughs> but, but, you know, you talk about South Africa. I think part of the problem with apartheid was, was one, it had a name. Two, it was one of the last countries that was getting away from it. I mean, if you look at what happened in Europe, you know, you know, Jews and all that. I mean, even America, we had slavery. We had, you know... Civil War. Every country goes through that, but it was like South Africa was one of the last yeah. to get out of that, if it makes sense. But it was also one of the newer countries, if it makes sense, too, because it it's not a very old country. Um, but I also think that it was also a bit of the punching bag 
when everyone wanted to do the, oh, we're yeah. so great. Oh, look at those guys. Yeah. You know, look at the South Africans. And it was like, <laughs> you know, so this poor guy's like, I'm just going to race. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Hey, I just saw that movie the other day, Lethal Weapon 2. And it just bags on South Africa like pretty <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> really? Oh, I yeah. To, I it's never pretty bad. That. Yeah. So how did that season go? Aside from those two events you couldn't go to, which is crazy to me. So that season was the turning point in my career because um, I, I would have I would have finished eighth, I think, but I ended up tied for points with Pitt Byra. Him and I were buddies at the time, and uh, we ended up tying on points. But the turning point for me was I led uh, the Japanese GP for about 10 or 20 minutes, something like that. And uh, even though Kodrowski was there, LaRocca was there, um, that was for me like... I can't do it. Yeah. I can't do it. I ended up crashing. I mean, I drug pigs and I ended up going over the bar. It was a pretty big crash, but I let it for 20 minutes and I went, that's it. I okay. know I can do it now. How was how was the rest of that season? I mean, you were racing against, uh, looking through the record books there, Trag, Pedro Tragder, Stribos, Vandenberg. Yeah. I mean, so, solid, 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 solid riders. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, uh, I think, uh, who ended up winning that year? I think it was Everts that won the championship that year, 92, 125. Yeah, I just look, is that right? Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was good. It was a huge learning curve. Well, not and, 92, no, he won 91. You mean, you know, he won 91. Sorry, this is 91. Yeah, yeah we're talking about 91. Yeah. yeah, so he won 91. Yep. Okay. Um, but I was starting to have issues with my mechanic and... Um, and things just weren't kind of jiving, and that, and that's when, at the end of that season, I went back and uh, I said to my buddy Ian, who was working as a diesel mechanic apprentice at one of the the cities, and I said, in, in, say? in South Africa, okay. yeah, I said, hey, do you want to come over and be my mechanic? And he's like, sure, let's do it, because I mean, he he had always been working on his own bikes, and he was always you know hard work and stuff. And how uh, funny is that? He went from you met him, he's asking your dad jetting advice, yeah. And then he ends up being your mechanic yeah. through your whole career. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. And to see where he's at now. Yeah. Well, running, it, running KTM. I, we've mentioned Ian Harrison on here. If you're not familiar, he, this is the story of how he got introduced to the sport and brought yeah. in. Uh, and he was with you through all your world championships, came over here with you uh, through your national championship, uh, stayed with Suzuki and kind of was yeah. really Roger's right-hand man, yeah. um, building Suzuki into what it was through all of their championships. And then he came with Roger over to KTM. And again, they're doing what they're doing over there, yeah, which is incredible. And he's now with Roger kind of stepping back. Ian's the dude. Yeah. I'm mean, so proud of him. Yeah. Man. It's I incredible. Mean, to, uh, I mean, the guy is such a hard worker and just so diligent and such, I mean, he deserves everybody. He's never credit. changed either. That's one so thing. Humble. From the day I yeah. met him when I was, I met him. And I think it was the first time I sort of really met you was at your world championship party in South Africa. Uh, I got to tag along with, remember Dick Shuttle from Castro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, I'm good with the Albertines. You, you guys can come with. And I was like, <laughs> we're going to a championship party. <laughs> I was 11 or 12, but I was stoked. I think I saw you sneak, sneaking booze at the back there, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Wouldn't doubt it. Sounds about right. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so that year you you end up top five, right? No, eighth. Oh, I eight. think I, I, tie for eighth, so I ended up with okay. the number ten plate. For but that two, last race, was, you but, were like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. What was your best result though? Um, ninety-one. Geez, I don't know. It's been a long you time. You podium. Yeah. I thought you podiumed. Somewhere. I did. I podiumed in I Switzerland for the first time, and then I podium. I think I podiumed two or three times that year. Yeah, maybe a third. I think third was my best overall result. Yeah. So then, what happened with the team? 
Stayed on the same team? So, same team, and then they decided to up their game a little bit. So, that's when they brought Dave Stribos on, uh, who was a previous world champion. And uh, 92 was an amazing year, man, because uh, obviously Ian came with me, and the very first flight he, he had ever been on in his entire life was to... <laughs> To Europe. Is that right? Yeah, and they opened the door in Zurich in Switzerland and there's snow coming in <laughs> and, and he's like freaking white knuckled and he's like, uh, I want to go home. I mean, he was seriously, I think that first year he probably wanted, he almost went home like five times. So he had yeah. never really left South Africa. No, he never left South Africa. And all of a sudden, he's get thrown in, and he's working with these you know, <laughs> challenging Dutch people. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was very challenging. But he'd be interesting on the show if we could get him on. Oh yeah, you need to get him. Yeah. yeah, you need to get him on for sure. So that next season, the '92, take us through that year. So and, um, and, and let me set this yeah. up too, because Everett's was sort of poised to be the guy, right? Yeah. Um, Not yeah. to mention, Trachter was also supposed to be. The guy. I yeah. think if if on paper, I think a lot of people would have said, well, LB would be a good yeah. teammate to this guy. Absolutely. I was in a supporting role. There's no question about it. Uh, just to go back for a second. So when I first got to Europe in 1990, right, so Everts had been given the silver spoon, father, five-time world champion. I mean, he stepped onto a full factory Suzuki at 17, and this thing was just amazing. And some of the local Belgium races, him and I were banging bars, and I actually beat him a few times in that, and it was like not sitting well. So our rivalry started early in the 90s, but I mean, he obviously jumped up and you know, won the 91 I was still trying to flounder around and figure myself out. But um, so going forward, I mean, you had Jan John Fannerberg, ex-world champion. You had Pedro Trachter. You had Dave Stribos. Uh, I mean, there was a slew of other guys that, that could win. Mm. And we go to the first race. So now the GPs are now three 25-minute motos yeah. plus two laps. Yeah, that's wild. Now, what was that? What was harder? Because... Were they 30 three, plus 2 or were you doing 40 no, they were four, 40 yeah. plus 2. Yeah. Okay. Three, three, three twenty fives plus 2 was harder because by yeah. the time you're rolling into the last motor, I mean, you're done. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, you still got a, a long race to go. But, yeah, so we go down to Jerez in Spain. And Ian, uh, we, I buy enough snacks and food and everything because we're driving the two and a half thousand kilometers down to the south of Spain now from Belgium. And I think by the time we hit the, the Spanish border, every bit of food was gone. <laughs> I mean, we had eaten the whole thing. But it was, I'll never forget those memories because we were so happy. I mean, it was like we had, we had our own van. I had a CD play I just bought. I mean, we would have had the tunes cranking. Styling. I would be cooking in the back while he was driving, and we just we had such a good time. I mean, it was just like we were on yeah. the road. I can relate to my one of my favorite years of racing was when I was a just a Suzuki support guy. Randy Lawrence was my mechanic, and we box vanned it. Yeah, we did the whole Supercross series, and I had enough money to do five nationals. And we just stayed at people's houses that we knew yeah. and found tracks to ride. But we just had I don't know something about it's you're it's kind of new yeah. to you still yeah. and. But, but you got some, you, freedom, you got some com this. comfort freedom, food yeah. around you yeah. as in the people you like. And yeah. I think that helps too. When you got people that you trust and you like, it doesn't really matter where you're going. It's yeah. just a lot better. Now, I mean, to have him as my mechanic and my best bud, it was like just amazing. Maybe too, I don't know if this was the same for you, but there wasn't, as, wasn't a ton of expectation at that point. It was like, if I did great, great. Yeah. But if not, yeah. no one's really like go, yeah. expecting well, that, me to go win. That changed quickly because I won yeah. the first GP, right? And <laughs> right. all of a sudden. Um, With know, what scores? Like, How did that first I can't remember. If, I think I won two out of the three motors, something okay. like that. But I mean, yeah, I just, for, out of my entire career, I really had two years where I was in the zone. 
and 92 and 93 were them. I, I don't think the American public has uh, had ever really seen the best of my racing or when I was really in the zone. And when I came over here, I was always on the back foot trying to. I think that was out. a little bit could be said the same for like Tortelli. Yeah, when Tortelli he, never got when to I, shine. When I when I when I was on 125 GPs, he as was a, kid, a savage over there. I watched yeah. him at some races, and I was like, "Oh my god!" But I've also seen him yeah. run down Carmichael and pass him. That's only been done maybe yeah. by one or two people. Yeah, I feel for Seb because I mean that guy. But it was is the same thing. Racer. If you come, then it's yeah. like maybe struggle or supercross or an injury here. Yeah. Things are a little bit different. Like you said, you can just be a little bit on the back foot. Well, yeah, and it's it, our seasons are just long or short enough and our off season is just too short to where if you get hurt in one or the other mm. it's gonna carry over it's like a you massive I mean? hangover yeah you can't really get clear of it mm. i mean the only year i ever came out of the supercross series healthy was the year i won the championship yeah. that was the only time out of six years okay so go back to this season yeah. you win the opener what Wait. was the reaction from like Wait. the everts and the Jerez? that was real quick because donations was up on the on the hill if I remember correctly, didn't they build the track like on the actual road yeah. course? Like yeah. you guys jumped over yep. the guardrails yep. as well. Yep. I remember thinking, what a crappy yeah. track for a GP. And we would always see the magazines. I'm like, wow, look at this place. Wow, look at this place. That was actually a fun track, though. I mean, yeah, you're right. It looked you, like you crap did on go TV, though. Over the asphalt, but then you'd go up into the hills and there was some big air jumps coming down. And it was pretty fun. Good, good crowd, too. Yeah, they like their motorcycles. And yeah. So, was your team. Obviously, that what probably wasn't expected. So, what were they saying to you? No, they were very, very pumped. Now, the team owner, uh, Jan, was kind of like neutral, but his wife definitely wanted Dave to win. There was no question <laughs> about it. I mean, she was definitely a fan of his. He was Dutch and everything else. So, but I tell you, I mean, my riding that year elevated so much because Stribos and I were, we, every time we rode, we were like neck and neck and just elevating each other's game. And if he got a quicker time than me, I mean, Europe, you know, it's all about lap times, right? Mm. And I would go out and I'd beat his time and then he'd beat mine. And I mean, we were just constantly raising the bar. I mean, it was phenomenal. It was amazing. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really a silver bullet right there that not a ton of people take advantage of oh. because they're too proud. Mm. Uh, I think that's a big part of why Alden's successful. You're right. Because he's got his guys down there doing motos together. And even if you gap them a little bit, they're watching each other. Yeah. And they don't want to get dropped. Yeah. So everybody's pushing 100% every day they ride. I was going to say, during the week, instead of 85 90%, it's more like 95 to 100 yep. day in, day out. And then once you get used to that, coming on race day, when you have to pick it up, you're not out yeah. of control or out of breath or anything like that. I also see more injuries out of that too, though, right? Because you're taking a lot bigger chances during the week. Not necessarily. I mean, I don't know. That old saying, I agree and disagree. Yeah. Perfect practice makes perfect, right? I mean, you can go out there and ride at 85% all day long. And all of a sudden, now you're at 100 on race day. Now you're on the back foot trying yeah. to up your game, right? If you're used to practicing at that fine line of and and your game is being elevated and that's your the way you used to it you're comfortable at that speed yeah because you can always make a mistake and crash yeah. but at that speed yeah. at that effort yeah. you are a hundred percent focused i, was gonna say, yeah. I feel yeah. like you crash less because you're so in the zone when yeah. i was when i was pushing myself the most i never fell during the week or on race day it always seemed to be the other times when you were thinking too much about yeah you know i'll have an easy day today or i'm just doing motos and then something would happen yeah, but it seemed like every time you were, because I think when you're on the edge, you're so focused because you know you're on the edge and you're worried about a mistake that it actually usually doesn't happen. What did Ian say? I mean, was he like? <laughs> I gotta imagine that. I'm your lucky him. charm. Where's my pay increase? <laughs> well, for him, that had to be like 
well, he's I mean, coming yeah. over to this new place, he's, yeah. and then he just goes and wins a GP. Like, man, it had to be crazy for him too, right? It was crazy. I mean, I think, um, you know, Ian doesn't say a lot, and he doesn't express a lot of emotion, but I think it was huge for him, and he was just like, this is incredible. And yeah. um, I think it obviously put pressure on him, because now, hold on a second, you know, this is <laughs> yeah, not just, say. we're not just the European fun tour. I mean, we're here to, you know, serious, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so. yeah, now he's going, shit, my guy's leading the world championship. Yeah. yeah. Tighten that ball yeah, three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100% right. So how'd the rest of that season unfold? Uh, it was a great season. Um, I mean, you know, we was, I was listening to an interview about being in the zone. And I had a few races that year. But I'll never forget Czechoslovakia, three motos. I mean, I could literally feel the track. I could feel every little bump, kind of like Ricky was talking about that. I mean, I did not make a mistake the entire day. It was just like perfect every landing is spot on i mean it was just amazing but uh ended up um uh we were going to the final two races was brazil and japan and the brazilian grand prix got cancelled so i'm in the lead at this point and it got the the gp got moved to holland and everybody's like oh so i think it was stribos and tractor were, were second and third at we're the also time. really good sand riders phenomenal sand yeah. riders, the best i mean literally the best in the world sand riders and um we ended up uh, going there, and I think I got a flat in the one, but I won two or something like that. I really came out of there with good uh, good points, but I needed one point to clinch the championship. Mm. I was 59 points ahead, uh. and we had to go to Japan. So I had to wait three weeks now oh, to clinch geez. the championship. But it was really wait, cool. When you said 59-point lead, was that because they paid 20 points per moto? Yeah, 20 points for a win, 17. Okay. 15, so they didn't come back to an overall of... No. 50, no. 44 or something. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Huh. That changes a lot. Like yeah. you said, because a lot can happen. You get more chances for something to go bad yeah. in three motos. Huh? Yeah. So anyway, I had to wait three weeks, but was very happy to have my folks over there. And I mean, obviously won the championship in, in 92. First moto. Uh, yeah. First moto. Yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. Just like. Which is always good when Honda's there and. Yeah. It had to be backyard. great for your team, right? It was insane. I mean, just, you know, for me as, as a person to, again, be the first person ever out of Africa to win a world championship, it was like, yes, we can do it. Yes, we did it. I mean, that I lived, I mean, the fuel that drove me was the thought of coming back through the airport doors at South Africa and celebrating with my friends and knowing freaking we've done it. I mean, it was insane. I mean, I would literally eat, sleep, dream, envision that all the time. I mean, that was what was driving me. But it was crazy. I've told Ping before, but for that generation that was, you know, myself, 10, 10 odd years behind you, even for us, it was like, not, we think a Slavering could win. Yeah. It's like, it just seemed like it's tangible. Like, yeah, you paved it, the road. It, it really, it really pumped up a bunch of yeah. kids without you probably realizing that were like, there's a pathway, you know, there's a, yeah. a, 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 a pathway to completion. So it was, it was really cool for us even when, when that happened. Like yeah. it really inspired the, the whole motocross community. Yeah. It was pretty sweet. Did you ever talk, to your, talk, talk to your mom, like, after that about what she said to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, you know, we lived it, and, yeah, I mean, I, I literally got on my knees, and thank God, and I <laughs> said, you know, promises are true, man, and, yeah, it was amazing. That's crazy. Um, any, anything else stand out from that year? Anything wild or weird? Because um, didn't you have to do the Dutch well, championship as well? I did need to do the Dutch championship, Did you yeah. win it? I think I won it twice. 
first time they gave it to me, and the second time they changed the rules. You had to be a Dutch citizen oh, to right. win it. Yeah, because I they, remember hearing that. <laughs> They were getting upset. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, I mean, as crummy as that was to do an extra five race series, it was great practice because you're yeah. riding in thick sand, and uh, it was really good. It seems like the Dutch champ championship is something that, like, a lot of guys that come from other countries, not in Europe, Cairoli, yeah. end uh, up riding it. They, they, they end up basing themselves yeah. in Belgium, like near Lommel, which is, like, literally quick drive to Holland. And, GL, you did it too, right? Uh, my first year I was based in Belgium as well, and then I rode for Champ KTM, which was a Dutch team. Mm. And I only moved, I think, when I went from Hasselt in Belgium to where I was in Holland, I think it was 40 or 50 miles. Yeah, that's it. So people are like, oh, you switched countries. How was that? I'm like, oh, we drove from there. Same, there. same yeah. language. So yeah, what is it much. about that championship that kind of everybody does or kind of? Well, I mean, in Italy, there's just mainly hard tracks. I mean, right. when I first got there, you knew that the Italians were going to suck in the in the sand, and they were going to be really good on hard pack. I mean, that was just a fact. And then, yeah. obviously, Carioli and these guys realized if they want to win more championships, so, they yeah, can change exactly. It. So, to answer your question, Donnie, it was the guys. If you want to be world champion, you had to be a good sand rider. You had to be good at hard pack, mud, and sand. Mm. Like if you couldn't do all three, there was slim chance. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So. This this always stood out to me that, you know, you you didn't have a ton of years on. You, you know, you're still pretty green. You win this championship, which was wild, and then you just move up to the 250 class. Hmm. Yeah. W I, was there any, uh, first of all, what team, how did that come about? But, like, was there, were you ever going, eh, maybe I should hang back and just defend it for a year, get a little bit more? experience i mean so as an as an individual myself the what t makes me tick is is new opportunities looking for something new i mean i take my hat off to guys that can say and stay in the same class or win a championship over and over yeah. and over again i'm not that guy i've got to be looking for something new something different new goals yeah, yeah. I, i'm just wired that way so um so I can't remember the exact reason or whose idea it was, but at that point, the 500 GPs were going away. And it was going to kind of be like a second, sort of more like a European class. So the 250s for 93 was the premier class. 125s was kind of taking a diminishing role, and the 250s was going to take the prominent role. I mean, my gosh, 93 was stacked. I mean, you had everybody from Trampus Parker, Alex Buzar, Donnie Schmidt, Stefan Evitz, Kurt Nickel. Uh, I Bollet, mean, was Bollet racing? Or he, that was, he was younger. He was, was maybe a little bit behind. He was a rookie, I think, that year in the 125s. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but I mean, completely stacked. Was, was Pitt still racing? Yep. Pitt was racing, yeah. Did he move up as well, didn't he? Hmm. Anyway, thick, uh, so, so talking yeah. about pits, so uh, we used to, uh, you know, South Africa summer in, in December, and uh, Pitt would often, so 92 and 93, he showed up, and 94, he would show up in South Africa, we were buddies at that time, and he'd come down and he'd have Suzuki ship him a bike or whoever it was, and uh, he would come train and we would just do laps. I mean, our whole thing was laps, China, laps, and we just got to put in the time. Laps, China. Laps, China, laps. laps. <laughs> and we would make this corner track uh, just down the road from me and uh, my buddy Daryl Atkins from New Zealand. Uh -huh. If you remember Daryl, yeah. he would come down there. And, uh, I mean, it was a three-minute lap time. And eventually, I mean, you were so on rails. I mean, you'd come into these corners with a rut that's 40, 50 feet long, and you didn't even have to look. You were just, I mean, just so in tune with your bike yeah. that corner speed was phenomenal. I mean, and that would tee us up for the GPs. But Pitt was always so pissed off because, you know, we'd go partying the night before and have a good time and... <laughs> 
you know, I'd get up at like 10 and whatever, you know, needed my beauty sleep. And he had already gone for like a one-mile swim, a four-mile ride, and then he was ready to go riding. He's like, come on, let's go riding. So when I beat him in the GPs, he was just so fired up because he put in so much time and mm. effort and, yeah. The pit bull. The pit bull. Yeah, pit buyers who we're talking about, if you're not familiar, he's KTM general he's manager of all racing. racing. Yeah, yeah he pretty racing. much. He spends more time at MotoGP now because yeah. obviously that's their kind of main focus. But, but funny, he brought me this case of Red Bull. This was 1992. He brings this case of Red Bull. I'm like, what is this stuff? Oh, terrible, you know? And this was obviously Red Bull in its fledgling days, just yeah. getting off the ground. He was buddies with the owner at Did the time. Did it taste the same back then? Probably. Huh. What, was he, he knew the owner? I mean, they're Austria, yeah. Austrian yeah. company, right? Yeah. Did he ask you to buy in? And you're like, eh... I don't think so. Uh, Can you imagine? <laughs> Could I? Yeah. Wouldn't have that been nice? Uh, that's yeah. not going to go anywhere. <laughs> that and computers, what a waste of time. Yeah. You guys are stupid. <laughs> yeah, next thing they're telling us, we're going to use email to do everything. <laughs> What's this internet crap? Yeah, I'm going to just mail my uh, envelope. So where did you wind up in 93? Uh, it wasn't the same, same team. Was. Same team, yeah. So the same okay. same team. and Same uh, title sponsor. Same title sponsor. JHK. Yep. Yep. Did Honda come in with a little more support at that point? So a little bit. I think they gave us a, a crank or two. <laughs> and, no, I'm serious. That's a little support. A crank or two, and then uh, show uh, helped us out with some factory suspension. Were, were the factories involved over that? I thought they were. So Suzuki had a factory with Sylvain Gaburs. Yamaha had a factory team with uh, Michele Renal Rinaldi. Rinaldi. Uh, Honda was kind of dabbling with uh, the British guys a little bit, maybe the Castrol Honda team. Yep. Uh, that was when Rob Herring was Herring racing was for there. them. Um, who were we missing? Cowie. Trying to think who Cowie had. Was it Jan at that point? No, he because went, uh, no, he's with oh, this Jan is Jan's Honda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jan yeah. switched to Cowie. I think actually Cowie were a little bit in no man's land for a while. Mm. Jackie Vaman was still racing then. What what team was he on? No, he had been retired a long point. time. He'd already retired? Yeah. He did? Yeah, I thought he didn't. He get hurt. Badly? He got hurt really bad. Yeah, he, he, in Geneva Supercross, they were lowering the rope, him down. Rope broke or something. They like were that. lowering yeah. him down, and he fell, and it yeah broke his leg real bad. Ugh. Yeah. All right. So Jeez. same team. You're still. It blows me away. You're still on like. I mean, is it basically a production bike? Production bike, fully. Yeah. I mean, full production with a little bit of suspension and Jan's a bit of tuning. Jan's a good tuner, yeah. right? So okay. Yeah. Um, so. 93, you're in the 250 class. Take us through that year. So we go to Italy, Mont... No, no, no. What, 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 first yeah. of all, preseason. You're yeah. going out, you're riding, you're riding with other people. Yeah. Did you do Where do you think you're going to fit in? I mean, you, you're a rookie in the in the big class now. Yeah. Like. I, I thought I was going to do pretty well, and I love that bike, man. That 93 CR250 was phenomenal. Yeah, that was a good bike. It was so good, man. Yeah. And the power was good. And yeah, we'd done quite a bit of preseason testing, but I, I didn't know where I was going to fit. I mean, you got... 10 new guys in the in the series, you know, that you've never raced against before. And, and I didn't know where I was going to be. So we go to the first GP in Italy. It's raining. It's muddy. And they tow you in. <laughs> I remember those and, days. I'm, and I've been towed out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the track was fine. Um, but I uh, the first moto, I ended up getting fourth. And I came in. I said, Ian, my brake, every time you pull it, it's hitting the little nut here on the throttle assembly. I had no front brake the entire race. If you fix that, I promise you I'll win. And he tweaked it and he fixed it and I won the next two motos and I knew and I mean in my entire career the 93 season I just kicked ass it was it was amazing you know when you're in that sweet spot you're so confident I mean you just 
um, I messed with my competition a lot uh, mentally. I mean, everybody was very serious and stoic uh-huh. in Europe. And then I'd walk down to the pits, hey, how's it going, man? And, you know, like, my China, my China. How's it, boys? <laughs> Let's go bang bars, you know. And they were like, especially Everts. I mean, I had him worked after a couple of weekends. I, I have to tell you my quick story because when I, when I went to Europe, I, my first year as a rookie, I rode for Harry Everts. Oh, wow. So when we went to Jerez and south of Spain in the winter and testing and all that, I got to, to know Everts, and I was just a kid that was all fired up, and I realized pretty quickly, because every story I had was, yeah, my boy Elvie, my boy Elvie, and eventually he, he looked at me, stopped me mid-sentence, and he goes, I don't know if you know, but he goes, I, I don't like that guy. And I was like, what do you mean? Was He's this the coolest Harry guy. Stefan? Stefan. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's the coolest guy. Oh, dude, the, dude, the guy can ride. And all of a sudden, Stefan's just looking at me like, shut this kid up, please. <laughs> so you guys- but anyway, I got to learn pretty quickly. Yeah. He never said anything like that. He wasn't like, I hate him. or yeah. He was just like, uh, like basically, yeah, I could tell you got under his skin. They hated me with a passion. I mean, it's like this this clown from Africa comes and he's waxing them. I mean, it was well, and your your personality, like you just said, that's you. You're down there, kind of smiling and laughing, yeah. a little bit loud. And they are serious. And they're very just serious, yeah, very yeah, stoic, like, yeah, focusing yeah. on the gate. But it, it was pretty funny though. I was like, okay, enough with the LB comments. Just, <laughs> let's talk about euros. It's not doing me any good. Yeah, yeah. It's not winning me any fans. Let's talk about techno music. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Gin and some German raves. So, I mean, the rest of that year, you you just kept killing it. Uh, yeah, you, you mentioned it like you kind of had him just. Yeah, no, he was, I mean, Everts was and is a phenomenal rider. I mean, probably one of the most talented guys ever to set foot on a a motorcycle. Um, But he had his limits. And if you pushed him beyond, he wouldn't go beyond his limits. So if you upped the game, he couldn't go beyond his limits. Mm. And then if you got in his head, he was completely toast. And, and you, I did. I got in his head real quick. You and, had some rent I, fee, rent-free real estate up there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I, yeah. They they did not like me. So, how many races did you win out of that season? Was that now? Were you still doing three motos that year? Three motos, yeah. uh, three twenty-fives plus two. Um, I can't remember how many I won, but uh, I mean, I dominated the season. I think I won maybe eight GPS or nine GPS out of the fifteen. Yeah, it was about half, mm-hmm. if I remember. Yeah. And your fitness was obviously good. Yeah, no, I mean, super fit, and yeah, just, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a. It what was did you one do? What did you do for fitness? I mean, uh, laps, China, laps. <laughs> um, I always would uh, do more than what I needed to. So whenever I'd go practicing, I'd be doing like 330s or 335s, and I mean, hard. But I mean, know? like, did you do a lot, much off the bike at that so point? So I did have a trainer in, in Europe. His name was Garrett, and um, yeah, I mean, he used to, he was good because I knew nothing about like physical training yeah, off yeah. the bike and that, and he was pretty good. Um, and would like really get me, you know, to do some lot of sprint training kind of thing, you know, with you know, bicycle yeah. and you know, yeah, thirty second intervals, high intensity interval stuff. Yep. So what what did that championship feel like to win that one? I mean, amazing. I mean, again, the best year of my career, probably in the sweetest and freaking on top of the world and confident and yeah, really, really good. We, we had a, uh, we had Carmichael on not too long ago and he, and he talked about his, during all his runs, he was driven by fear. Mm, like he, was, him, yeah. he was afraid of losing and that's what yeah. motivated him to work hard. Yeah. And I, I don't, you know, does that resonate with you at all? You sound like you were, you're con- you know, like most athletes, you think they just, through hard work and through success, you you build this confidence mm. where you just believe in yourself so much. Yeah. 
So to hear him say it, it wasn't really that. It was like, I'm just scared of losing. Yeah. I thought that was really odd. I um I do resonate a little bit with what he was saying. I mean, I, I never operated in fear. I was like always afraid because I did. I really had a lot of confidence. I mean, I'd go down to the line and high five everybody and know that I was going to kick everybody's butt. Um, but I, I didn't, I, yeah, I am afraid of failure. I hate failure. Yeah. And, uh, and then most of us are, yeah. I mean, to think of, you know, the, the, the one championship that hurts me is the one I got second in, in 1998 to Doug Henry, because I wasn't like injured or completely missed it. I mean, I missed it by mm. a little bit and that sucks because it's like, frick, I was so close, you know? But you won the 250 championship. Right. That's what she said. Just Henry won, won the 400. He won the 400. That's right. Yeah, yeah it was. The AMA one. doesn't see it that way. No, but of course. We'll not. give it to you. <laughs> you were the first 250. Well, that was also that period in our sport where we've seen it where they try to make rules and they think it's fair. I mean, I remember because when, when, when I first moved, moved over, we were teammates, KTM, yeah. and Yamaha came with the 250F. And they. You know, people involved are like, dude, a 250 four-stroke is such a heavy pig. Yeah. You're thankful you're on that yeah. 125. <laughs> then we're seeing the guy seat bouncing out of the corner doing stuff <laughs> at Anaheim and all that. We're like, yeah, I'm not too sure about this two-stroke yeah, thing. Yeah. And then, like, overnight, it was just yeah. – and I think people realize, oh, wow, four-stroke four technology has come a long way from where it was yeah. in the 70s or whatever. Well, when he's four bike lengths ahead of you going into Down the, the first corner straight. at Redbud and you're like, dang. We this? had the same thing in 01. <laughs> I remember it was yeah. Kelly Smith, Larry Wall, anyone on the 250F, yeah. Fonseca, Ramsey, and then the rest of yeah. us. I remember in the in the 80s, they used to have the four-stroke nationals, and Ricky Johnson raced a TT um, 600 for, like, ProTech. And he said, if you could make a four-stroke lighter, it would destroy a two-stroke. And I thought to myself, that guy's crazy. What's he talking about? And it's like, well, I guess he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. yeah. Heck, yeah, for sure. He knew. So... You and Everett never really got along then. You know, I didn't have a problem with him. I just, you know, I wanted to wax him. Um, he, yeah. You're just competitors. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, I think he's a good guy. I really feel for him what he's been through. And, oh, yeah. my gosh, really sad to hear. But good guy. Um, yeah, he was just born with every opportunity given to him, you know, on a silver platter. And I had to really work my way up. And that's probably why they hated me so much, mm. the group. But like you said, it's just, it's racing. Yeah. Because knowing... The, the, the Everts family and knowing yeah. yourself, they're good people. You're a great yeah. dude. But when you're competitors, you don't see it that way. You're like, yeah, yeah. this guy's a bit of a tool. Or this guy's yeah. this. Or that guy's that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you talked to him ever much since you've left? Uh, a couple of times. Not yeah. too much. Yeah. A couple of times. Well, you don't really go there and he doesn't come here that much. Yeah. So it's don't really cross yeah. paths, I guess. Yeah. Do you ever, looking back, I'm jumping way ahead here, but... The way you, you came to the U.S., your career went this way. Do you ever think, man, if I would have stayed in Europe, how many world titles could I have won? I know for a fact I could have won probably 10 world titles. Um, again, what I mentioned to you earlier, I'm not that guy. I yes. am not motivated to win the same thing over yeah. and over again. I'm looking for new challenges. That's just how I'm wired. Just no motivation? You just you wouldn't be able to put your heart into it? Or what? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I could put my heart into it if I really wanted to, but to me, it's like, what what else is out there? What mm. else can we try and achieve? What else mm. can we try and accomplish? I got That's a, admirable. I want to ask, um, just because it was always someone that I was interested and intrigued by, and I remember you said one day he was a great guy, but tell us a little bit about Donnie Schmidt. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. So Donnie, um, LB raced with him, and you guys yeah. knew each other pretty well. I was actually pretty good friends with him in 1990 because uh, he was doing the GPs. Then he was on Sylvain Gabour's factory Suzuki team, and I mean, I was starstruck. You know, I'm trying to struggle to qualify, and this guy's got a full factory. I mean, it was just it was surreal to look at the equipment and the team and everything else. And um, but I mean, he was nice enough. I, I became pretty good friends with him and his wife, and. Uh, yeah, just good guy, and he he started giving me tips. I mean, he'd hold his close uh, uh, cards close cards to his chest, close yeah. to his chest, but it, but he would start giving me tips and that, and uh, yeah, just good guy, hardworking, and I mean, super talented for sure. I miss him. Yeah, I, I went to his funeral. Did you? Yeah, that'd be a tough one. Yeah, especially the tough. way it all happened. Crazy. I mean, it seemed like it was unexpected, it was very sudden. Quick. Yeah, yeah. did he collapse in an elevator or something? I don't remember the details, but yeah, it was very quick. I mean. Within months, he was gone. Something actually just popped up on my YouTube feed where of him riding on an old frozen lake bed, and they built a We're going riding. They built a supercross track, and he cut a hole in the ice, and he's fishing, oh, and, I I and he pulls it out, and he goes, "We're going riding." I remember <laughs> that. that. I just saw him. He's like got a set of whoops made out of snow, yeah, ice. Just, <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. Minnesota, man. That was one of the old. What was it, Terraforma? I don't remember. I Is that what it's from? Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, I I watched. I used to love watching those. They were fun. <laughs> so, this is, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment, obviously. Were people over in Europe, you, you kind of mentioned, obviously, Everton, his camp were not super impressed. But, <laughs> but were, what was the general consensus of the, the paddock? Were like, they happy for you? Were you, were I, you sort of like an outcast? I was well liked with most of the riders. Um, you know, there was times in the championship where I would come up to a guy and they knew I was leading and whatever, and they'd literally move over and let me go by, even like some stiff competition. So I, I was definitely pretty well liked and, you know, just personal and, hey, we're out here to have fun kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but very serious, obviously, about winning. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so so the you didn't have a lot of enemies, just you and yeah. Everett sort of butted heads yeah. because he was expected to win. Exactly, and you were really pissing him off that way. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much what it came down. That's that's even the gist I got from okay. their side. Yeah. So I think this is an interesting story. Um, you you originally wanted to come to the U.S. for '94, correct? Explain all that because it went sideways. So uh, probably halfway through the season. Um, we, I think we came to Bud's Creek maybe or something like that. And, yeah. um, and I somehow ended up chatting to Dave Arnold through, who was the team manager of Honda at the time. And he said, yes, we'd absolutely love you to come over and race with us. And he got the balls in motion. And I think he, I can't, yeah, he faxed me a contract or mailed it to me, whatever it was. It was literally carrier pigeon. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, Message in a bottle. Yeah. It was a contract to come and race for American Honda in the 94 season. Supercross and motocross, and I'll never forget it was three hundred fifty thousand dollars. It was a hundred thousand more than I was making in Europe, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm all in." So we had the final GP of this the. This is before you'd even won the title. They were they were interested. Yeah, way I mean, I was you know I won the title. I think two races before the end. Um, but we the last race of the year was going to be at uh, at uh, Suzuka Circuit in Japan, mm-hmm. and Dave said at that point we'll sign the contract. And uh, make it all official. Japanese officials will be there, and everything else will. will Honda, Japan Honda officials will be there. We'll make it official. So I said, "Great." So I told my team. I said, "Hey, just you know, love you guys. We've had a great couple of years together, three years together. But I'm going to Europe. I mean, I'm going to the states to race." So at that point, um, they said, "Okay," and they ended up signing Evitz. 
And uh, we go to Suzuka Circuit, and I sit down with Dave, and he's got this white look on his face. Like, he looks like he's just seen a ghost. And I'm like, Dave, what's up? He's like, I cannot sign that agreement with you. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I just spoke to the, well, I just got news from the Japan Honda bosses, and they said, you're winning championships in Europe on a private team that they're not supporting at all for Honda. Why should they now pay you to come and race in the States when they've got McGrath over there? We can't, I cannot, I'm not allowed to sign this contract. I was like, what? He said, yep, deal's done. And uh, I walked out of the meeting and I went, Phew. so I went back to Jan and he's like, I can't do anything. I've, um, you know, I've already signed Everts, our budget's committed, everything else. So now I'm without a ride, world champion. And that's also when, but Jan also switched to Kawi that year. Well, this came a little later. This okay. came a few months later, yeah. So I, I explored a little bit with... Um, uh, a couple other teams, Yamaha, I think I spoke to Keith, and maybe uh, Cowie. Um, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but there was some shenanigans going on with the uh, team manager at Cowie at the time that wanted some uh, if he signed me and that kind of thing. Probably just wow. threw him under the bus already. Huh? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to think who it was then. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. I know who it was. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so nothing really kind of resonated. And um, all of a sudden, uh, I was now without a ride. And Sylvain Gaburs, who obviously now I just lost Everts for the factory Suzuki, and also Michele Rinaldi, uh, I think uh, Donnie was done for the following year or something like that. So neither of them had a, a rider. So they both discussed things together. And they said, we're both going to give him the same offer, all-inclusive, 250 grand a year, gear included and unfortunately it was both <laughs> Biafi. So this is where the Biafi story starts. Beefy, Biafi, whatever. Beefy. So no matter who I went with, um, it was both going to be a Biafi for the 94 season. So what, why did you choose Suzuki? Um, well, I knew Sylvain just a little bit um, and his operation and he was really good and nice. Um, also ge geographically. Geographically. He was in Belgium. I was already living in Belgium. Rinaldi is Italy. 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 Yeah. It's quite a trek. Quite a trek. You know, yeah. nobody in Italy spoke English at that time. It must be like signing for one team, you stay in SoCal, or the other team, you go to North, North Carolina, Carolina or yeah. Texas, you know. Yeah. So, anyway, I made the decision to go with uh, with Sylvain and, um, yeah. So, we also think we might have some clarification from when we had Lammy on the show. And Lammy said Honda got all weird and tried to get rid of him to clear up space for some European guy. And we're pretty sure now we figured out it was for Elby. And then when yeah. Dave Arnold couldn't do it, they signed Lammy. Do you remember that? Yeah. I when do he had that. an agreement, then they tried to shun him and said, look, we got to create budget. And, uh, and remember, I said, I got a feeling, I think I know a little bit of the story. And it was because they thought they were going to have him. Hmm. Kind of goes back to a little bit what we were talking about earlier with Honda. They don't seem to take care of their champions. I mean, they didn't do it with McGrath. They didn't do it with Rossi. They didn't do it with me winning championships over there. Obviously, didn't do it with Ricky. Didn't do it with Ricky. A few, several people. Even with Tomac. You know, when he was winning on Honda, I just felt like they didn't really make an effort to keep yeah. it. Yeah. No, you're right. Like yeah. It's not like Cowie had all this extra budget or whatever. It just seemed to me like Cowie said, we'll do whatever it takes to make you mm -hmm. happy. And it just, I don't know. I, I might be missing something. But but I think Honda's, when, when they became very strong in the, you know, the 80s and that, I think they got a little too arrogant, and, and there's people that will tell you that 
Honda would say, well, it's not you that won. It's our bike won of that course, championship. Yeah. You know? And I think that didn't resonate with some people very well either. So what didn't resonate too well with me was at Suzuka Circuit, uh, the pre-race party. Um, they uh, welcome us all there, and the, the Japanese Honda boss gets called up. He says, we have a special announcement. Because um, one of the deals I'd made with them is, like, if I win the championship, you got to let me ride a Honda NSX car around the Suzuka circuit a few uh. times. So they let me do that, and then the guy says, we want to present you with the car you drove today. I'm like, what? I'm going to get a Honda NSX. Guy pulls his little car out of his pocket and gives it Shut to me. Up. In front of all my peers and uh, fellow racers and that. Yeah, it gives me this little rinky-dink car. Was that like a little cheap shot, you think? Or what? Was uh, he, do you think that was funny? A joke in bad taste, maybe? I don't know. But yeah, I thought it was pretty cheesehole. You should have just went, <clears throat> thrown it. I was very gracious. You're a classy guy. You're a classy guy. No, he's a South African. He drop kicked the shit out of that thing. (laughs) Yeah, he politely took Uh, it, left, and then (laughs) took a crap on it later at the hotel. Okay, so how did that next year go then? Oh, my gosh. That was a fighting for my life. Well, You know what it reminded me a little bit of was when, when MC left Honda, when things didn't work out and he had to try and, oh, this wasn't planned and, you know, it seemed to me like I remember hearing like you guys were behind the eight ball a little bit. Yeah. No, I mean, Evett's riding style and mine are worlds apart. I mean, and that bike, you know, he'd been on it for three years. That bike was set up for him. Mm -hmm. So even though off season kind of went pretty well, I mean, we got all this factory stuff sent from Japan. And at the end of the day, once the season started, I was like, holy smokes, we're in big trouble here. Really? really big trouble. Yeah, I mean, I was getting waxed. I couldn't ride the thing. I mean, it was just so soft, the suspension, and it was really bad. So, I actually had to fly my dad out, um, and I said, Dad, I need your help. I need you to come out. And Ian, he was tagging along with you? He's Ian was testing, it. yeah, at the time. But, I mean, again, you know, you got all this Japanese stuff that they want to put on, and this is the best. This is the best. And it may have been the best for Steph and it wasn't the best for me. So yeah. my dad came over and we just tested. I mean, we tested for weeks and weeks and weeks and uh, finally got it to the point where we could actually ride the thing. And uh, that uh, race in Ernie in France, Ernie, yeah. that was a turning point for us because I think they were back to two motors at that point. Yeah. But I ended up winning the Two forties, I think they went back to, right? Yeah, something like that. So you didn't look comfortable on that bike at the beginning. I wasn't. If you go look at 93 <laughs> on the Honda, yeah, you looked very comfortable. Yeah. Like you... You, you rode the bike. Uh, so I watched some footage from 94, and there were times, even just like over some of the jumps, you were coming up, yeah, and then like, it was, yeah, was stabbing really the brake. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like you weren't. You can watch you, a guy you, and tell exactly, they're uncomfortable. Yeah. When they're not 100% in tune with their bike. I was so in tune with their 93 Honda and the 94. It was like I was riding a tractor. <laughs> like so Well, different. you notice, you tell it in a guy's style, because when he's comfortable, you ride yeah, up forward yeah. more, right? Because yeah. yeah. there's no hesitation right. about what yeah. it's going to do, yeah. right? Tentative and guys are more like this. Yeah, you notice you're you're off the back a little more. Yeah, I I do a lot of with with Vital. I'm doing a lot of bike tests, and if I get on one and it's just I'm not feeling it that day, I can totally tell I'm like yeah. straight armed. You know, a lot of clutch. Yeah, the rear brake. <laughs> well, that's why do you think in Supercross I was always like this? I mean, I was never comfortable in Supercross. You needed longer ever. arms. Huh? Jeez, <laughs> get me yeah. further back if I can get there. So even at the best that you guys had that bike, it wasn't as good. You weren't as comfortable on it as you were your home. No, before. not even close. I mean, we got it to the point where I could ride the thing and, and could win some races. But the turning point of that career. So so once I turned things around, I started putting some, some, some successive wins in there and started really doing well. And I had a 35-point um, lead going into Lommel 
I remember this one. Who, who else was winning GPs? Uh, Everett, was Evans? Evans, Evans okay. was second at the time. They so, I mean, he, he should have won that championship hands down. I don't know why he didn't. But anyway, probably because I was in his head. Didn't he also break his collarbone? Though, he did break his collarbone, yeah. Yeah, kind of neutralized my two DNFs out. But anyway, so we go to Lommel. And come to find out a couple years later, the ECU unit on the bike, apparently if there's power lines nearby, it got affected. So the whole weekend, I was struggling, man. I'm like, Ian, this bike is not running right. I mean, it's it's running, but it's like running at probably 91% as opposed to 100%. And I'm just, you know, Lommel is super deep sand, like three feet deep, huge bumps. And I'm just riding the wheels off this thing the whole time. So anyway, first first moto come in, first corner crash, get caught up in a pileup. I come from dead last. I think I'm in fourth place. On the last lap, I run out of gas. Oh. And I'm not I'm not close to the finish line. I'm like half a lap you can't from push the finish line. No, yeah, yeah. You can't push it 10 feet there. So I'm like, you have got to be joking me. So anyway, next moto, I think they put a slightly bigger tank on or something like that. Well, didn't they? Um, I think what they would do a lot of times is they would they would try and heat, heat them up, up and, and then blow it out. Yeah, but this pressure. was aluminum tank. Oh. Yeah, it was aluminum. So I think they had one that was slightly bigger. And, I mean, they changed. I kept saying, the bike's not running properly. The bike's not running properly. Anyway, same deal. First corner crash. I get up. I charge. And I think I'm like third maybe. Something like that. Same deal. Run out of gas on the last lap. Halfway through. Half, half a lap to go. Never so one one right? Yeah. So I go from a 35-point lead to a five-point deficit in one day. Come on. No, seriously. This is a factory team. Who? What factory team runs out of gas twice? You don't run out of twice. You yeah. It doesn't happen it twice. It doesn't happen. You're supposed yeah. to learn the first time around. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, now I'm all of a sudden scrambling from the back. and uh, But, again, a couple really good results. Keep charging, keep charging. And then uh, Everett's end up breaking his collarbone. I think he only missed one race. One race, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I still remember them telling me the story that we were robbed in 94. And I'm like, he ran out of gas. Like, <laughs> If you break your own collarbone, that's a little bit on you. When the bike doesn't yeah. finish, it's not the rider's fault. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to the last GP in Gaeldorf in in, uh, in Germany. <sighs> and I think I've got a 12-point lead. So, I mean, this is was it pissing rain this year? No, it was no, dry you got lucky. and dusty. But, it's one um, or the other. <laughs> but talking about, thankfully, making friends in the paddock and that. Didn't get a great start, but the guys were, like, letting me by and, you know, cruising through. But uh, I'll never forget the last moto of the day. Uh, I think, like, with two laps to go, Everts came in and, like, I mean, I knew he was right there, and he purposely tried to ride me off the track, and I was like, whatever. But uh, ended up winning it, and, I mean, I shouldn't have won that year, but it was, it was, yeah, it was annoying. Huh. <laughs> was it hard for you to get motivated that year? You've already you it said was. You, it was yeah. so hard. I mean, in my mind, I'm going to race in America and now. All of a sudden, now I got to regroup, and yeah, yeah goals was, kind of reset yeah. goals. And you've already, like I said, you, you've already won this championship. It's probably yeah. not even on yeah. top of your priority list. So okay, you win it again. Yeah, Stefan Stefan still really hates you now. <laughs> yeah, um, now the salt's purely been rubbed <laughs> in the wounds yeah. nicely. How did how did that transition into a ride in the states? So. Um, so basically, Roger DeCosta was working with Pepsi Honda, which was Eve DeMaria's team a little bit. Like there was oh, a, I remember that. It was an Italian yeah. team kind of thing, and he was coming over and stuff. And I can't remember how it came about, but he ended up coming to my apartment in Belgium when we sat down. And he said, uh, what do you think about – I can't remember if I solicited him or he solicited me or whatever, but we spoke about setting up something in, in the States. And um, he said, uh, let's maybe talk about Team Suzuki. And then I said, okay, but I definitely want Ian. Ian has to come with me. 
So he said, all right, well, let me see what I can do. So he went back and uh, he said, well, they don't have much money. They can only pay you like 85 grand. And uh, there was what? A, yeah, there was a three time world champion. Yep. And now you're back to 85 G. Yep. But there was a Dutch uh, travel agent that said, oh, yeah, we'll put in 150 grand and it'll help you. And then Biafi was going to put in 100 grand. So I'm like, get the salary up to something manageable. And uh, anyway, so Roger goes away, kind of buttons it all up, and uh, next minute I'm coming over, right? But all of a sudden the Dutch guy falls away, and so now we're like, I'm literally riding for 100 and whatever it was, 75 grand to come over here and race. But the fun and game started that next week. So we go to Motocross Dis Nations. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the yeah, Bambi every, killing. Every, this everyone everyone wants to hear about this. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Motocross Dis Nations, I'm leading, uh, I'm pulling away, I think LaRocca's second, and uh, the track goes up this hill, turns, and it comes it. down, Roggenberg. And I'm hauling about third gear pinned it's down this hill. It's a big hill. Yeah. It's like Glen Helen, but you don't we, stop at the bottom, you keep going. We have the yeah, photo, we'll, we'll drop it into the YouTube show. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and next minute, I just see this brown blur, and before I know what's happened, I'm cartwheeling down the track. And I'm just like, what the heck was that? And I get up, I'm stunned. My radiator's ripped off. My pants are ripped off. I was going to say, I remember it ripped your, his pants. Did yeah. it have antlers or something? Or what, what? No, no antlers. Or just caught the bars maybe or something? Or no, what? it ran right into my triple clamps. Like the, but the, what ripped your pants off? Oh, I don't know. Probably he, the well, crash. Or, we, well, the dirt there is, because it's in basically it's the Alps, it's got a lot of rock base. Yeah, it's like you're going to a little bit. Okay. So when you're falling, you're, you're also grinding. Yeah. It's almost Jeez. like being on asphalt a little bit. So I'm pretty sure just between that, I remember seeing it in the newspaper, and I was like, yeah. whoa. So I get up, and I, I see this animal lying there and, like, spasming, and, and, and I never thought it was a deer. I thought, oh, somebody let their dog out. It's like a Doberman Pinscher or something like that. And I'm looking for this person ready to kill him. And uh, anyway, I'm, That's like, still. That's not my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stunned, and I kind of ride back to the pits and whatever, and there's all, like, fur and saliva on my front board and fur in the triple clamps and whatever but anyway come to find out it was a deer instead of a, a dog you killed it dead too huh dead yeah yeah the swiss they barbecued it that night shut up no i'm serious are you serious oh yeah well it's good, good nothing wrong. don't let it go to waste so anyway so dead. so i win three world championships in a row i hit a deer the very next week i'm back in south africa practicing i was about to say i think the deer was the start of yeah. this like Years of bad luck. Yeah, it was, it was like your uh, black cat encounter. Yep. So hit a you deer. killed Bambi's mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Bambi, and he still Disney's still punishing him for it. Yes. Uh, so hit the deer. Two weeks later, break my navicular, and um, it. So now we've got the Supercross season, right? Suzuki Supercross season starting in January. So this is September ish. Have this thing on for eight, tw 10 weeks, I think it was. So I get it off about two weeks before the start of the Supercross season. And two weeks? Yeah, two, three weeks, something oh, like that. Geez. And Suzuki's got no track. Oh, yeah. They don't have a race shop. Well, they didn't they have that little sandy one up at sunrise? Oh, I think at this point that had that let was it gone. Go. Yeah, that All was right. gone too. Maybe I, it wasn't much to speak of, whatever it was. Uh, there was no shop. Uh, there was no preseason testing. There was nothing. I mean, and now we're rolling into this thing. And in hindsight, what I really should have done is I should have said, forget Supercross the first year. Let yeah. me just get right outdoors, get used to this whole everything. Yeah. But I jump right in and, man, it's just injury after injury after injury. I mean, it was literally 18 months straight of successive injuries. Yeah. 
Well, let's pick it up right there. I want to take a quick break. Uh, this is your Troy Lee Designs timeout. We'll be right back with more Greg Albertine. I want to introduce you guys to PowerDot, a wireless muscle stim unit that is controlled by an app on your phone. It's incredibly simple. This is something I've used for a little over a year now to help with arm pump and nagging injuries, and I've had amazing results with it. They recently worked with Adam C. and Cirillo to help rehab his knee after surgery. He had an ACL replaced, and after talking to him, he's, it's something he swears by. He's adamant that this is the one thing that got him back on the bike quicker and got him healthy. So if you have any muscle pain, any nagging injuries, or you want to recover the best way possible, head over to powerdot.com forward slash whiskey throttle for a chance to win a free unit or get 20% off your next purchase. That's powerdot.com forward slash whiskey throttle for 20% off and a chance to win. You can thank me later. See the sunrise. I wake up in the morning feeling so nice. I burn a couple bowls of the alright. I look out to the world and it's all mine. Yeah, it's all mine. I see palm trees and joints, kids. No palm trees like ointment. My weed breath is fresh cause I keep my appointments. Now I can finally see like I smoke some DMT. What you think we should sound like? What you think we do at night? Cause we the best of this year. We made a mess of this year. We wrecked the rest of all the west with the recklessness. If you's a bitch, you might get snatched up like some necklaces This where the rest of us live You, you, you say You say we feel like the West Coast I say we sound like the past Guys, welcome back to the Whiskey Throttle Show. That was the Troy Lee Designs timeout. Get over to TroyLeeDesigns.com. Look at all the things they've got over there. Brand new D4 mountain bike downhill helmet. It is sweet. Uh, super open front. Uh, full coverage for your face, which is really required if you're doing any kind of enduro or downhill runs. But it's open. Lets you lets air in so you don't feel like you're being suffocated. Awesome, awesome new helmet. Also casual. Obviously motocross gear. There's a couple of new, new helmets out. Um, all the 2020 gear. Go have a look. Amazing stuff. Uh, Albie, as we jump back into it, um, so 95, your first year over here, you made sure Roger was a part of the program, obviously. that was uh, He was key in getting that done for you. You wanted Ian there. Ian's there. Um, how was that bike coming off of what you came off from? I, I, I got to imagine there was some apprehension of even staying on a Suzuki, right? I mean, you didn't love that motorcycle. Nah. So you come over here. Um, how much? How was the bike in '95, and how much of an eye opener was it to come here and race, especially with only two weeks of prep time? Yeah, I mean, obviously the bike was similar, um, you know, handling and stuff like that. The motor was pretty good, uh, but it, it handled similar to the '94 one. But yeah, I didn't have much time so, on the so bike, like, like a shopping cart with yeah. a bad wheel. <laughs> 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 like every grocery store. I swear, don't you have that luck? You get in, you're like, son of a bitch. Why do I always get the one with the locked wheel and I'm running people off the road? Yeah, well, listen, uh, the, that bike and, the, and my, me on the Supercross track, it was a pretty bad combination right from the get-go. As I said, I probably should have taken uh, six months and, and done the outdoors only. Hindsight always helps. Hindsight, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I just didn't have enough prep time. And I think Ian was probably shocked rigid when he came over here and saw the status of the team. I mean, I just don't think they'd put any money in or done anything for for quite a while so which is shocking because they had like huffman's winning championships on the one you know they had a lot of success 
considering how crappy their infrastructure was. Yeah, I think Huffman's wins were a little bit later. Uh, no, he won 94, 94, and he won 95. Okay, okay. all right, interesting. And before him... Um, Larry Ward was on the team, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, Suzuki had a really successful 125 program yeah. even before Dan. Yeah, yeah but... Uh, I Swink, mean, but Swink I think had the, won in 92, 3. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he anyway, was three, four. Cooper, Guy Cooper, you know. Yeah. But I also think that at that time, the 125cc class in the U.S. was still a little bit on the primitive side. I mean, Mitch Payton was a independent who came to the forefront. There wasn't huge factory support. I mean, I think sometimes well, we there get was factory riders. I mean, yeah, Honda had factory but, but, guys. But, but, Everybody but, but, did. Okay, but hold on. He was a factory rider. I mean, there were a lot of guys in Europe that were factory riders. Their contracts went through. Kawasaki, Europe via Japan, however it mm. worked, but didn't mean they got full factory parts. I mean, even when I talk about, I think one of the reasons KTM and myself had success was the Japanese didn't have factory 125s. They were Rinaldi, they were Yandegrut, yeah, they were, but they, they were like guys that like Mitch Payton that just lived the sport that made stock bikes better, and they got the fa they got well, the, the bikes and the parts, but mm -hmm. they weren't true factory bikes. Suzuki yeah. was here then, because Ezra Lusk, Ezra Lusk was the other guy riding the mm -hmm. east, and uh, Huffman was riding the west, and their mechanic used to kick me down parts, because I was a support yeah, but, but guy. I'm so they had works pipes, ignitions, cylinders, all that stuff. But when you say works, to me, works Straight from Japan, unavailable anywhere else. Hmm. It was factory stuff. Well, and there they was so parts, for sure. I mean, I think even... Honda probably, like you said, gave some stuff. I think, yeah. but I think that that true factory aspect. There's been true factory. I think when you look at the the HRC guys, you know, from RJ Omera, you know, that era. I think that was yeah. sort of true HRC. Maybe is maybe what we would say Honda Racing Corporation. But uh, even when I went to Europe, you know, there was a there was a lot of handmade stuff, but it wasn't coming from Japan. It was coming from. Holland, Italy, mm. Spain, Sweden, and then a lot of it was actually being made in the Eastern European countries. So it was, it was kind of interesting because I always thought, oh, there's going to be a million Japanese guys running around with all this stuff. And it was a little bit different to what even I had thought, you know. I'd been given this, you know, I don't know, this image in my head. Yeah. And it, it was a little bit different to that. I, you see that in Europe, but it wasn't like that here. Mm. There really was either you were buying pro circuit stuff that they sold or you were a factory guy, and and like even Swink, maybe you were there the year they had those titanium cone pipes. Yeah, my '94 bike had a titanium and '95. Yeah, actually. Uh, so they mentioned. were getting works yeah. parts, but again, if you don't have the yeah. infrastructure, you don't have a, a place to test. You don't have a good shop. You don't have a dyno. Yeah. You don't have all that stuff. It doesn't <laughs> you yeah. throw all the parts out that you want? Yeah. If it doesn't yeah. work right. It no, I mean work. you know we we had to. I don't want to say start from scratch, but pretty much start from scratch. I mean they had their shop in Brea and that, but there was not a dedicated factory team. Mm -hmm. I mean a, a race shop or anything like that. I mean really was starting from scratch. So the bike itself was decent. Decent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean the power was good. It definitely had a good motor. Handled a little bit uh, questionable. Okay. But yeah, it, it did have a better motor. Ninety six was a terrible motor. And what about what about Getting on a supercross track for the first time was that, and where did you ride it? Yeah, I was, right, gonna, that was, gonna, no. I was gonna ask. Well, I didn't. I mean, the Glen Helen track was not there. I mean, I think as you mentioned, we I went up to Atlanta and uh, it was raining a lot because it's winter and mm. we were kind of riding in the hills just off the 60. I mean, that literally two weeks, three weeks of prep before that's, the first supercross. That's race. that track by the where there's o those old dinosaurs, the metal yeah, dinosaurs. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's yeah. it. That I remember that. It's crazy that that's where we used to test. Yeah, yeah. 
All right, so I guess then the, sh the shot came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a rude awakening. I mean, for sure. And I, I, yeah, it was like Anaheim was a huge eye opener, and um, yeah, I just wasn't prepared at all. Yeah, not even close. Was it was it scary to you or? or yeah, very yeah, much. So. Yeah. I mean, just like anybody who doesn't ride Supercross every day, it's probably terrifying. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. it's way better now because there are tracks that you can go to. Yeah. Not just the factory guys. There's several places you can just go and pay and, yeah. and ride. They have legit tracks for the most part. But back then, like you said, in 94, I experienced this. I'm riding at that track off the 60. Maybe three or four times Jeremy would let me ride his track, which still wasn't full size. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm riding just whatever rank, janky little yeah. place I could get on. And so when you roll down into, you know, track walk, and the triples yeah. are Whoa. twice as tall as yeah. anything you've been on, you're like, oh, Twice man. as steep, yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was, it was a, definitely a rude awakening. It's a different world. I think yeah. also just getting into a stadium like that the first time mm. i remember when i went and did press day you know oh one we were both there and i was like i don't know why but this triple just seems like <laughs> a lot bigger inside this place like i don't know it just it yeah. seemed gnarly and then when everyone there and you're like i can't see the landing okay i'll do it next lap and then you're like yeah. i'm the only guy not jumping the triple well, on mean, press day you had guys like mike craig christian craig's dad i mean he would jump everything the first, first lap, lap yeah. and i'm just looking at these triples going holy smoke he's just perfect timing yeah, super talented and obviously very comfortable. Um, so you didn't win an overall that year. Uh, 10th and 12th were your kind of championship. Yeah, I mean, you know. so the, the from hitting the deer, the injuries continued. I think Orlando Supercross had dislocated my shoulder, um, kind of came back, separated my shoulder at Indy, uh, went to Troy, Ohio, had a couple of decent results in the outdoors, almost won Gainesville, but I think I got a flat. Uh, and then... Uh, uh, didn't even crash at uh, Troy, Ohio and broke my navicular. Mm. Didn't heal, had to have surgery, so I was out for six months pretty much. Jeez. And so then many rolled, of those bad navicular stories. And then rolled into the 1996 season, three weeks before, not having been on a bike in six months, and then we got El Nino. So now I'm trying to ride train for supercross off the 60 by the dinosaurs um <laughs> with el nino i mean it's just sloppy mud and it's like a joke well el nino was 98 was it yeah all right well maybe it because actually like el nino. do you remember the track that we made an outdoor track right where the 15 and 215 meet do you remember that and you showed up one day it's just a hill track yeah. but it was amazing it yeah was really fun yeah. and then people started hearing about it and pretty soon Wait, the you day you were there, I think there was like 20 trucks. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like a national out there, and the cops showed up, and eventually... You said the 15 up. and the 215? Where the 215 <laughs> and 15 meet in Temecula, right on the east side of the freeway. I know where that is. Yeah. Um, it's... it's. I think there's still a little bit of open land right there's there. There's still a track there. It's mostly there. developed. <laughs> there's still when I came over there. at the end of 99, I think La Paglia had... The he track had a fence, yeah. and KTM had rented it, and that was the mm. first time I got on the Supercross track. And when I say it was, well, we call it melting, you know, when it just weathers over. The jumps were like, the, the triple takeoff was like this yeah. tall, and it was ramped. Yeah. I mean, you could, so you're like, you could see I the landing. I got this, Supercross. Yeah. I, know, I was like, even like, oh, these guys say it's so <laughs> technical. I'm like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm going four, four, four through the whoops. I got this. <laughs> and they were this big. <laughs> Yeah. So but yeah, I remember that area. It was cool. So '96 Supercross was tough again. Small well, yeah, I just completely unprepared. Come in and then um, you know definitely had a few crashes. I think I uh, I had Biafi boots on, which offered zero protection, oh. right? And um, so the '96 250 was horrendous. Oh yeah, you've said this is 
The worst motorcycle you've ever ridden. Probably, worst, right? worst bike I've ever raced. I mean, handling-wise, was not that bad, but they had the conventional forks. So every time you landed from a jump, it would take about two seconds to settle down because all the flex, right? <laughs> so there was no landing and turning. I mean, yeah. you land, you flex for two seconds, and then you turn. Yeah. The a lot second, of outside lines. The second <laughs> what thing, were you doing here? Flexing. <laughs> Straight flexing, bro. <laughs> Um, the bike had so little power, I mean, it couldn't even pull the skin off a milk tart. Seriously, the, the factory bike, my factory bike was pushing out 43 horsepower. Jeez. Now you got Amig on his cowie, that thing was pushing out 51, and I think McGrath was pushing out like 50 or something. So these guys would come into the corner, go in the inside, and hit the triple. I was railing the outside, and I had to do every triple in third gear, because we had the bike geared that it could never clear it in seconds. Is that right? Run yeah. out of RPM. Yeah. Like just run well, out if you if you didn't gear it down, it was not going to have enough power to come out of the corners. So then it's so yeah, I had to hit him in third gear. It was so bad. So everybody's like, "Well, why'd you crash so much?" You know. Well, because um, I wanted to give you something to talk about. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to entertain. You. Yeah, I want to entertain you. I mean, I was trying my butt off, and you know, I'm gonna one of those guys is going to give it a hundred percent, and unfortunately, a lot of the times it grenaded. Well, I know that. Pro Circuit was helping a lot during that time, right? I mean, I rem if I remember right, there was a bike on the Pro Circuit Dyno 12, 15 hours a day. Yeah. Well, that, that, was, that was the turning point where Roger and Ian went, geez, we need to do something. Because the stock bike was so bad. I mean, mm -hmm. it was so, so bad. So, yeah, that's when they started working with Mitch and they were dining all the time. And that's why Ian developed so much skills and, and technical abilities from regards to, uh, you know, tuning yeah, and yeah. stuff like that because of that. Mm. So, did that bike handle well outdoors? Yeah. I, yeah. I got to imagine that flex is actually nice on a... Yeah, no, know. it did. And obviously, when we went to upside down forks, it definitely helped as well. I mean, that was a, a big improvement for sure. So, Suzuki, bad for your career. Great for Ian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to say that because Suzuki's been awesome to me and... Um, uh, I just happened to end up on Suzuki. How, how my career would be different if I had stayed on Honda or whatever? Who knows? You know. Yeah. Who knows? Well, and every but, every manufacturer goes through their ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, look at how terrible that Honda was. Yeah, in with the perimeter frame and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. pretty bad. But I, what's funny is you said it handled well, and I always laugh because every story where. Whether it's a bike or a car, when it has no power, it actually handles <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, good. That's true. You know, like that's everyone's true. like, it handles pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get it now. It yeah. does. That's true. You can that's hold it wide cool. open everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so '96 um, Supercross, really not much to talk about, huh? Just injury after injury. I mean, yeah, yeah tremendous injuries. Really struggled. Um, yeah, again, came in unprepared completely because I'd been injured for six months. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But you did get your overall, first overall outdoor win that year, right? You and Dilla? Correct, yeah. I think How did that feel? That had to be like, okay. Well, I mean, you know. It's been it, a while. <laughs> as any professional athlete, if you start getting that downward spiral yeah, going down, injury, injury, confidence, everything starts to go fitness. down. Fitness. Your competition's going forward. You're going backwards. To turn that around is incredibly hard. And, um you know, so yeah, to get that victory, even though I think I went 2-2 on the day, it was just like, oh my gosh, thank, this yeah. is so overdue and so long. Because, I mean, you're coming from this high, three world championships before I'm 21. I, mean, I couldn't I'm do like, anything wrong, almost. Couldn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, I was like the king, and now I'm like, you know, so happy with two seconds overall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, woo. Yeah. Yeah. It's it all was, relative. Yeah, it's very tough. Um so we, we kind of talked about that bike being the worst ever. Um, <laughs> did they make some improvements for the following year? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so Roger and Ian really took it upon themselves to just continue to, I mean, the factory was not giving them, I don't think, the support they needed. And uh, so they really, really worked hard with Mitch and got it to the point where the bike was starting to get better. I mean, almost monthly it was getting better and better. So I think in 97, I had uh, Loraco and uh, Larry Ward as my teammates. Well, Loraco, if I remember right, he said that was the worst bike he ever rode. Was it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> it was... Ten steps ahead of the 96. Is that bike. right? I can promise oh. you that. Yeah, it was so he, bad. He wasn't there in 96, right? Just 97? I'm trying to remember. I think maybe. I wonder if he's talking about the 96. I know he was Cowie 95. And I think he was in 96 too. And Cowie. Because I was Team Green in South Africa and I remember. Okay. Well, anyway. Okay. So yeah. it was better. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it, it just can steadily, progressively got better each year, and obviously, 99 was good enough to win the championship, and then it even got better after that, you know, yeah. when Ricky and them got on it. In, um, if I remember correctly, what 97 was a good Supercross season, though. Like, yeah, you were, even though you didn't win, you know, you were like several podiums and yeah. a lot of fourths, and like you were yeah. at least healthy and in it. Top five, yeah, I, I did win the Coliseum that year. Was that 97? That was 98. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm pretty no. sure. No, no. Oh, no, it wasn't. No, he's right. Yeah, Tortelli won 98. 97. Okay. Yeah, 97. Yeah, so, so you know, with McGrath joining the team, there's no quiz. It was kind of like the year I had Strybos, right? It upped my game big time. You got this guy who is really good at this craft. I mean, he's such a good racer, such a good um, athlete, so good at Supercross. So it, it could nothing but elevate my game. So I learned so much from him. So, yeah, I mean, coming into uh, the Coliseum, first race of the year, I'm like, all right, man, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. We'd been working really hard. Bike was okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was like a really a surprise to win. It was great. But I, yeah. I had a lot of confidence. I think I got five podiums that year. Yeah, it was, I remember yeah. it was a good year for you as far as Supercross. Yeah. Like consistency. Like yeah. just oh. The uh, Pat from 90s Motocross, the Instagram page, posted that win this week. I don't know if you saw it. Oh, yes, I did see um, that. Yeah, that was cool. Pretty cool. 90s Yeah, I mean, and I think LaRocco was even on the podium too. Maybe he got third. I don't remember. I but think I know I, I think that's the night Deegan so. goes through his bike. That was a good one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting night. Yeah, Henry was second and Yeah, was LaRocco third? I think it was LaRocco and Lusk was right on him. Mm, no, that was yeah. fourth and fifth. Third was Ward. I think okay. Ward got third. We'll hey, have to go check. Hey uh Donnie. He's on it. Yeah, he's like, I'm, <laughs> um, I'm already I, on it, guys. I, Don't have to tell me. So I did. I, I wrote this in here because this to me is still, I look back and laugh at this. At Orlando that year, Yeah. Uh, I was really good friends with Chad Pedersen. We call him <laughs> Swap. He's the original Swap. But um, he crashed in his heat and destroyed his arm, did a number on it. So he goes to the hospital. <laughs> I go out in my heat, and Barry Carson and I go through this first turn together, and we there's a big double right of the first turn, and he jumps and he doesn't do the double i'm doing it and he crosses over i land right on top of his head oh jeez. and uh gosh what did i do my shoulder or something hurt my shoulder so i go to the hospital <laughs> brian swink breaks his arm something in his heat he comes to the hospital and it's like a, just a gallery of clowns at the hospital every every 15 minutes somebody else is coming in and we're and like I, hey. I was the final joker that rolled in <laughs> I swear, yeah. me, you, Swap, Swink, and there was a couple other guys. There was yeah. at least seven of us in there. Yeah. Now, that, that frustrated me so bad because that was one of those corners. Corner before, triple, McGrath, Emmy going inside, and I'm railing the outside. And what happens? I come up short, right? I mean, 
freaking, I'm twisting the throttle as hard as I can, hitting third gear, and I come up short. And then what happens? It sends me into the next rhythm, oh, yeah. and I'm winding up the windows. And that one looks like, that was a dirty one. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that one hurts my tailbone. Yeah. just looking at it. So, um, how about the rest of that year? How did that go? So, what year are we talking about? Ninety-seven. Well, ninety-seven. Right? You were yeah. fifth and eighth overall in the championships. That's pretty dang good. I mean. It's a, it's not a, for a champion. It's, it's a step good, in the right, right. direction. Yeah, though. it's a step in the right direction. Yeah. Wait, which were you fifth in and which were you eighth? Supercross, I finished fifth. Yeah. That's what I thought. It was a good, good Supercross yeah, season. Yeah, it was a good Supercross season. But yeah, eighth? Yeah. Out of, yeah, no. One Hangtown mm -hmm. right, that year. In 97? In 97, one Hangtown. I'll believe you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just learned it's something so new. so long ago. It's like, gee, Yeah, crazy. you, then Emig second, and Larry Ward third. Okay, there you go. So, pretty good year. Yeah, well, okay. Decent. Step in the right direction. Yeah. No, but how do you end up eighth? Um, like, truthfully, that's I know not for that a good. fact at Redbud they had the little um, air vent thing on my fuel the wrong way, and <laughs> the bike would oh, run and lock. the vapor lock uh, would suck the fuel tank in, and then there was no gas. Uh, that was one of the issues. I DNF'd that moto. Yeah, I had. That, that was not a great year in a lot of ways. Mm. Mechanically. Um, More injuries outdoors or no? Probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's a good job. Yeah. I don't know for good, sure, but if we're job. just betting on odds. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yes, it was like, yeah, like three, we'll years of, three years of nonstop injuries. Yep. Okay. 98. How did that Supercross season go? Um, man, now you're really taxing my memory. Well, all right. Um, I think it was okay. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't as good as 97. Yeah, I mean, just didn't quite get the results. I think Daytona, maybe I got a second or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. In any of these years, you, you got know, a fourth at Daytona. Okay, thank you. Were you... Um, he got a second one year. <laughs> were, was there... Uh, what, what's your mindset? You're getting hurt. You're, is there frustration? Or are you oh, my gosh. Like I'm so frustrated at this point. I mean, um, so discouraged. So, um, yeah, I mean, just... That negative spiral has really taken its toll. Sure. And now you're really questioning, am I ever going to be able to win a game? Can I win? I mean, you know, I won in Europe. I won in South Africa. But I don't know if I can ever win here. Nobody Did had ever done it before. No South Africa yeah. had done it. Yeah. Did you ever shop around for other at other manufacturers? No, like, no but nobody would have been willing to hire me at that point. I mean, probably, I, was a, I was a has-been. Probably not a – or at least not – or at that time, you only had four factory teams. Mm. So there's three other options. Yeah. And they were pretty full. And like you said, when you're struggling, it's not like people are like, oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me roll out the red carpet. Yeah. Let me get rid of someone that's done good. There was good. no, um, I mean, I didn't have any, like, flashes of brilliance, amazing speed that would anybody would go, oh, well, if he got on this bike, he would be, you know, all that. I mean, it was none of that. I was just plodding along, struggling. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Mm. So... In but the best news is I'd given uh, Biafi the middle finger. So as I mentioned, they hold you hostage every year and like they would pay you in three payments and they'd give you the first two payments. But until you signed the contract for the following year, they weren't going to pay you that extra 30, 35 grand. And eventually I said, I don't care anymore. And I said goodbye. And you uh, like ended up signing with MSR. Be off me. Yeah, be I off, mean, it's one off. thing to suck in your results and not feel good, but to look crappy too. I mean, that's like really bad. 
There is something to looking good. You know what I mean? Like, there really is something there to it. Because I had some years where I, I didn't like my gear, and yeah. I, you just kind of like, Ugh. You can't feel confident going to the line in this purple and pink spotted garbage. I mean, seriously. You get in some better gear, and they're like, man, he looks fast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you look at my, my... I still remember in uh, in 07 when um, M2R went out of business, and I switched to MSR and uh, Bell Helmets. And I remember Tim Ferry said off the season, you know, he was obviously upset he never won, but we were chatting and he goes, you know the one thing I noticed? He goes, when you switched helmets, your style looks so much better. <laughs> he's like, it was just the helmet. <laughs> I was like, well, but I had go. to laugh. Yeah. It's true. <clears throat> true. Uh, the 98 season, I don't know how Supercross went. doesn't sound like you know either, but you came really close outdoors. Donnie, can you Does it matter? Did I win? Yeah. No, it doesn't really matter. But you were close outdoors, second that championship. That yeah. was the year Henry's riding the 400 yeah. or 420. 25, so the, the bike is now getting better, right? I mean, we actually got some power. We, we're still not hole shotting. I mean, you know, getting out hole shot every week. But, I mean, it's at least it's rideable. I mean, you know, I think we were maybe up to 47, 48 horsepower at that point, something like that. And everyone else has progressed a little more Yeah, they're well. like 52, 53. Yeah, but at least we've got something that can... Man, that's frustrating. Oh, it was, I mean, I would go to Southwick, and I'm telling you, because it's kind of like the normal memory. I mean, I've got this throttle cable stretched to the max, and there's nothing you can do. These guys are like passing you. And you're yeah. like, What's your salary looking like these year after year? I mean, is it declining? Is it staying the same? Is it? Um, I'm trying to remember. It wasn't that great. I mean, I was probably with endorsements and everything, maybe 300, something like that. Not, not a lot. So when you, when you moved here, was it a, a multi-year deal? Uh, that's a good question. No, it was a one-year deal. Because, I mean, it was for such a low pay. I'm like, forget that. Yeah, I'm yeah. not going to, yeah. But okay, so then you re-signed. Roger was good to work with, and he obviously knew that I was worth more than 75 grand. So then when you re-signed, do you remember ever getting a multi-year deal? Or was this a lot of one-year I deal? think so, yeah. I think probably 96, 97, 98 maybe was a multi-year deal, something like that. Yeah. And I was kind of grateful for it because I, <laughs> I might have been. You weren't sure, yeah. I might have been on pink Kawasaki's again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so after the 98 championship where you came so close, w was there any spark where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I came really close, like I can do this? Yeah, no, I, I knew I could do it. Uh, I mean, as I, as I mentioned, I'm not taking anything away from Doug Henry. He was an awesome rider, and that year he was on, and he des I think he would have won it on a 252. Um, he, but was at, he, he was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think he's one of those guys, he had paid his dues, and it, and it was one of those years, yeah. it just seemed like it was meant to be. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it, it was a huge advantage, that bike. There's no... I mean, the the thicker the soil, the more they tilled the the, the, the dirt. I mean, he would wax us. But it, even when it was hard pack, it's an advantage there, too, because yeah. of the traction. Yeah. There, there, the downsides yeah. with, a, especially that works bike, which was able to cut the weight down. Yeah. Aside from stalling it. Yeah. It yeah. didn't have a lot of downsides, no. you know. No, I mean, yeah, but but always I'd be coming from the back. I would, every single mode I'd be coming from the back. Were you, I, I mean, what did you weigh, 200 when you were racing? Uh, about 185. Okay. A little heavier than most guys, I would say, though, yeah. right? Like, I'm thinking about, like, Lusk, Doug wasn't a real big dude. They were skinny. Yeah. I think a lot of those guys Jeff, were like, I bet Jeff was 165, 160. Yeah. I mean, you probably had 20 pounds on guys. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't help. And six horsepower Albertine less. bones are like heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Made a lid. But no, I mean, the, the 98 season, it definitely opened my eyes to, okay, I, I think I can we're do this. Like, yeah, We're getting there. Yeah, we're getting there. I mean, the steadily we're progressing. We're getting better and better. Yeah. It, it's interesting to hear you talk about the frustration because you always seemed like you were always positive. You know, you're always like, ah, you know, 
I don't know. You never seemed like yeah. you were just deflated. No, I mean, I was dying inside. I mean, there was <laughs> yeah. a few years where I seriously, I mean, it was like, and you know, you've had LaRocca and a couple other guys talking about confidence and that. I mean, the confidence is key. And I mean, mm. you know, maybe I portrayed it on the outside, but inside I was like this little boy in a corner getting whipped. It was like really tough. Yeah. Well, I've been there, so I appreciate the choir. <laughs> Most of my career <laughs> curled up in the fetal position. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, 99, this was your year. Let's talk about your championship year. How yeah. did Supercross go that year? I mean, you were ninth overall in the championship. Yeah, not that great. I mean, it was okay. I had some good results in that. Uh, yeah, just for me, Supercross... Uh, never came naturally. It was never something that was easy for me. It just, you know, the outdoors, you can override things and you can make up time, right? By just hanging it on a little longer, being a little more aggressive. Supercross is finesse and I, and I you know, really struggled with finesse. Um, so yeah, it just wasn't easy. But the good thing is I came into the outdoor series healthy and that was the key. Yeah. You yeah. got through that whole year without injury? I may have maybe missed a race or something, but, but at least major. by the end, yeah. when the outdoors started, I was healthy. And the bike at this point, you said, was yeah, competitive. Yeah, bike had got Ish. to a good point. Yeah, it was okay. pretty good. Yeah. So start the outdoors, and I am like, I am so ready. I'm so prepared. I've been up in the Yucca Valley, high desert. I mean, I'm doing like three 35, 40-minute motors a day. I mean, I was like really, really prepared. I mean, I'd never been worked that hard. Ever, but I said, I mean, I, I literally remember saying, <laughs> "Laps, China, I have, laps." laps. <laughs> I, I remember saying, "I am not retiring until I win a championship. I'm not," and I was so prepared that year, so prepared. Well, it paid off. So, but the first couple of rounds, you kind of, the first couple of rounds weren't on the podium. No, first rounds were terrible. I mean, so first race, I go to Glen Helen, and I get caught up. First turn pile up, I can't remember, really bad results. Second race, go to Hangtown. First turn pile up again, can't remember, but like really, really bad results. Yeah, I remember that one. So now I've worked my butt off, I've paid my dues, I've got to this point, and I am so frustrated. So I go to Mount Morris, and uh, I don't know if you guys remember my buddy Steve Hudson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chappie, right? So Chappie's a good friend of mine, and he's the local chaplain that goes to all the races and stuff like that. So I'm sitting there having dinner with him, and I said, Steve, I promise you now I am ready to quit. I said, I'm not joking. I'm ready to quit. I have put in my heart and soul everything I have to win, and nothing's going right. I mean, this is my year. I, I'm totally prepared. The bike's ready, everything. Nothing's going right. First two races suck. I'm like 10th in the championship. And he said, well, why don't you tell the Lord that? And I said, really? He said, yeah, tell the Lord that. So I went back to the hotel room that night and literally got on my knees. I said, God, I don't know what your plan is for my life, but you know that uh, you've put me in this place, and I've worked harder than I've ever worked. And you know I'm not joking. I'm ready to quit. I'm done. I've given it my heart and soul. I've given it everything I got. And it's not coming right. I'm ready to quit. And I kind of like left it at that. Anyway, I went to Mount Morris and ended up going 1-1 on the Sunday. I still remember that gnarly off camber. Yeah. And everyone was going to the outside. And you were climbing that hill up the inside. Yeah. It was... It was impressive. And I think, I mean, that was the turning point in my whole championship. And I, and I truly think God knew uh, that that I was serious. I mean, I wasn't BSing. I mean, I was serious. I was ready to quit. Yeah. And, you know, not to say that, oh, all of a sudden I'm going to win because I told him I'm ready to quit. But I think he had he'd allowed me to go through some really tough times and, um, you know, built up a lot of character. 
Lots of character. Lots of character. I got way, <laughs> way more character than I want. Well, so the rest of the year, it just kind of kept clicking after that? Yeah, I mean, great year. I mean, great year. Um, yeah, it was just went from strength to strength. Uh, I can't remember how many nationals I won, maybe five or six, but I was always there, top three. Millville, I went 1-1, and then it was really sweet to win Steel City 1-1, too, and uh, it was yeah. great. First time Suzuki had won a championship in 18 years, Yeah, uh, an outdoor 250 title. I think it was there was a lot of relief it, from your side, but I think even from, like, Roger and, oh, yeah. and, and Ian, everyone, you could tell, like, you know, you guys had stuck through thick and thin, but... yeah. I think it was kind of Most publicly known. Thin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very thin. <laughs> but I Very think thin. publicly there was, you know, a lot of um, even, you know, just murmur about will these guys be able to figure it out? Are they going to stick together? Yeah. Um, are they going to part ways? You know, it's not working out. They try to get this team up together and it's just yeah. not panning out. So. And you think about it, they'd been working for four years without any substantial results, right? I mean, that's yeah. four years. It's a long time. To yeah. in, motor, in motocross terms, that is a long time. That's a long time. That's a half a career. So Honda didn't give you an NSX when you won that championship. Did you get a Suzuki Samurai <laughs> when you were done with this one? <laughs> no, I got a DR350. No, uh, <laughs> they were very appreciative and I was too because, I mean, they could have let me go at any point because I was not, not performing previous to that. So. Yeah. It was great. I remember that uh, Steel City, it, uh, when you pulled up and that Amy was there. And, uh, yeah, it was I, – I remember it as a fan. <laughs> so it's like – because you and Amy weren't married, correct? No, we had already been married. Oh, yeah. you did get yeah. married? Okay. Yeah. And that was one thing people were like, oh, dude, once – and this was the old days, right? Well, once you get married, there's no more championships. You know, you're done. Isn't that funny that that yeah. used to be the – in the yeah. 90s, that was the thing. Yeah. Oh, once you get married, yeah, your racing career is done. done. Yeah. And then there was a, there was a flip. And yeah. it was like, you wanted to be married, get the motor home, take the whole family to the races. And, well, then they said stabilize. after that, they said, oh, if you have kids, you're not going to win a championship. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. And then now, now it's like everybody has kids and married. Yeah, it's crazy how it's changed. I mean, I think it's for the better. Yeah. It was a, it was a pretty ugly culture for a, for a while there in yeah. the 90s. So It was just different. Yeah, and uh, so I was one of the first guys that actually got married and actually won a championship. And uh, it was good. How did that title compare with your world championship? It was as sweet, uh, but it was different because it was redemptive. I mean, you know, you win three back-to-back -back world championships. It's like, my gosh, I'm the man. You're expecting it almost. Yeah. So you must take it for granted. The first one was obviously incredible. The next two were like, but then this one was like, my gosh, um, finally, you know, finally. Because, I mean, <laughs> it was a dry spell for a long, yeah. long time. Yeah. I know a lot of people were happy. You know, there, there's those guys that, like you said, you don't make a lot of enemies in the pits. And... Um, there's certain guys that are, people are just happy for, you know, yeah. and I think you were one of those guys. That was a, it was cool to see you enjoy that success. Yeah, that yeah, was good. I mean, I, I, I say that now that I wasn't going to quit until I won a championship, but uh, who knows if I hadn't got it that year. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I was so determined. I mean, I'd worked harder than I could look up and down the start line both ways and know that I was going to kick everybody's ass. I was fitter than anybody and I wanted it more. Mm. I mean, in all honesty, Wyndham should have won that championship hands down. I mean, from a talent perspective, he has more talent in his pinky than I have in my whole body. I mean, that guy's amazing. Um, he, you know, he would hole shot race after race after race. I mean, that was his championship for sure. Uh, I just wanted it more. Simple yeah. as that. That's crazy. You well, even even in 07, you know, I I, I raced with K Dub, and he was. There was times it was like wow, yeah. and then. Uh, 
I think it was the same thing. I think I really, really wanted it. Because even at the last moto at Glen Helen, I didn't need a win. I had the championship in the bag, and I just couldn't push. And he had been pretty good at the end of the season, yeah, here and there. And it was almost like, oh, it's the last race of the year. I'm just, just going to go out and dominate. And he just went, yeah. checked out. And I was like, where the hell was that? Yeah. I mean, like, uh, unbelievable. I was at, so after I retired, I was at the Supercross track with him and uh, and Pastrana. And as talented as Travis is, I mean, there was like these technical sections they would work on. And K-Dub would just do it like, like, like it was nothing. And Travis would try it and he'd get it maybe two out of ten times and almost crash every other time. <laughs> and K-Dub would just do it like it was nothing. I mean, that guy on a motorcycle is so unbelievably it's talented. And I mean, well, that's how he was able to, you know, have a long career as he did. I mean, he was probably only riding at 80% most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I Whereas know. I was at 110 all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the guy did have a lot of talent. I mean, oh, I, I remember phenomenal. being there and watching him just chase down Ricky, pass him, and then going, I, I didn't think anyone could physically go faster than Ricky yeah. was. And when you watch that, it was like, yeah. it like almost pick your jaw up. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. Well, that year, I don't, I don't know if you remember the conversation we had, but you had a big impact on my life. You, you mentioned Steve Hudson. Yeah. But I don't remember, at some point that year, like I had won a Supercross that year. I was podium on Nationals. I was, things were going great. I was making mm. good money for a 22-year-old. But I was just like unhappy. Mm. And, and like you said, ah, well, I think I might have the answer. Why don't you come to my house this <laughs> Tuesday night or whatever it was to your Bible study. Yeah. And Steve Hudson got me a Bible. That was yeah. the Corona house, right? Yeah. 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 And it was like this whole serendipitous thing or it was a God thing or whatever. I met my wife mm. whose father was a pastor. Mm. And it was like just all these things kind of happened in, yeah. in a probably a three or four month window. And uh, I do changed changed my life mm, awesome bro. it's the way jeez bro you're pretty works. impactful aren't you <laughs> yo you know I often, I often think about that movie you know it's a wonderful life with uh, jimmy stewart you know basically he gets to see a picture of what he, what the world would be mm. if he had not been born right and uh, you know it's it's pretty cool when you think back you don't know all the people you've impacted but hopefully you've impacted a lot in in good ways well right especially you know that's what we're called to do is is take that and yeah. impact people. So you, you have. I, I don't know if you ever knew that or not. You also said something else. This might have been after we were done racing. Uh, but I said, man, you know, like, I feel like I'm, I'm at the point, I was really having a hard time letting go of, like, my lack of success. Mm. I said, man, if I could have just won that one stupid 125 championship, I would have felt like yeah. all the scars I have, all the aches and pains, all the things that I sacrificed when I was younger, or the money my dad spent would have been worth it mm. because I would have something to like show for it, you know? And you're like, yeah, that's one way to look at it. But you know, you said I've won world championships and a national championship, but I really, I, my main thing was I wanted to win a supercross championship mm. and I never did. Mm. So it doesn't matter what you did or didn't accomplish. Be grateful for what you did. Yeah. And just know that everybody always wants more. Mm. Yeah. No one's yeah. like completely satisfied. Right. Yeah. And it just sort of changed my perspective mm. on um, on the way I looked at it. Now I'm like, you know what? I'm lucky to have done what I did. Yeah. I didn't make it as far as I wanted, but I made it farther than yeah. the vast majority. 99.9. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I'm healthy, I'm, you know, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I but, mean, I'm dude, not, we saw I'm you with your shirt off. Dude, you ripped, man. <laughs> it, it, you, you can hold your breath a long time because you were... <laughs> 
<laughs> is that uh, is that why you guys stopped doing live shows? Because the ladies will come in and Amber was getting upset because she was yeah. working the bar and the ladies were winking in the front row and it yeah. just it got really weird. It Amber loves crazy. tending bar. She has a blast back there. <laughs> she, uh, she I don't know if she told you this, but at, at the, one of the Laguna shows, guys were wanting to tip her. You know, she goes, "Oh, that's I don't you know this beer's free like." <laughs> If you want to tip me, just tell me I look pretty. And so that was the thing. I was going, hey, you're beautiful. Thank you. You know. And so I, at the halftime break, I go back there, and these guys are walking up, and they're all, oh, thanks. You're beautiful. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, guy after guy, you're amazing. Oh, you're, you're and I'm like, what is happening right now? I'm right here. You know. She's like, I'm winning my own championship in the back. Yeah, okay. Piss off. Amber is a party. Oh, oh yeah. She's a, she's a, she's a one-person she's, party. I told her she's my championship. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now it's true. Yeah, I mean, we all have things. I mean, yeah. for me, I one thing that bugs me is I never won a two fifty slash now four fifty main event. I've mm-hmm. finished everywhere but first. So we all have that stuff, right? That yeah, you know, it's at different levels. But if people go, you never won. A, I'm like, no, can can. Wait, you never won? <laughs> Are you serious? I'm like, yes, okay. Like, <laughs> hey, and let me tell you something. There's millions of fans out there. That never had the opportunity ever to even think about doing any of that stuff. Yeah. And they all wish they could have just lined up. Forget about yeah. even finishing yeah. a race. Yeah. It's all, uh, yeah. It's true. It's but, relative. But, we all, but it's tough, though, because we all have our goals of like, yeah. you know, okay, I want to do this, then this, and this. And it's like, you get you get to where you get. Yeah. And I mean, there's it, always it really, something on the table. It really comes back to that attitude of gratitude, right? I mean, really, because yeah. at the end of the day, you will never, the lust of the flesh is never satisfied, right? You're always going to want well, more. Well, because one, once you get to that first goal, you raise the yeah. bar. I mean, and you raise the bar, you raise the bar, you raise the bar. And eventually, yeah. at some point, we retire, we're like, we didn't get that last goal, yeah. so we're all pissed off. I yeah. mean, McGrath won how many championships? I'm sure he probably wishes he won one or two more, right? I mean, so, yeah, yeah it really is perspective and being grateful for what we have. And, and somebody else said something, too. I don't remember where I got this, but they said, really, there's only one championship, and that is at the end of your life, and you look back on your whole body yeah. of work, right? Like, that's the championship that counts. So, yeah. like, racing is a small part of that. Yeah. What are you going to do with the rest of it? What, you know what I mean? What, how how yeah. was your marriage? How was your kids? How did yeah. you raise them? Were you a good dad? Did you help? Did yeah. you give to charity? You know what I mean? Like, your whole body of work. Yeah. And no, so you're that, right. I mean, and as you get older, you know, motocross. I mean, it was such. It was our life. It was our everything, right? I mean, yeah. I've, I've been retired for 20 years now. It's crazy. And when I look back. I mean, I have absolutely no regrets. I mean, I would have done some things differently, sure. but but I look back at the advantages it's given me in life. And you know, just transitioning out of motocross. I mean, when I was hearing, I was watching uh, Ricky's interview and Kerry Hart. Uh, that work ethic and the the drive and the determination that those two have and and everybody that the what it teaches you mm. professional sports teaches you so yeah. many good things i mean i've seen you successful and you're successful you can transfer those things to anything in life and Amen. Be successful. if you have a never n- never roll over never say die yeah, kind of attitude and go, you know there's going to be p- people that laugh at your goals or yeah. your dreams and and uh say so this what you know but like you said, I think motocross teaches us how to deal with adversity. Oh, and yeah. um, as long as you don't have a have that hangover, meaning I think bring bring um, what happened in motocross into the rest of your life. If yeah. you can separate that and move on to that next chapter and take those same principles, yeah. all those guys end up doing well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you go look in our industry, the people that have kept that, you know, whether it's a Brock lover, you know, just just 
running Dunlop. I mean, that's yeah. a big organization, big you know undertaking. Yeah. There's a lot it, of people that have done a lot of great and, things, and he does that with the same tenacity that he yeah. raced with. He yeah. there's no one that's more into it and serious about it than yeah. Brock. He yeah. he puts his whole heart into that, and he's that's why he's so successful. Yeah. So yeah. whatever it is, you know, yeah, yeah I agree, I agree with you 100. Um, so wrapping this up, the 2000 season. Um, looked like it was going to be good for you. You won, like, was it Osaka or some race in Japan early on? Uh, yeah, you're right. I think I passed Bradshaw on the last lap, maybe, or something like that. Was it Osaka or Tokyo? Uh, I think what it was, was Tokyo. It? Tokyo, Tokyo okay. Supercross, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was fully ready to defend my title. I mean, I was like, it's bring it, I'm ready, let's do it. And the bike was continuing to get better, and yeah. How was your mindset going into Supercross, though. I mean, you've now won your motocross yeah, championship. Yeah, I'm ready to win the Supercross championship. Did, I mean, did you think, like, oh, absolutely. we have a I chance? Mean, yeah, absolutely. I was like, I trained my butt off, and the bike was good, as I mentioned. Did more laps, China, than anybody. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I was fully ready to win the Supercross title, because that was my goal. I mean, okay, I've achieved the outdoor, now I want to win the Supercross. And... The other part of that question was, did you also know or think that this could be your last year? Not at that point. Okay. No, not at that point. You were still fully yeah. invested. We were going racing. In 100%. fact, you had signed a two-year deal with Suzuki, right? Two, two, year two more yeah. years. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. So I was making more money than I'd ever made in my career. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was it was a good time. Um, all in. You had some cool gear. Yeah, I had some cool Championship gear. Championship bonus good? Championship bonus. I mean, I don't think it's what it is now, but it, it was good stuff, so yeah. Okay. But, I mean, I think all in with uh, all the endorsements and that, I was probably making about a million five a year. Okay. So That's a pretty big <coughs> increase from yeah. a couple of years earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. But this was before all the energy drinks, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so it was good. So, yeah, obviously uh, started off uh, and then just... It didn't go quite as good as according to plan. Speed was good. I mean, I was definitely there. And then uh, ended up going to Atlanta Supercross press day or practice, I think, one of the two. Just had this little crash, caught a hay bale, kind of pulled my leg off the side, and I crashed on this jump. Slow. And next minute, femur broke. Yeah, I remember that one. And, yeah, that was sucky. First time you broke a femur? <clears throat> yeah, first time ever. Yeah. So they drove us around to three different hospitals, uh, eventually found oh, one fun. that would take us. Yeah, that was an adventure. Nothing better than having a broken femur and doing the tour of a city. Yeah, seriously, because literally three different hospitals. No, we can't take them. So I pull up, and uh, the second I get there, they cut my pants off, and they get this Makita drill with one of these long metal spikes. Guy putting the IV in still, and they start roll this thing Whoa, through the bottom what? of my uh, my tip fib to get it into traction, right? Because the thing's all... And uh, I'm like, ah! Anyway, that was quick. And then, What hospital was this? This is like some hospital in Atlanta. <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, so the, the worst part is... It was the fourth is, choice of hospital, so now <laughs> yeah, we're reaching deep into the barrel. That's not protocol. Like, no, that wasn't... There's cool. several different devices that pull traction... No, this one, they screwed a, a metal rod right through, bottom, just below the kneecap, right through, and then, like, tied some things on and put the weight off the end of the bed. Anyway, that's not Yikes. the worst of it. So, Chappie's there, and uh, we got uh, Bobby Nichols, who was my agent at the time. So, finally, they're ready to wheel me into surgery. So, the guy pulls the bed into the, into the elevator. And no. uh, the door starts closing, and the weight is on the outside of the bed, uh, outside oh. of the doors. 
And uh, they're like, whoa! <laughs> and they stop it just in time. Because, I mean, you imagine, they would have ripped my leg right off. Oh, my god! So the guy goes, oh, my mistake. And he just picks the weight up and pops it on the bed. Now my leg's in traction, like, <laughs> fully <laughs> spasmed again. Oh, my gosh. It was quite the adventure. That was quite a hospital you were at. Yes. Yeah, they, they, that's the hospital when you walk in. It's like a mental they, facility. They don't have they don't have all those plaques and accolades on the wall. They're the other hospital. Oh, man. Yeah, they just got one that goes recently reinstated health department. Yeah. <laughs> we're pretty good. There's just yeah. a we're pretty D, good. You know, we'll get your medical right. injuries in an okay place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. Um, so anyway, but yeah, seven weeks later um, was riding. Jeez. Because 11 weeks later was Glen Helen, and I wanted to defend my title. So, uh, yeah, I was on the bike in seven weeks, and just That's trained really and trained. Sure. They yeah. rotted it, right? Yeah, they yeah. rotted, yeah. yeah. One Once clean you, break? Yeah, it was clean break. Once you rotted, it's the, it's stable, um, Yeah, but, but yeah. you still limp for like for a long time. Yeah, huh? Did you limp for a while? It was a sucky yeah. injury, definitely the yeah. worst. You still have the pin, the rod in? No, I had it removed. Oh, you did? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Glen Helen, I think I got second or third, maybe fourth, something like that. Yeah, decent comeback. And then um, I heard Ricky talking about Mount Morris in 2000, that mud fest. And, um, oh, yeah. I literally am riding around and I've crashed like four times in the mud and I pull off the track. Ian was not my mechanic in the time, it was Joey Maurer. Yeah, that was when Ian knew. What did Ian well, do? Yeah, I was going to say, what happened that year? So, uh, Ian actually was not with me for my outdoor title. So, he actually decided he was going to take the inside job and sort of run the team engines and development and stuff like that. Uh, I don't want to say we'd had a rough patch, but we'd maybe had a little bit of a rough patch. I don't think it was anything you know, ugly. I mean, we're still best friends to this day, but um, it gets. I think he needed a change. Yeah. He, he'd been a little sick of being on the road all the yeah. time. And I, I, I felt like I had a little bit of that with with my uncle andrew mm. we had been he was my ian he came to europe with me and yeah. we'd done all this and then we moved here and then after 03 it was like 04 and it's just some of the struggles of ktm i felt like we were getting on each other's nerves mm. like we'd be at thanksgiving and be like oh if you didn't blow that race you know and i'm like well shut up we're at thanks you know like it, <laughs> personal too, family too yeah. much yeah. and then it, it was almost like you know what maybe it's better for him and he went and worked with Metcalf, still yeah. with the team, and I went my direction, and we're very close to this day. Same yeah. thing, but I think it's 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 like a marriage. But imagine in a marriage when no one can afford the mortgage and keep the lights on, and you just yeah. you're and not no, doing enough. You're not doing enough. And, and no, know, it's, no it's benefits. Really, you know. Yeah. No benefits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope. Anyway, I don't know how you guys do. It. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. It wears. Yeah. It wears. A marriage Good with no benefits is not going to work. Yes, I'm just you, exactly, I'm out. exactly. Good way to put it, Finn. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for simplifying it. Yeah, but anyway, so I've crashed four times, and I pulled off the track, and I said to Joey, I'm done. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And this was the first time in my entire career that I'd pulled off the track without my bike being broken or me being injured. And I said, I'm done. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I said, I don't want to race right now. <laughs> <laughs> I went back to the pits, and um, and that just that was the beginning of the end for me. I was like, "What? Did, what was that conversation like after the as you got back to the truck and pulled your helmet off? Did was Roger there? Roger was there. Um, it was, but yeah, I mean, I was I was very mixed up emotions and stuff like that. I was like, this is weird because I'd never pulled off ever. I mean, I was always charged to the front. That and that was two thousand, right? Yeah. Okay. So I think at the end of the day, uh, I had worked so hard to pull myself out of the hole that I'd 
got myself into that uh, I was fully ready to defend my title. I was fully prepared, but I didn't have it in me a year more to give it another 110%. I could ride around for the paycheck. Yeah. I mean, no problem. But I'd never raced for money, ever. I always raced to win. And if I didn't feel like I could win, it's time to move on and do something else. I mean, it was a rough year the rest of the season just because I had all these thoughts in my mind. Mm. And, and then, obviously, that was when Ricky went on his tear. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember. You had some... You had a podium or two didn't you probably yeah but you just felt inside like you would well i didn't feel like i could give it enough to win yeah. and if you can't give it enough to win why why be in it so then i was only in it to win it you you had a contract for the following year yeah and now you've lost that that you know the will to win what do yeah. you want to call it when when do you have that conversation with and, and was it with roger i yeah. mean obviously he's still running the show yeah. so you so I had the conversation with him early, and I, cause I said, "Listen, you, I still early want you. meaning not long after Mount Morris." Yeah, lot, okay. not long after Mount Morris. I still want to give you guys time to get a new rider for two thousand and one, um, because you know I just don't feel like I can give you one hundred percent anymore. And you were you were one hundred percent sure, like it was, was crystal say, clear. You weren't nervous because once you say that, yeah. you know that. You've basically closed the door on yourself. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I second-guessed myself a thousand times. But, you know, I mean, because you're closing the door to a chapter of your life that's 20-something years old, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very tough decision. And I flip-flopped many, many times. And I thought, well, maybe I should just do an outdoor season. Or maybe I should just do this or whatever. But uh, I'm glad I made the decision I did. You know, it, it was the right time. And, again, I never raced for money. I raced to win. And if I didn't feel like I could win, move on. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it was tough to say goodbye to the paycheck and everything, but Suzuki appreciated it. I think that's when they hired uh, Wyndham for the following year, and uh, gave them time to sign the guy up. And but didn't you it. race like in Glen Helen of '03 or something? Didn't you race another race? I that, did a couple of races here and there. Yeah, that um, was that World Cup when they yeah. uh, canceled donations. Yeah. Oh. I think I yeah. kind of helped convince you to to come do that one. Probably. At a social event. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was a social. No, so uh, what was funny is um, anyone that watches the show knows that LB's always been my guy. But in 2000, what was really cool for me is I was I won the world championship, and Greg had announced his retirement. But we had never raced together. We'd never been on the same track, like nothing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, Motocross of Nations comes up. And we're teammates, and I remember I was like, it was, it was, it was a cool. I feel like it was a little bit of that, almost a crossing of yeah, the guard, yeah. like the handoff, like Handing he was baton. out, and I was moving to the U.S., and we got to race that that last race. That was the one at uh, Glen Helen. That was where. No, no, no. In 2000, oh. the nations was Saint Jean d'Angeli oh, in okay, France. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. How'd you guys do that year? We had the worst Crap. of luck too. We never, went we, we went down well the start again. Yeah. Who was your other guy? Who was the? It was meant to be Dougmore, and I he broke his scaf right? scaphoid, and Ryan Hunt was a South African champion. Yeah. And with all due respect to Ryan, he came there, but he was out of his element. Yeah. I remember first moto was one twenty five five hundred. You would have been watching, and I got a ripping start for the one twenty five rider, and I'm in the top ten, and I get into like sixth or seventh, and I look back. Because I can hear big bikes behind me, and I see Ryan Hunt, and right behind him was Chad Reed on a 426, ironically, and I'm like, "Dude, we're crushing it!" I'm the first 125 easy. I'm like, "The sun, the moon, the stars, everything's aligned." And then I don't know what the hell happened, but he threw out the anchor. Then the next moto, 
we were down in the first turn, second turn. That was interesting. And then, yeah. yeah. We, I, I think we, got, we tied with Great Britain for fourth, but we got fifth. Okay. That's, but the, that's but, still but, pretty but good. But at, at the yeah. time, that was South Africa's best result. Probably. I think you guys in the one year got fifth or sixth as well. Schwadenstadt, I think, 93. Mm. Oh my gosh, that was the worst day of racing ever. So my old man and I are sharing a room, right? We're staying in this little bed and breakfast oh, in yeah, Schweinenstadt in Austria. And is this uh, is this near the Schwanstein Castle or whatever? Is it somewhere near I there? I don't know. Oh, Some okay. Schwanenschwinger. Schwanenstadt, Austria. Anyway, so my old man's been hanging out with the Polish and the Czech dudes, like <laughs> and my in, old man indulging in a little my vodka. Old man oh, that's right. Was yeah. Richard Moore's mechanic? Because yeah. that's when I broke my femur. Yeah. My dad helped. The guy who was South African champion, and he got selected to go over. Yeah, that's right. So I think your old man and my old man would just <laughs> blast it. I so, wasn't there, but I heard about it. So <laughs> he comes to the room, and I'm like, all right, Dad, ready to go sleep? And like within four nanoseconds, he's out. <laughs> snoring so loud. So eventually, I like an hour and a half later, I still can't go to sleep. So I take the whole mattress, and I put it in the bathroom, close the door. Still can't go to sleep. So now it's like three in the morning and I haven't had a wink of sleep because I'm almost cutting logs. I literally take the duvet and a pillow and go and sleep under the dining room table in the dining hall. Seriously, and I think I had like two hours of sleep that night. And the next day I rode terribly. Yikes. Yeah. Did you have any other good uh, motocross donation stories, or? Well, hit a deer. How many times? Yeah. How many? How many other great stories could you have? (laughs) Did you win individually? No, never. I would have won that one. No. Yeah. I did have a great race after I retired. Like my entire career, I'd never raced a um, GP or national, obviously, in South Africa. Never. Uh, uh, so, Sun City. Uh, Sun City, they finally had a GP in 2004. The other Sun City. <laughs> okay. And, um, and I kind of lined some things up with Sylvain Gaboers and that, that I could go do this GP in South Africa. So I'd already been retired for three years. Yeah, I was gonna, were you still riding a lot? I'm trying no, to think. Yeah. No, I wasn't. And that was the problem. Um, <laughs> so long story short, uh, I'd never ridden a four-stroke in my life. Suzuki had just come out. Actually, I think there was only the factory 450 uh, four-strokes. It was there prototype yeah because only the next year was production 05 okay. so i show up at sun city i've literally had six weeks to train and i've trained way too much so i get there i'm like physically exhausted completely done uh end up getting like diarrhea and all the fun <laughs> stuff and like completely high dehydrated and whatever too many terry terry chicken livers <laughs> Perry, <laughs> Perry, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough. Uh, but anyway, Terry, Terry was another situation. Oh, the, the first time I ever got on a four-stroke was the day of practice, free oh, practice, geez. the day before the GP. Anyway, I think I posted like fifth or sixth fastest time or whatever. But what was so cool is uh, in the second moto, I ended up passing one of the guys for the lead. And I led the thing for like five or six laps or something. Till the and they went stuck nuts. In. And the crowd was going crazy. I mean, it was such a great memory, you know, just to actually lead a GP in my home yeah. you know, territory. And was, oh, they was loved it. Big crowd. Were you there? I was not there, but I no. remember it was it was on the... I had come back um, from the States. 04 was the end for me with KTM. So when I came back, I was in a not the best of moods, but I remember... One of our friends had it recorded, yeah. and they were showing it on Top Sport. Yeah, and uh, it, it was kind of—I think it's one of those things that I wish that I could have raced in front of my home crowd yeah. at a GP. Yeah, and I think for for you, it was like watching that was like it was cool to see. Yeah, it was a great great experience. Good crowd there. Yeah, I mean, for, I think there was yeah. probably 
fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, something like that. I can't remember. So for I mean for there, that's South Africa. For there, that's really that's good, yeah. it was, at a typical <laughs> national, if you take out family and close friends, nobody shows up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you don't get you don't you don't even get a mechanics pass in South Africa. They're like we're yeah. just losing money on entry. <laughs> yeah, so we're just gonna nickel and dime everyone. Yeah. So um, the 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 uh, first of all, you kind of fit into that. Like I always say that there's a there's a ten year window for most guys, and there's always the Larocos and whoever's. But yeah. you get ten years where you yeah. can deal with the 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 stress, uh, the physical work, mm. the the psychological struggles of especially like you talk about that downward spiral of of all of it fitness injuries so you kind of fit right in that nine ten year window yeah an 11 11 year pro career 90 2000 yes yeah so um do you think you were just you're just emotionally fried kind of like just mentally you just can't keep it going yeah i mean listen at the at the level i mean my i picked up my guy my boy today and he's like how was your workout i went to do a soccer moms crossfit the orange theory thing okay and um i said yeah i just i don't love working out that much he's like why i said well every time i worked out when i was a pro i worked out to the point where i was literally about to throw up i mean that's the intensity that you need right i mean you are busting your butt all the time it's no just fun workouts so yeah that that intensity and that level was was exhausting and there's only so long you can do it that's why most guys retire at 27 28 yeah well even like you know, with Carmichael, I mean, look at him. He was so good, but, you know, just follow, watching his career, it seemed like he was at 110% all the time. Mm. And even even when he could have won, he walked away. Mm. And a lot of guys can't do that. But yeah. I think, like you said with Ricky, the fear, the the failure potential, all those things combined, I think for him it was so overwhelming then he took a step away, and now he still goes and races here and rides yeah. there and does all this because there's not that, you know, He's not massive to win. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now it's it's fun again. I can go. He can go to Australia and do a few parade laps, make some money, sign some autographs, shake hands, kiss babies, and they love it. Yeah. It's not like well, you got to be under a forty-seven second lap time. Yeah. Otherwise, you we're know, not, we're not going to invite you back. You don't hear a lot of like long thought about retirement. A lot of guys are like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, yeah. look at Wyndham when he called it, and and I was the same way. I knew, like, right away. Like, yeah. This is it. I was I mean, kind of like you. I finished honest. out the season, but I knew it. I, I'm like, I'm done. This year for Reedy has got to be the most painful year of his life. I mean, I I personally would die if I you know knew that I was going to retire at the end of the year, and you're going to race the entire year, and you know get the results that he's getting now when you know he's a winner. I mean, that guy's a winner. It would be very painful for me. I would not be able to do it. Yeah, I think. Well, that's the thing. I think a lot of people would have walked away sooner, but different things make different guys yeah, tick. Yeah, and, and and Chad, I think, is just. I hate to say it, but I think what you're saying, the results. I think he. I don't want to say anticipated this, but I think he's doing this because he's been there so long, and it's. It's a farewell tour. I mean, he yeah. he almost announced it before the season started. It wasn't like, I'm going to try to win my third title. It was one last ride. Yeah. I mean, that to me yeah. is a little bit like, this is closure for him. And everyone does it differently. Yeah, totally. But he's been able to, I mean, he's been, he's battled Ricky and James. I mean, he's raced, he's battled with guys over generations. Yeah. So, 
I respect that in in one sense. Totally. I agree with you. I'm yeah. the kind of person I'm like I I I, I couldn't be out there. Yeah. Okay. I'm surprised he doesn't just come out, do opening ceremonies, you know, sign autographs in the pits and yeah. if you really want to go and do that. Cool today, yeah. To be racing those LCQs and like But you know what? You see him in the LCQ, I guarantee if he gets a bad start, you'll see a little glimpse and go, Whoa. Because <laughs> yeah, he'll dig yeah. deep because yeah. he doesn't want to fail either. Yeah. He's a deep deep digging guy, man. Yeah. It's tough. All right, so after it was all over, yeah. um, did you jump into real estate right away? I'm trying to remember the timeline of it. Yeah, so 2000, end of 2000, 2001, I'm working a little bit with the Team Suzuki and that, and then I'm like, this is not for me. I mean, I don't want to be traveling to the races every week. And you know. When you're not racing, the travel seems a little yeah, different. Yeah, and you're not making the big bucks. So I kind of had no idea what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I'm like, I don't have a high school uh, graduation. I certainly don't have college. Um, I'm interested in real estate, but I have no idea how to do it or what to do. Anyway, long story short, I ended up getting involved with this guy. And uh, the very first deal we ever did, I put up a quarter of a million bucks. And nine months later, I got my money back plus a check for $860,000. And I'm like, well, this was, uh, what's his name? Oh, George. George, that's right. Okay. George George of the jungle. George of the jungle. So, um, yes, I mean, I get this money back. I'm like, what the heck? I've been racing all these years. This <laughs> is a piece of cake. I mean, yeah. this is so easy. Next deal we do, we build like 63 houses in Palm Springs, and I make another million five. I'm like, what the heck? This is like a, so easy. This was like the 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 mm. wave, right? That was building. So oh three, oh four. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, and all of a sudden they're talking about rumors of like, you know, maybe there's a slowdown coming, and old Greenspan's like it's going to be a soft landing, and you know, it's not going to be a big crash. So, so I'm just we're doing a bunch of deals, and I'm signing personal guarantees for like. I mean, at one point, I had $37 million in personal guarantees with Wells Fargo and Citibank and different loans. Because, I mean, if you're building a housing tract, right, you put up a million or whatever of your own money, they will loan you the rest, right? But they want to see you put up this money. And, you know, it costs a lot of money to put in water, sewer, roads, yeah. infrastructure, things like that. $12 million bucks here, 10 there, whatever. And next thing, the music stopped. And um, it was... Probably leading up to the next most painful decade of my life because, uh, yeah, I mean, so now I've got banks calling me. All the loans are being called because the values have dropped. You buy something for a million bucks, it's now worth half a million, if that, and you try and find somebody who's going to buy it for half a million right. or lend you the money, nobody. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, literally I almost lost everything. I mean, there was four years where I made zero, nothing. And Amy wasn't working at this point, right? Uh, she was not working. No, she was raising kids, and yeah, uh, yeah we were so you were. I mean, that, those were thin times. Well, yeah, there was the other aspect too, which is you had. Let's be honest, friends. Yeah. invest money. Yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah, Costa, many others. Yeah, things turned sideways. I mean, I remember yeah. we had a couple conversations. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember hearing in your voice. I yeah. mean, you sounded. I don't even know how to explain it. Like, almost in such disbelief yeah. at what had happened. And you're like, I got friends that are mad at me because yeah. they're looking at me, you know. And I, I remember that. It was, it was, it, I felt for you, even yeah. though I lost a fair bit too. I know you yeah. lost a lot and a lot of other people did, but I remember that was, there was some. 
No, it was, I'm not kidding. It's probably one of the hardest periods of my life. So, 08, the real estate crash happens. Uh, all these deals we have go sideways. Uh, I have investors and friends because, I mean, we were doing well. So, I was like, hey, let's get friends involved. Let's do more deals, you know. And, yeah. and some of those people had said to me, yeah, dude, we got we invested with Elby. We're making yeah. good money. Yeah. Jump on in. I was like, yeah. shit. There we go. So... Yeah, so all of a sudden the wheels stop and uh, not only does my income disappear, but now we've lost all this money and I've lost investor and friends money. And that was so hard because some guys legitimately thought I'd stolen their money. Le legitimately. Yeah. Ignorant, obviously. I mean, you've got companies like Lehman Brothers and you know others that have been in business for hundreds of years or over a hundred years and they're now bankrupt. And they're now mad because I stole their money, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in hindsight, I'm very sorry for the way it happened, and I'm very sorry I would never do it again the same way. I love real estate. It's a great wealth builder, but I'd never do it the same way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it led to I, Amy and I were finally able to buy a house again last year. It was 10 years since I had to sell my last house. We, re we moved seven times in that period. Is that right? Seven times, yeah. I still remember... Um I think it was Ian that told me, Ian Harrison, but he told me that he, I think you, you've you've backed it up, but he, you had mentioned that you had to pawn your Rolex yeah. to make your, 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 your rental payment on your yeah. house that you're renting that you said, like, it's not even a mortgage payment, but, and then I said, well, what was your next plan? You're like, I was buying 30 days. Yeah. I pawned my watch to pay the bills and then it was like, what's going to happen? Now it's true. I mean, Ian helped me move numerous times, but the one time we moved into this little dump, and uh, I couldn't make the rent, and I had to sell my Rolex to to make the rent. And I literally remember crying on his shoulders. I was like, "Dude, why? Yeah, why? How did it get here? How did it get here?" I've had that moment too at some point. Yeah. Have you ever had that? It's rough. So Were for you? any any of these clowns well. out there who think that I'm riding high on the hog because I took everybody's money. Bite me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did pretty good. I see that Tommy Hilfiger shirt on there. Like, hey, you, out, you outlet styling. store. <laughs> outlet store. Did yeah. you lose money in that uh, commercial real estate deal in Arizona that I was in, my sister was in? No, I was not involved in that. I lost money in a lot of other deals. <laughs> I, yeah. Anyway, there were there was a lot of shenanigans going. I had a guy. It ended up being a fake. Like he was, he fudged all the uh, oh, loan paper. He was a con artist. Yeah, but he had uh, four million bucks he had raised. Fifty thousand of it was mine. My sister was in for a hundred. Bunch of my friends. Yeah, and this guy blew it all on some off offshore casino and then killed himself or was killed. Wow! <laughs> Fiery Crazy. car crash. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I, I mean, real estate's. Yeah, it's like you said. It's a. Uh, it's a great. Yeah. It's a great wealth builder, but. Man, be, that's got to be aware. It's it not a guarantee. It, yeah, I mean, yeah. leverage is the end of the day is what will kill anybody, right? Yeah. Uh, if if you have a lot of debt and that debt becomes due, if you can't pay it, yeah, it's a bad deal. You're done. So, and I remember there was a point in there, you actually contacted me and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing like a radio show or a podcast in the motor world?" Do you remember that? I do. I don't yeah. remember what I mean, listen, I was, so after that happened, I mean, I was looking for anything. I mean, the real, the, the entire economy, not just real estate, was dead. Yeah. It was completely dead. And I had all this drive and energy and obviously a need to feed my family. And I was like looking for anything. I mean, I was willing to do whatever. We had to, a few conversations about yeah, what some can ideas. We do? Yeah. Or, 
printing clothing out of licensing. Yeah. So what did you things. mainly do in that period to make money? Uh, Sell Rolexes. <laughs> Used Rolexes. So uh, in that four-year period, um, I flipped 12 houses. Um, started off really well and then kind of uh, things tapered off where it was really hard to find the deals and stuff. But yeah, at the end of the day, after four years of a lot of effort, a lot of hustling, I really made nothing. Mm. Yeah, tapped into all of our savings. Yeah, it was rough. Jeez, and then, uh, that's scary. It's very scary. I mean, you know, obviously when you get when you up and you know, again, not a religious guy, but I remember when the real when when these loans started coming. Oh, yes, you've always been a religious guy. No, that's that's for jokers. I, I have a relationship, not religion. Okay. Um, but I remember saying to God, I said, God, you have always provided for me. And you're either the Lord of my finances and my money all the time or none of the time. So right now I'm going to choose all the time. And this was when all the crap was hitting the fan. Wells Fargo sucked money out of my bank account. There was attachment on my house. And he got me through it, man. And now I have a great business. I'm completely in a different industry. Yeah, so so we'll take us Am into I that. Am I jumping ahead? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, it, it, it rolls. Um, so... You had to rebuild. Like, t tell us how you got into this next phase and what it, what it is. So again, a bicycle is easy, easier to steer when it's moving than when it's stopped, right? So a friend of mine uh, was selling electrical utility products to Arizona Public Service and Salt River Project in Arizona. He had a rep firm, and he said, "Hey, man, I'm looking to grow in California. Do you mind helping me out?" I'm like, "Sure, I'll help you out. No problem. I had nothing going on." said, whatever we bring in, we'll split 50-50. So, I mean, I, we were like making four, I was making like 40 grand, maybe 50 grand for like two years. And um, anyway, I kind of saw the interesting thing is the rest of the economy is dead, but the utility industry has got money. They're spending money. It's like, wow. So, I was with him for two years and then I left and started my own agency. That's when I had to sell my Rolex because it takes a while to get a business going. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, oh, I know. I started my own business, um, got manufacturers on board to represent. So I kind of like act as a, as a real estate agent, pretty much a middleman between the utility and the the uh, uh, manufacturer. Okay. And um, yeah, I mean it's been growing nicely, steadily. I got a great team of guys that I work with, and uh, a nice, a great gal that we work with. So we cover all of California. We've recently expanded to Washington, Oregon, and uh, last year, even though we're been in business seven years. I think we sold $64 million worth of product last year, which is pretty impressive in a short period of time. It's amazing. Yeah, so we're hustling. Well, if there's Every day. profit and margins in that, then you guys are doing very well. Yeah. And so is it like... Um Insulators, like what are you? What yeah. is it? Everything from transformers, insulators, street lights. From, from what know. I understand, uh. too, isn't there also a lot of just like upgrading of? Yeah, you know, hey, this this is out of date. We got to up, upgrade these yeah. components or parts. Well, if you drive around, you'll see a lot of the electrical grid is 40, 50 years or more years yeah. old. So uh, there's a lot of money to be spending now with the wildfires and stuff like that. I mean, a lot of our products are going to be going in, so they're spending millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, it's it's actually a brilliant uh, concept because it's one thing that we have to have. Yeah. Right. And, like we have to have and, electricity. Yeah, and, so and, and it's tax dollars at work. <laughs> So they, well, th they can there can be some wastage. Some of it, right? Like it's private. Um, it's quasi government. Quasi government. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's well, very, very regulated. Wait, what? Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, indirectly, it's this yeah. taxpayer dollars that they're using. Correct. Ratepayer dollars. Ratepayer. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah Ratepayer yeah, dollars. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So 
How's the family? Let's talk about that. You guys have been married, got to be 20 years now, huh? 21 years, man. Yeah, 21 years last September. Family. Yeah, that's so awesome. That's why you said it was before you... Yeah, no, when you're total. 98. Everybody's, everybody in the motocross industry gets married in September, right? Right after the outdoor <laughs> start. See, either their kids are born then or the... Or the yeah, yeah, my uh, wedding anniversary was also September. Yeah, yeah, that was October, but... Oh, you waited a month, huh? Yeah. He's so cool like that. <laughs> I'm not doing September. That's so, yeah, like... Yeah, so overrated. That's what everyone does. Yeah, I've been married 21 years, have a, a great 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, and a 9-year-old son. So, they were my at the wife, house not that long ago. It was pretty cool. Amber yeah. said something to me, and I kind of laughed at it. This was maybe a couple of years ago. I showed, I bumped into you, what was it, Glenn Helen or something. I came and did that thing for your yes. previous. yeah. And somehow along, I showed her a picture of your, your boy. We all took a picture together. Yeah. And she goes, oh, he's really cute. We should set <laughs> Ellie up with him. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know. And then she said something the other day. And I'm like, you know, I'm not real big on arranged marriages. But like, <laughs> this could actually work out. <laughs> She's 13. I'm just saying, I'll yeah. send some photos over. You have a look. <laughs> you wait maybe a while. We'll <laughs> <laughs> no, <it's good. laughs> wait till she's like 30, maybe. I think that'll be good. All right. Yeah. She's it. Well, anyway. <laughs> yeah, good luck on having them wait till they're 30. Good luck. It's <laughs> <laughs> 2020, bro. <laughs> so, what are the kids into? I know your, your oldest rides a little bit, but. Yeah, but the boys ride a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, they ride as often as I do, which is not too often. Suzuki's very kind to still give me a bike. Can you believe that? So that's really appreciated. Uh, they both actually very much into rugby. Uh, is that right? Yeah, Ethan would love to become a Springbok uh, rugby player. That's his goal. I don't even know what eagle. that means. I've never well, heard of that word, Springbok. Is um, that a team? What? <laughs> Jeez. Why don't you steer that it's dagger so, right in our heart there, so right? rude, Ping. We just, we're the world champions, man. The Springbok. <laughs> Rugby team. I even oh, told you right? we just won yeah. won the World Cup. At the I end think of the, last the year. only team I've ever heard of is the All Blacks. Oh, because Townley used to talk you. about them all the time. <laughs> we just crushed the All Blacks. I'll see how they did. That's what they're called. Yeah, yeah Springboks. What's yeah. that even mean? What's a Springbok? It's a kind of deal. Oh, oh, a yeah. Springbok. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. all right, I got you. Yeah. Springbucks, dude. I like the one you killed in. Uh, <laughs> no, that was a deer. Oh. If it was a springbuck, he would have gone underneath <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, that was a wolf. That buck. thing was a, yeah, it was a limper. <laughs> anyway, Don't limp, so, jump. So his goal is to definitely uh, become a pro rugby player. Though, wow, cool. Some, yeah. Has he got the build for? It? Is he gonna be bigger? You got to be pretty. He is. He's, he's tall. taller than me and uh, he's, he's heavier and stronger. Yeah, he's like Devin, my boy. Yeah. Like. I haven't seen Dev in a while, but I'm yeah, sure. he wasn't there that day. But yeah, his boy Ethan, I was like, "Jeez, yeah, what's up, kid? <laughs> How you doing? And what about your girl? Uh, she's very artistic. She sings like a, an angel and uh, loves cooking. She's like torn between culinary school or performing arts. She's not wow. quite sure. Yeah, she's, li- she's little sweet. guy. Little guy loves rugby too. And so, what's next for you guys? What's next, man? Well, just um, trying to raise kids successfully, you know. Um, that's one thing I really liked with uh, what Carrie was saying, you know. They're just legit good parents. You can tell they just love their kids, and uh, that was very cool to see. So, yeah, we, we love our kids. It's I'm not going to lie. It's full throttle if you're not running in seven different directions. Dude, three it, kids is a lot. Oh, my gosh. It's I have two, and then my girlfriend yeah. Jenny has one, so... I feel like the jump from two to three is like it's huge. A it's, whole other level. It's a whole well, she said from level. she said having one, she because she now is in the mix. So she went from one to three, and she's like, it's it's yeah. stupid. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know how people do. This. No, it's insane. I mean, two's yeah. like a walk in the park. We 
we have days where we have to coordinate. She's picking up one kid, I'm getting the other one, then stopping buying it. There's yeah. days it's like that, yeah. and you're like, it's hey, no I, joke. Hey, it's, I, uh, it's no joke. It's actually true. You, I know you do it. You're like, I want to come to this event, but my daughter's got a state game, and I'm just yeah. not going to miss it. I'm like, don't miss it. You, yeah. you should talk to my mom. I'm the youngest of eight kids. Oh, oh my gosh. That's crazy. Does your mom talk about planes as much as you do? She, my mom has her pants license. <laughs> oh, send I your mom's, imagine. Uh, send your mom's uterus my regards. <laughs> Eight children. <laughs> yeah. I'm, the, I'm the last, too. Yeah. Did you walk out? <laughs> no. GL. Too soon. Too much. Too soon. I know. My mom yeah. owns That's guns, That's his too. mother, man. Yeah, you're a savage. Well, you, hey, he was, he, was, he was a natural-born bungee jumper. He just came out and... <laughs> Sorry. Oh All right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, anyway, back to Albie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the last question we always ask is, how yeah. do you want to be remembered in the sport? In the sport or in life? Well, for the sake of the show, we'll stay the sport. Well, because the sport is the people that, in life, that's different, but the people that are fans and that. Yeah. But you give us both. Give us yeah. both. As a well, racer and as a person. As a racer, I want to be remembered as a, uh, a guy who always gave it his 100%. And uh, was just an all-around good guy. Um, I suppose in life, I want to be somebody who's remembered for making an impact. Not only in my family's life, my kids, but uh, in others. And leaving a positive legacy. That's it. Awesome, man. I think you're doing that. Appreciate it, man. I'm trying. Trying. Man. $64 $64 million this company made last year. No, no, I didn't make that. I sold <laughs> that. Your company, right? I like, sold $64 million yeah. well, worth Well, that's of a big number. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I oh, wish I'd made $64 million. No, I said your I'd company, be, right? Like, yeah. That's what they sold, yeah. Yeah. All right. Huh? If I, I ever need a better. job, I'm going to come tap on your door. <laughs> hey, uh, we're both just huge fans of you. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Back at you guys, it's been man. awesome. Huge fans. Thanks for Thanks having China. me. China. Always a pleasure. I know we don't see each other enough, but dang it, stay in touch. Oh, I do want to tell you one last story. Let's hear it. If you got time. I do. So, Pitt Byra, 2008. Okay. I haven't seen him in like 10 years, right? And him and my buddies, and he comes over for Anaheim Supercross, and he comes to my house for a barbecue. He's like, dude. For a bri. A bri. Yeah. He says, I'm so not happy with the whole KTM program. It's a freaking joke. Who should I hire? So I said, you know what? You need to hire Roger. And I said, you know what? You need to hire Roger and Ian. Because Suzuki was kind of waffling with what mm-hmm. they were doing for the following year. They weren't sure if they were going to have a team or whatever. So he said, all right. True as Bob. He calls Roger, calls Ian, and the rest is history. Really? Yeah. Let's see so. you having an impact. There you go. There having you an go. Impact. Hey, who knew? Who knew? Yeah. <laughs> you kind of screwing Suzuki because, like, <laughs> you really wow. took some horsepower out of their barn. But. I, I think at that point they weren't 100% sure whether they were going to do a team yeah. or whatever. So, yeah. But unfortunately, there's still some of that, I don't know, um, unsurety. I mean, even coming into this year, JGR was not really official until pretty late yeah donnie can you google unsurety <laughs> i don't think that's a word <laughs> we'll look up unsurety <laughs> oh hey academic guy over here I, uh, <laughs> I have a guy i got it i got it i got it okay i just rate the english language okay cut me some slack i got a guy nate who works with me and he comes up with all these funny words i call him natisms because it's just same <laughs> same deal yeah <laughs> 
Uh, well, Albie, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Thank uh, you, guys. Always o- a pleasure. Always a pleasure to hang out with you. Greg Albertine, we'll be back. At Nihilo Concepts, we have a passion for innovation and for motocross. Our mission is to develop parts that will improve the durability, functionality, and the appearance of your motorcycle. We're proud to say that everything from Nihilo is made in the USA in our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Stewart, Florida. Whether you race every weekend or you just ride for fun, Nihilo offers high-quality, innovative parts that you just won't find anywhere else. Nihilo offers custom engraved engine covers, one-piece titanium foot picks, brake tips, internal engine components, specialty tools, frame grip tape, carbon fiber components, and so much more. Check out our website, nihiloconcepts.com, and see for yourself why teams like Red Bull KTM, Rockstar Husqvarna, Troy Lee Designs, and some of the fastest riders in the world choose Nihilo Concepts. nihiloconcepts.com. Ford WP is more than a store. We're truck and Jeep experts. From wheel and tire upgrades to full custom builds, 4WP has you covered. Do your rig right. Shop online or find your store at 4WP.com. Welcome back to the Whiskey Throttle Show. And this week's sponsor spotlight is going to be Sam Morton, Morton from SKDA. Uh, they came on this year. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. stoked to have you involved. Um, you know, I, I want to just mention the way you and I first met is uh, I was building project bikes on a regular basis and uh, scrolling through Instagram, just trying to get ideas of different bikes, you know, and I kept coming across these graphics. I'm like, God, these are really cool looking. And it was your company, you know. Uh, all the des- designs you guys have have a very clean, distinct look to them that's way outside the box from any other design really inside our sport for sure. Um, so I reached out. You sent us some graphics, and we made a really cool-looking bike. And anyway, stoked to have you a part of the show now. Cheers, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. So first of all, I'm going to clear something up for a lot of people. What does SKDA stand for? Ah, that's a long-winded response. I'll try and keep it simple. When I first started the company back 10 years ago now, actually, just past 10 years, um, it was called Sickness, S-I-K-N-E-S-S, because I was a fully sick kid, and, you know, that's exactly how you do it, you know, when you're starting out. Want to make some sick Um, graphics. Exactly right, yeah. And because of that, because of the S-I-K, the logo was an S and a K, um, and then we got to a point where I realized that I wanted to reach a wider demographic than just the kids that just think the sickos. fully yeah. sick. Exactly right. <laughs> so I wanted to change the name. 
Um, and at that stage, people were already referring to it as SK because of the logo. So it was a pretty easy fit, SK Designs. And it started as SK Designs Australia. So that was the SKDA. Got it. And then when we started up in the US a couple of years ago, that was SK Designs America. So you can pretty easily pair the two by just saying SKDA. Sure. And that sort of stuck. Cool, man. Well, I know we, I get asked that a lot, and um, so I didn't even know the answer. So now you've got a long answer to give yeah. them. You know? Yeah. Sit down well, for a minute and I'll well when I was looking at the website, I saw it was uh, SK Designs Australia. So I figured, okay, there's got to be an SK. <laughs> yeah, what's the K? I didn't know K? if that was like yeah. the two partners' names, or yeah. I was like, Sam. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, ac accident, ac yeah. Sorry, happy accident. My wife's name is Kelsey. Oh. Sam, K oh, there you go. All right. Just roll so with that. Sort of happy. Yeah, I, know. I could go with that, but you know, we'll see how we go. <laughs> happy little accidents like Bob Ross. Exactly right. <laughs> so how did you get into it? I think it's funny because you always hear uh, companies that sort of have these breakout years, right? Which I feel like you guys have had in the last year or two. Yep. And it's like, uh, you know, another overnight success that took 10 years to happen or whatever. Right? So I didn't yeah. know you were, you were in business that long. I mean, yeah. it, it takes a while. Yep, 10 years. They don't. Companies just don't blow up mm. overnight, you know, yeah. for no reason. So you guys have been in the trenches. How'd you get into design? Uh, really simply, I was just into art as a kid, always drawing and designing. Okay. I used to design helmets, you know, I used to draw a template around the Twilly helmet and then paint uh -huh. my own pictures in there okay. and just have dreams. Yep. Um, and then I had an idea actually from a Troy Lee bike. There was a day in the dirt bike that Troy Lee did on a Cowie. I don't know, a long time ago, 10 years ago. Okay. It was just awesome. And I saw it and I wanted it on my bike, but I had some really specific changes I wanted to make to it that were in my own head. Okay. Um, so I drew them up and I took them to a bunch of companies that do what I now do. And no one could get it the way that I wanted it. I had a really specific idea and no one could reach it. So instead, I just decided that I'd try and do it myself. So I jumped onto Publisher and made it up and took it to a company and said, hey, print this. This is what I want. Um, with only the intention to have it on my own bike. Yeah. Nothing more. Um, put it on my bike and I was stoked with it. It looked awesome. I was so sick. happy. It was like, sick. I had the matching <laughs> Troy Lee Design star, Stars gear. Like yeah. it was the best. I've got a photo. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then a friend of mine was like, dude, that looks sick. Can you design one for me? And then, and then the ball took that off. Was it. it just went from there. Yeah. Um, your your graphics, like I mentioned earlier, they just I can see a bike from across the pits and go, oh, that's SKDA graphics. They're just they have a distinct look. Mm -hmm. What is that? Yeah, that was intentional. We did that intentionally. So not that long ago, you know, obviously we've been going for 10 years. When I started, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, you look at that stuff now, it doesn't look pretty, you yeah, know, everything yeah. comes from somewhere. But I got to a certain point when I realized, you know what, everyone's doing the same thing. You know, it's a pretty consistent yeah. style, you know, which looks good. You know, the factory style, everyone's doing that. So how can we be different? Let's just do something completely unique so i really like that clean feel yeah. a lot of brands are doing that now like fox yeah. and you know troy lee they do that clean style yeah um and i was like let's adapt that and put it into a kit so we intentionally turned to that point and tried to just follow this unique path because it's a pretty good way to get noticed right? yeah just do something unique uh, it totally worked we'll just run yeah. with it you know and yeah. now that's half of our whole branding you know our purpose is be good with customer service and be super unique. Yeah. Well, and, and in, in terms of customer service, um, we've mentioned on the show, you guys, you have a deal with a shipping company out of Australia. Everything's made in Australia for U.S. customers, right? Yep. Designed, built right there. You have yep. a two-day, 48-hour uh, shipping to any place in the U.S., though, right? Yeah, yeah. Which so is pretty incredible. It's, once it's printed and completed, obviously, there's the design process. Of course, of there. course. But yeah. once it's all ready to go, it jumps on the plane with DHL we use, and yeah, within 48 hours, it's to your door here in the U.S. Dude, and they communication is great mm. i got email and you can also get text updates and then it even gives you the option to leave it at the door without a signature yeah. they were like we're delivering it in a few hours and i'm like deliver without yeah. signature no worries there it was yeah so i was pretty impressed yeah remember good. i said to you i thought they were made locally because they 
came so yeah. fast. Mm. Yeah, you could you could buy something domestically here, and it takes seven to ten days at least. Mm. So from Australia to have it here in that seven to ten day window, mm. that's pretty dang good. Yeah, and really they don't bubble. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. When I put him on, I felt like a champ. I did graphics without a bubble. And then he broke the news that, what is it? You guys use a special material, Yeah, right? yeah. There's a, there's a material that's pretty commonly used now that's got um, air release technology in it. So it makes it just heaps easier to apply for everybody, which is, you know, one of the hardest things about buying graphics is putting it on, right? Mm. Yeah. You shrunk Grant like five inches. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'm so oh, good at graphics now. I'm so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's easy well. for everyone. Sorry, man. Uh, well, that's good news, though. Yeah, no, it is great. Um, uh, and and like you mentioned, something that's dying, I think, around the world is customer service, mm -hmm. and that's a focus for you guys. And, and as Grant mentioned, you get a text. Okay, your your graphics are designed. They're they're on their way. Okay, they're you know they, in they, route. They, they, yeah, yeah there's all you these. Up. You yeah. know where it's at all the time, exactly. and it's just. It's a small thing, but it's really nice. Mm. So you're not going, man, I ordered these graphics. Where the hell are they? Yeah. And then even you know. after sales service, you know, we pride ourselves on being really good. You know, if a customer comes back with a concern, we'll do everything we can to get them sorted out, whether it's a problem or a misfitment or something goes wrong on their half or whatever it is. We'll mm -hmm. do everything we can to sort them out because we want to get and retain customers and we want that to be something that we're known for. So yeah. we focus on it. That's awesome, man. Um, what about for customers over in Europe? So you everything from the U.S. is designed in Australia yep. and shipped, but you guys have a separate place over there? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, so importing is really expensive for European customers, and there's delays with shipping and stuff. It's quite difficult to get in there. Obviously, Australia and U.S. have a really good relationship um, yep. on a business side of things, so Europe's a bit trickier to get in. Mm. So we want us to offer it to the European customers. You know, we're really focused on trying to become that global brand, you know, offer it anywhere. Yep. Like Trilly, of course, is. Um, so we wanted to make sure we could avoid that. We don't want people dealing with slow shipping yeah. and, and import taxes and whatever. So mm. we've hooked up with a mob over there and we get all our stuff. It's still, the orders are still managed in Australia, designed in Australia. But when it gets to the print process, right. it yeah. moves to the European print hub where it packages and ships and prints from there so that we don't have to internationally ship but same machines same materials yep. so the quality is the same and yeah, it's all our specs so yeah. yeah we sent them all our specs you know they're using the materials we want them to be using we you know we it's our it's our media it's our service it's our everything and uh all your stuff you mentioned you don't stock a bunch of merchandise because it's all custom yeah right like yeah, yeah. One that's off. most yeah. of or is that all of it? It's really good to sort of offer all the graphics kits and chuck on whatever we're going to do, you know, the name and number and logos mm. and just print them out there. Yeah. We can get them here so quickly that it doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I've always wondered how difficult is it to sort of just keep reinventing yourself? I know you're in that industry where what works today is not going to sell tomorrow necessarily. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you, how do you manage it? Like, where does the inspiration come from? How how often do you find yourself having to go? Okay, hit the reset button. Yeah, it's difficult, you know, and you've got to be really careful. Like, being creative is a really tricky thing to do. You know, the designers would know about it. it's tough. Um, you can't just rattle out new after new after new. Um, I'm always looking for inspiration. Like, even on our trips when we're over here, whatever it is, you might see a car that looks cool or a T-shirt or whatever yeah. and just pick up on weird things and then trying to Make apply it your that own, in your huh? world. Yeah, so I email myself constantly. I'll see a photo <laughs> of a dude wearing a t-shirt and a hat and a funny color. I'm like, that's cool. Take a photo, send it myself at home. So yeah. when I'm back there and I'm in my zone, I can try and come up with something yeah. that no one else has. And you can't look at dirt bikes for inspiration because that's been done. So you yeah. look at weird stuff, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Maki, the guy that does all the TLD design, he'll watch like, you know, weird little Japanese anime and then he's watching Formula One and he, he takes... Like like you do, he's trying to look if 
anywhere you can for something mm-hmm. to go, oh, I like that. How can I make that, you know, moto? Of course. So yeah. it's interesting. Are you the only designer? No, not at all. Okay. So I'm the, I've come up with the company's creative, you know, like I, some of those big, unique designs, the divide we talked about, and some yep. of the other ones are my child. You know, I'm the designer. I'm the excited guy that gets it all done. Um, but we've got a team of designers in-house that help to obviously come up with new designs as well as manage the orders and manage sure. customers' special requests and whatever it is. Awesome. Well, um, I can just tell you I'm stoked you guys are a part of the show now. Um, I, I hope that we can kind of grow together and be a part of you uh, I can see you guys just getting bigger and better because you look at your stuff and it's it's just rad. It stands out and it, it's super high quality and the customer service is second to none. It's so. just sick. Awesome. It's just sick. 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 <laughs> Bottom so line, sick. it's yeah, sick. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Got to get a six out of graphics. <laughs> well, hey, Sam, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, cool. Looking forward to working with you all year long. Likewise. I really appreciate it, guys. Cheers. Thanks. All right. Cheers. All right, well, it's time for the four-wheel parts get-at-me Q&A. Four-wheel parts is your one-stop shop for all things off-road. So whether you've got a truck, a sprinter, UTV, go in there. They've got literally everything you could possibly want. And uh, they do the surface as well, any kind of installation that you need. Those guys do an awesome job. Great products, great service. Um, Donnie, what do we have for questions today? Yeah, um, Dave Bress wants to know, uh, it seems like the uh, passing rule on uh, what's legal and not legal needs to be changed. Is it time, or how do we get an actual rule on what is a legal and illegal pass? Mm, I, the problem is every pass is so different. It's not like you can you can you can create a rule that covers everything. You know what I mean? There's going to be situations where. I mean, the Ferrandis and Craig one's a great example. It looked super dramatic and violent, and if you watch it, you're like, oh, that was dirty. But when you really start looking at it and paying attention, it was a, a bad move, but it wasn't malicious, and, you know. There, there was no, like, ill intent. There was no, yeah, there yeah. was no intent. So, Also, I, I, you know, I, if he wasn't French, there'd be no booing, I believe. Well, less. Or less. Less. They booed Ricky because... He bumped with Pastrana, who was Mr. Popular. So yeah. Ferranis is, as you said, French, so he's not popular. He's Craig's Mr. a California He's Mr. Kid. Unpopular at the moment. <laughs> he's the guy that everyone's like, we we don't even know what he's saying on the, the podium. The, the right answer to this, for, for me, in my opinion, is is not a rule or a law, right? It's It's put together a group, and we've talked about this. Writer committee. Put together a committee of guys who can look at an incident, um... Guys who guys who have raced. I think Trey Kennard, he keeps coming to my mind just because I think he's level-headed. He, he, he's going to be able to give you a very good explanation to why something is too much or just racing. And maybe it's two or three guys, but, you know, I think having two guys who work at the AMA who have never raced who are just... How about team managers? Like how, that you have yeah, group they're there, but they're going to be subjective. Of course, but you're going to have what, five, six, seven team managers, and they all get to vote on what it is, and then the one guy that's going to be subjective is, you know, out, and then they're going to have four other guys that have no skin in the game, most likely, and then they can say, hey, look, that was... Yeah, but then it comes back to... Well, <clears throat> KTM and Husky are going to butter yeah. each other up. And where... I think there's a lot of hair on that. I think you create a committee okay, you and remo- those guys are You responsible remove the brands that are involved and then just allow the ones that aren't involved. Well, I think you have There's to still championship implications. Yeah. There's First all kinds of all, of you stuff. have to have people that are not... Um, that don't have skin in the game, yeah. for lack of a better term. Uh, Nothing to gain. T- 
in other words, someone that's freshly retired or someone that's, you know, frustrated with what's happened, um, even, um, gosh, why am I drawing a blank? Uh, he just retired from Honda, um, the old team manager. Um, and one of the things he was saying was he was frustrated with no clarity in um, decision-making, um, you know, when when there was a penalty, uh when there wasn't, when there was probation, you know, how, where the rules were, he, gosh, I don't know who you're Bentley? talking about. Oh, Bentley? He's working for Geico now, isn't he? He was in charge of the TVD program over there. I, I, just no, no, take no, a few racers. Wait, hold on. I'm having one LaRocco is, is another guy that comes to mind. Jeff Emig. Why not Jeff Emig? He's got no, uh, no, you know, no, nothing to gain or lose by making decisions, but that guy certainly knows aggressive racing. Yeah, but you should have three guys. So you can kind of vote on it and go, look, you know, and you go through a little opinion. I'm yeah. just sticking my hand up because I, I want to have a vote. You're saying, how about three guys? I'm saying, we just need one. Like, we just need someone that we can say that most people go, yeah, we we, we, we respect his opinion. And I think Jeff Emick would be a great yeah, but candidate. Still, people, still, just like you said, still people have likes and dislikes in the pits and, and this and that. Yeah, but I think a guy like Trey or Jeff or Trey and Jeff would both be, they're not going to. They might have a guy they prefer, but they're, they're going to be honest about it. Because if they make a call and it's it's bad. It's on them, too. It, it, people are going to, they're going to take heat. I you know would, what? I the would, fans I would should never... vote. The fans should vote. No, 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 no. You make no, the call. No, 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 no. No, that's where I think. I was just kidding. That was the worst idea. Yeah. I was joking. No, but I think there needs to be a... There needs to be a roadmap. You know, to me, it's it's just it's just vague and it's frustrating because I don't want to sit here and keep trying to trash the AMA or the, or whoever's making decisions. But what I'd like to see is someone stand up, give a statement, why that was penalized, not penalized, and why that one that looked almost exactly the same two races ago in a heat race, why no one blinked an eyelid. To me, I don't think it's okay to go, well, that was for eighth place in the LCQ and no one cares. But because this one was polarized, we should do something. To me, it's like saying, well, he stole a Ferrari. He only stole a Honda Accord. So we're going to go after the Ferrari, but we'll let the Accord slide because yeah. who cares? You know, that's where I see a, a problem and a, a room for improvement. If we got to change the rules, let's do it. Let's get everyone together. Meaning, and not everyone, but you know, get get people involved who can find that mutual ground. It'll be political. It'll be you'll have aggressive people saying, "No, that's not good," and whatever. But set a set a set a baseline. And to me, at least, once you have that base, it's a lot easier. Right now, I just think I don't really know what's going to be. Um, legal or you know cool and just yeah man racing and then someone gets a year's suspension i mean um probation for something where i'm like but 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 i've seen way worse and nothing was done so just you know just and it's certainly a contact sport it's like but do we, it now totally like, is nowadays we're getting to this point where it's like oh do we have to question every single pass oh that was dirty that wasn't this was dirty that wasn't they got it's so like, much speed when when these guys are landing when they commit like i'm gonna Take the line away. You're coming in. If that guy wants to rail it and not let off, 
there's going to be contact and you probably both go down. So now is it like, if you look from the outside, you're like, oh, that guy took him out. If he checks up, it doesn't happen. Yeah, it's almost a it's game of chicken to make a pass now, right? Like, it's who's going to let off. So then if you say, okay, if you just take the guy down that you passed, that, that rewards a penalty. There's going to be guys going, oh, I'm high, and uh, left the door open, let me toss the bike. Because not only am I going to go down, but he goes down with me. So you mean it's going to be like soccer when the guy doesn't hit the other guy and they tip well, over? Well, did you watch last weekend? Um, I saw, uh, I think it was Eli and Barsha going back and forth, right? And at one point, Barsha ran up the inside of him. Eli knew it was coming, and he literally just stood up and waited. And Barsha even paused like to hold him there. And Eli didn't get mad. He didn't. He just, you know, after he went, he cut down, and he ended up making the pass clean and taking off. But it's that's like that, that's that old saying: taking the high road. That was actually was fun high. to watch that little exchange. Honestly, it was fun. And and you know, again, if Eli hadn't shut off, if he's like, no, I'm not letting you. Yeah. Then boom, they both go down. So you know. And then and then the average fans like, oh, Bosch took out another guy. Yeah. You know, just so that's where you need a racer, who who's been in those situations, who can look at it objectively and go, well. He should have let off, really. This guy, you know, or, or whatever. They, they make the call. Or just you look at Ferrandez, Craig, and you go, okay, he wasn't trying to take him out. He saw an opportunity to try to make a pass, and it was probably a bad choice. But Yeah, aggressive and stupid, but uh, not malicious. Not I would malicious. have said I would have said aggressive and ambitious. I think he I saw agree. an opening. I don't, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even think, I personally, we all have different opinions. I don't think it was stupid. I think he saw a gap, and there was a gap. It was, it was a small gap. It was stupid because he's, he was so much faster than Craig, and it was not even halfway point in the race. But and go he watch it third. again. Now, think, now back it up. Uh, Jet is, what, 10 seconds ahead of Getting him? Getting away. He's long gone. I think Ferrandis has that racer mentality. He wants to win. I have to go He knows right where now. the leader is. He's not thinking about Craig. And when you watch it, he kind of almost gets stuck behind Craig for about two laps. Two laps, yep. And I know as a racer, and you know this, when you get almost start following that pace, you kind of lose that mojo, that, yep. that, that, that little. And I think he just was like, I can't get stuck behind this guy. i got to go for it. He saw a small opening, and he went for it. And I do understand why a lot of people like, how can you defend a guy? He just cleaned him out. I'm like, I respect that guy's drive, Ferrandez's drive. I do, to too. To get to the front. I do, too. I mean, um, I, I don't care where anyone's from. I, I, I do respect people that, like, you know, when you can tell their intentions, like, he to do what, what, what a racer should he be. Wants is to be win. the best that yeah. they can be. And um, I think he also breaks the mold a little bit of the typical French guy. I mean, I, I know when I raced GPs, the French were kind of known as on their good weekend, they killed it. But when the, when it got a little bit tough or it was sandy or muddy, they pulled in the pits. Like, that was kind of what they were known for. Like, just throwing in the towel. <laughs> Seriously. Waving a white flag. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, they're no, they're there's no truth for to that. Hating everybody. I'm <laughs> not, yeah. white flag. I'm not making too many friends in, in, in France right now. Look, but all you got to do is look back at Ferrandis when he got here and w w how much that guy has learned in this three-year period. He was barely, not, you know, he was just barely starting to make podiums and he really has progressed to the point where he's a contender he's, every time he gets on the track. Yeah, no, he's matured yeah. a, a lot. And, then, and I think that's a testament to his drive, and I think you know, I don't know the exact relationship, but I got I got to say we got got to give some credit to David Vilman as well for probably being in the corner, and and I think Vilman's probably going, hey man, you need to be tougher than I was. 
I think Vilman probably looks back and goes, maybe I could have won a championship or should have won. And, you know, when you can go and go in hindsight, don't do what I did or be better than I was, I think that's a, a good combination for those guys. Vilman's yeah, looking way back as to when uh, Wyndham T-boned him off that track. That <laughs> Going back to what what's legal and what's illegal. Right. Do you remember that whole saga? That oh, was when yeah. they brought in Steve Whitelock. Yep. And he came in and he was like, I'm going to make a statement. And he made a statement and, boy, he got... I mean, I, I was one that said I thought that that penalty was out of nowhere, like, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. And it came out of nowhere, and and he was pissed that he got taken to, well, they got theoretically taken to court and Honda won, and as Honda should have. And I know that that really put a real black eye on that whole, we're going to govern the sport. But I think that's doing it the wrong way. When you bring someone and goes, okay, it's my way or the highway. This is the way, this is my town now. You can't just expect everyone to change their thought process. You know, sometimes I use football analogies because, like I said, I'm that weekend warrior fan that goes, oh, you know, what, why, why, why? You can't lead with the helmet. You got to do the shoulder. And I've seen some calls. I'm like, man, he didn't try and hit him with his head. He moved. He ducked. It was accidental contact. And there's still those calls and the. And 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 our sport, we're going to keep seeing that, and we're going to keep seeing guys collide at the apex of a corner. We're going to keep saying that was dirty, that wasn't. You're wrong. I'm right. But I do really think it needs to have a serious chat, and I think the AMA need to stop being closed-minded and 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 bring people to the table. I'm not saying me. I don't care if they hear from me or not. I they just need to start listening to people that are have been there recently because the sports changed as well man did i ramble on yeah okay well i feel better i'm gonna sleep good tonight <laughs> what else you got a fan wrote in that he's uh racing the futures race at the foxborough and wanted some advice on learning the track bike setup or anything else that can help him with yeah i saw this question come in and um this is one thing that it, and I haven't ridden the futures tracks. I've watched some of the ones. Like I know that Max Lee got hurt last year at one, where there they, the jump. There's still enough jumps left that you can jack yourself up. So like to somebody who's just going to take their motocross bike and go race. I had a buddy break both his wrists at the Anaheim, the first one in Anaheim last year. It's a little sketchy because motocross suspension doesn't work on a track like that. Um, the dirt is going to be really sticky and tacky, and that's going to kind of suck your suspension down and make it feel really soft anyway. Um, you know, it's just, it's, I don't think it's perfectly safe to go out there with motocross stuff, you know. Have you ever ridden a supercross track with motocross suspension? I have. It's not great. Yeah. I so mean, I, I will tell you, there's my tips. Turn your clickers all the way in until they stop. Your compression clickers, front and rear, maybe two clicks out. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. Go all the way in and out one or two. Um, slow your rebound down. Um, probably three or four clicks front and rear and just don't be try to be amazing just go have fun you know like you're not going to get a factory ride laps china laps, laps. china just 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 laps. just go enjoy lots it. of laps yeah um i think the one thing for me um kind of like listening to lb reminded me a little bit when you don't have a lot of track time and you come there and you're nervous um you walk up to a jump, you're like, whoa, that's kind of... You have a track walk. Instead of chatting with everyone and talking about how difficult things could be, 
go take a side view because the takeoff, you know, no disrespect to the guys building, they're hustling left and right, but there could be a hole, there could be a rock. Sometimes the jump faces, I'm doing it for the camera, but the right side could be sloped, the left could be a little steeper. So the left will project you higher, the right, will, you know, go look at that stuff. Look from the side, look at the top, because everyone's like, wants to hit the middle and the middle might be one way, but that could be sloped down, that could be peaked, you know, and it usually does happen. Look at all your options so that you kind of are aware of that. Make sure that there's no holes on the face so that when someone's in front of you not doing that jump, you feel confident to go next to them, whether it's to the left or the right, and still do it. If you're intimidated by a jump, go to the landing. Get a feel for it, because a lot of times from the landing, it doesn't look as intimidating. Look from the middle jump. You know, look from every angle you can. And then also, don't get focused on that one jump. I see guys that are like, oh, the whoops are big. I, I'm guilty myself. You're so focused on the whoops that you don't even put the rest of the track together. You know, you're not jumping this, you're not flowing there, you're just like coming to the whoops, like, oh my God, there's the whoops. Do all the basics. If there's one triple or rhythm, don't worry about it. Get everything else perfect, and even if you don't jump that, if you're doing everything else perfect, you're still going to be competitive. Yeah, and another thing I would say is make sure if you want to be competitive, have a start device. I, I, I might yeah, guess. Yeah, I'm the great. My guess is you're never going to have started on traction like that. Yeah. So um, you're going to need that. Uh, set it up as stiff and slow as you can. Take your time. I don't know. Any other advice? I mean, shouldn't they ride it like that someplace else just to kind of see what that feels like? For of sure. Course. Go and find I think anyone that can will. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most people are like, oh, let's find somewhere. Yeah. I think it's on the day when everyone gets nervous. like, take a deep breath. It is intimidating. But... Yeah, but I know guys that, you know, don't even check tire pressure before they go to the track, so. <laughs> Are you having a dig at me again, bro? <laughs> oh, sorry. And they bring their laundry basket. That's my gear bag. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> then when, when the missus doesn't do the laundry, she's like, you didn't put in the laundry basket. I'm like, it's been in there all weekend long, okay? That's my gear bag. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen that ping. I mean, he, he just takes the laundry basket. The laundry basket. That's basket. it. Huh? It works. Yeah, it works. That's all I got. All right. Well, good luck to the folks doing uh, these Supercross futures. I would just be say safe. be safe. Yeah, have fun. Be safe. Um, and that's our show. Good stuff. Yeah, we no, had our I enjoyed boy. it. Are you sad that Albie's done? Like, he's gone. Hey, there's always next year for a follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a five-minute show. You just, just add five minutes to what your last year yeah. was like. <laughs> just, just tell us, you know, more. Tell us the whole stories all over again. Uh, big thank you to Yamaha, PowerDot. Uh, PowerDot, go to the, over there and use Whiskey Throttle for 20% off. Method Race Wheels, 20% off using Whiskey Throttle. Troyla Designs, SKDA, Dunlop, four-wheel parts, Adidas, Pro Circuit, Nihilo Concepts, giving you a free gift with any purchase. Seat Concepts, Fire Department Coffee, 20% off using our code. Thank you to Paleo Ranch Foods if you're looking for a healthy snack <clears throat> or jerky. Get over there and check those guys out. They are available at Walmart and also on Amazon and Langston Motorsports. That's our show. Thanks for watching, and we will see you in a couple weeks for our next show. we got a couple cool guests coming up, and uh, we'll yes, be we announcing do. those soon on our Instagram page. Follow us there, and uh, like this video if you're watching on YouTube. Follow, subscribe, do all that crap. We'll see you on the next show. Bye-bye.